Monday, August the 23rd, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Got an early episode coming out this week for you. Wanted to recap all the big happenings of the wrestling weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. CM Punk, SummerSlam, NXT. Chad Cooper joins us to talk this week in wrestling. We're also going to recap episode two of What If. Tim Kelly joins so we can get into the uh, the second episode there, which I, I liked and, and Tim did quite a bit more than the uh, than episode one. We got the old wrestling rewatch SummerSlam 2000 with Andrew Champagne and we've got some Tuesday racing for you Parks with a couple stakes races on the card We're going to get some Colonial Some Canterbury for Tuesday We'll also get some Saratoga for Wednesday We bounce all around On uh, this episode of That's What G Said Podcast That is presented by BetterThan.Vegas At BTVBets on Twitter BetterThan.Vegas Gives you free videos Every single day from gamblers all around the world Providing you with analysis Providing you with wagers Helping you make money It is free free become a better gambler at better than dot vegas before we jump into everything else, I want to give a big shout out to my sister Chanel. A happy early birthday to Chanel. She will turn uh, 32 on uh on the 24th. So, happy birthday to my sister Chanel. Love you. She's a great great aunt to Milo too. She absolutely adores him and he adores her. So, shout out to Chanel. Um we're going to get into some racing. In just a moment, but before we get into the racing, you we always let you know how we play those races, DRF.com. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. Multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. 
and you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Every single day, you head to StableDuel.com or you download that Stable Duel app and you will find daily horse racing contests that you can get involved in. Many days, they have free contests that actually give you back cash prizes. The app is totally free to download and the and the style, the format is very similar to uh, Daily Fantasy when you have to build a lineup based on a salary cap. Check out StableDuel.com for all the information. Download that Stable Duel app. If you ever have any questions, you can let me know and uh, we'll always go through the schedule for you each week I always will post videos on social media We have the Friday live streams Where we build uh, Our lineups for the Friday Del Mar card So make sure to follow along at It's me, Gino B Over on Park over at Parks on Tuesday, four stakes races, a couple graded stakes races. Well, let's jump over to Parks for August the 24th. I want to give you a couple horses there in the eighth race. The number three, Dr. B, who's six to one on the morning line. If you know, if she's anything around half of that, that feels fair. She tried the turf last time out. I think you can just toss that race. Um, she faced tougher. You know, look at Australasia, who's six for seven, a multiple stakes winner. Bella Sophia, who's three for four and a grade one winner. And some of her best races have been at parks. Dr. B, anything around, you know, three to one feels fair in race number eight. The ninth race, no play for me, but it is the return of Vaquist, who uh, will be making her return to the races. So keep an eye on that ninth race. In the tenth, I thought the speed of the nine Francatelli would be, uh, you know, very intriguing in here. She uh, runner up behind Just Might last time out, two back, legit trouble down inside when behind the critical way. And in this race, the critical way is going to get the inside draw, and Francatelli gets the outside draw. This dude can fly. Uh, I'm going to lean Francatelli at seven to two. Anything around five to two feels fair. And in the eleventh race, the Smarty Jones, you get the fulsome. Eight to five, heavy favorite on the morning line, riding with Biden at seven to two speed, but can stalk. Whereas Folsom's going to be coming from off the pace. So if you're looking to try to upset the favorite, I would probably go with the nine, riding with Biden there. But a uh, fun little Tuesday card over at Parks. We wanted to check in on that with some big stakes there. We bounce over to Colonial. You can tell I got to be a little quick today with my pace because we have a couple long interviews. So can't really dilly dally. Colonial. Let's check. Uh, let's check out race number two for August the twenty fourth. Uh, I did think the eight was intriguing in here. You got a first time starter. The dam won the debut. Uh, it was three for ten. Tried turf twice. Didn't win, but was actually in tough races on the turf. Four winning sibs. Three of them tried turf, and they didn't win, but they actually ran pretty well. O for four with a second. O for five with a second, and just one try on it. I thought the eight was a little sneaky in here in uh, in race number two at Colonial. Uh, Chick were in. 8-1 to one morning line, anything around 5 feels fair. In the third race, I'm looking at the number 5, Motherwell. Going to go second start off the short break, gets off the rail. She, I think at this trip, she needs some speed to set up. But if they go quick enough early, she will benefit. She will come flying. Caramanos jumps on. Last out, she had a fine start. She was towards the rear on the inside of a compact group. And she got shuffled back. Um, she got a little bit of an opening. She shot through. She angled around. And then she kept to the inside. It was not bad at all when finishing third. Um, so the five, Motherwell. Anything around four to one or so will make a win wager on that one. 
We flip to the fifth race, looking at the number 11, Unorthodox, who's 9-2 on the morning line. Uh, Unorthodox is going to put two starts together, is going to be making his second start at the maiden claiming ranks. He drops after trying maiden 40s last time out. He was a step slow. He moved up to fifth. He was mid-pack. He was three deep going into the turn, about you know, six lengths off. He was up to third on the outside. He got to within two lengths. He really tried. He made a fine bid. Um, now he's going to go second off the short break. He drops a notch. You pick up Pimental. Lots of positives about the 11 unorthodox. Anything around 7-2 to two feels fair there. We flip to race number 7, mile and 16th on the turf course. Optional 62 claimer, uh, optional 62 allowance. The Five Angelus Warrior is where I land Coming off of a good runner-up effort Look at his form for this barn in three starts He's been really, really good And he had a nice start He settled inside But he ran into some traffic into the turn He had to take up And he lost two lengths He lost his momentum He was sixth, about five lengths off And then he started to move He angled four wide early He was all the way up to challenge I thought it was an excellent runner-up finish From Angelus Warrior He's six to one on the morning line Anything around seven to two feels fair Final play at Colonial on Tuesday Cats out of the bag The number 8 in race number 8 At 10-1 to on the morning line I think if you toss the last And just focus in on some of the recent turf form And the turf sprint form Has been very, very solid I would use the 8 on top of the 3 Lilacs The 7 Spun Glass, the six, Sail on Ellen at Logicals, and the one, Ghosting Kim. So the eight, Cats out of the bag, 10 to 1 morning line. Anything around 5 to 1 will make a win wager. We'll use along with the three, seven, six, and 1. That is Tuesday over at Colonial. We're going to head uh, to Canterbury, give you a couple plays there for Tuesday in their late pick five. Three plays over at CBY on Tuesday, August the 24th. In the fifth race, uh, I'm looking at the number seven Golden Gopher. There are just not, there aren't a ton of speeds in this race. Golden Gopher's got a nice draw to the outside. She can sit off a little bit if need be. She had shown some ability, but she finally put it all together last time out. Her best work has been on the grass. Golden Gopher sitting a nice trip from the outside, and light bulb angle, and catching a field that doesn't have a ton of speed. Anything around three to one worthy of a win wager there. In the sixth race. May We All is the pick five single to me Cuts back, will come rolling uh, Princess Rama will probably get some action But it just looks like there's other speed in here So I'll, I'll take the off the pace threat in May We All Maybe we can get a, a second choice single home um, I wouldn't be shocked if this one actually ends up going off favorite in here May We All, single in the, uh, the late pick five And we move to race number seven I'm looking at the five in here Warrior Boss 6-1 to one on the morning line, anything around 7-2 to two feels fair He had a good start in his most recent race He was just behind the leader, he was a length off and he got shuffled a bit He angled to the 2 path, he started to get into his best stride late And the added distance I think will help this one Who's a little bit more grindy than a quick turn of foot So I, I think a, a little more real estate here will help Warrior Boss My third and final over at Canterbury on Tuesday, best of luck. Got a little uh, additional Tuesday action for you with three different tracks. We're gonna bounce into Wednesday in just a moment. Before we do, we want to let you know about OldSmokeClothing.com. High quality clothing and merchandise rooted in the iconic symbols of horse racing. Hats, T-shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, zip-ups with the names of famous racetracks, catchphrases, slogans. Horses, you can do custom designs And with the promo code G-I-N-O It'll get you free shipping on your order 
oldsmokeclothing.com. If you're a horse racing fan, you will love this website. Check it out. Great for uh, gifts for friends, for family members, or or you just want to go spoil yourself. Oldsmokeclothing.com, promo code G-I-N-O. Gets you free shipping on your order. Let's bounce to Saratoga for Wednesday, August the 25th. Get those past performances out. Uh, We're going to flip to race number three early on the card. Uh, Pocket Square is going to be the heavy favorite in here. No doubt the one to beat. But Bramble Bay might be able to get out front. There is very little pace in this race. We see it happen in New York all the time. One horse gets out front, slows him down, and and everybody else kind of waits, 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 and they're all running for second. If you toss the October race, look at the form. Blast out winner, two starts back, second in his small stakes, uh, three back, uh, a good third off of the bench. Prior to that, some really nice form in the middle to the end of, uh, of 2020. Bramble Bay, with a nice turf rider jumping aboard. The number two Bramble Bay, 12 to 1 on the morning line, anything around 8 to 1 feels fair in, uh, in race number three at Saratoga. We move along to the fifth race. I'm looking at the eight cool quest in here. 9 to 2 on the morning line. He's going to add the blinkers. He His dam was unraced, but four of six of the foals that she's produced have won on the turf. Uh, big speed, cutting back, adding the blinkers, turf debut, been working on the turf. One of those turf siblings, Grand Adventure, was a three-time graded stakes winner who was a five-time winner and earned 757000 Cool Quest is a half-sibling to that one. Look at who... Cool Quest lost to in his two races. In his debut, he's behind a horse named Robo Man, who won with a 93 buyer. The and then he comes back to finish second next time out, and then wins a first level allowance. There were two next out winners from that race. They both won maiden specials next out. Ducali got a 97 buyer in winning. Cool Quest comes out of some tough races. Should step forward on the grass. Adds the blinks. Lots of things to like. Cool Quest. Anything around three to one will make a win wager there. As we move to race number eight, I'm looking at the number three handy. Maybe just one to throw in to your late exotics. I just I got a feeling he's going to be better getting back to the dirt. He had a fine start, but he took back, and then he just couldn't really get going in, in last time out. Expect a better effort from handy here. And we take a look at the ninth race with the number seven, Rise the Guy, who is six to one on the morning line. Um, I, I've always kind of followed this guy because he does have some ability, but he he ran into Lone Rock. You know, in his last three starts, his own he only has three races this year, which actually fits the conditions of this race pretty well. He's finished stakes placed in one of those. He's just not a stakes winner. Second off, back to turf, the one to catch in another race that doesn't seem to have all that much speed. You know that he's got a little bit, and Saez jumps aboard. Get aggressive on Rise the Guy. Anything around nine to two feels fair on Rise the Guy in race number nine at Saratoga. On Wednesday So that is Saratoga Wednesday And now we are going to get into What If With Tim Kelly uh, Episode 2 of What If If you're a Marvel fan, an MCU fan You've probably been watching this show on Disney Plus If you're not, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert We're going to get into everything that happened In episode 2 of What If Full breakdown, deep dive into the episode Scene by scene With some big picture thoughts To start Tim Kelly joins for a full-on recap, episode two of What If. 
Episode 2 of What If in the Books Marvel MCU Anytime there's a new show, new release, new movie, news We're going to be talking about it here on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly And a um, just little bit of interacting with Tim before uh, we started recording this Tim, I, I got the sense that you and I both just felt like the second installment of what if was a lot more like what we were kind of hoping for maybe you know um and the the first episode was while it wasn't bad it was just very safe you know felt a lot like we were just kind of rehashing a lot of things kind of maybe um uh they them kind of giving us the template of what this show is but now episode two felt like, okay, I think this is really what the show is going to be moving forward. Uh, the episode was great. I love how everything came off. And then obviously it weighs even heavier knowing that uh, this this series, now not particularly this episode, but this series is actually going to be, I think, the last thing that we uh, we hear of or see of Chadwick Boseman in the MCU. And so you you feel that a little bit too. But um, yeah, I really I really episode yeah it was fun I, I think that's the name of the game right and, and this yep. episode had a lot of fun to it <laughs> um just in terms of characters that we got to meet i think it was a little bit more broad uh we got to see a lot more beloved characters uh come back some some really niche characters some fun stuff howard the duck I'm oh a my big gosh howard the duck i went fan, nuts so. i loved that movie i loved that movie and i used to watch I, that me movie. too over and over and for some reason my mom hated it not not like but like just annoyed her and she would always yeah. be like oh no howard the duck again and so immediately the other night i texted her after i was like mom guess who popped up in this show i was watching and she goes oh no it was i have no idea why she just got so annoyed by it but it's it's actually become it's one of those movies that was so bad when it came out that it's become like a cult classic yeah, yeah, it could have been a huge movie. I think like George Lucas was attached to it. Yeah. And, I mean, it had a huge budget. Uh, I I re, uh, revere it as a classic. I don't I know. I haven't it. seen it in a minute. I want to go back and check it out again. I love but, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, really I don't have a bad thing to kid. say about it. But when you read reviews and stuff of it at the time, it was just not yeah. well received whatsoever. It was great to see Howard pop up in here with a voice by Seth Green, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I gotta say, my favorite part of this entire episode, nice Thanos. Then yes, and, yes. And, and the joke about the genocide thing, I laughed like literally laughed out loud <laughs> every time he's trying to like. So no, let me explain it a little more to you. Right. It sounds like genocide, buddy. You know, it's just like that sounds a lot like mass murder. It was just oh man, it, it um. It shows you, and I guess the one thing that I'm thinking about while I'm watching this is like, oh, how amazing T'Challa is, you know, and mm -hmm. he's so altruistic, and and he is um, such a good kingly, like like mm -hmm. heavenly being that he makes everybody around him better. Everyone That's around a, yeah. him is just like these, and but at the same time, I went, oh man, like I I don't feel like. Uh, like Quill was that bad of a dude, you know? Like, right. like on yeah. the flip side, like man, I guess he was he was the one that like you know Yondu was an ass and Thanos was this and like you know, everything that happened because of him. But just just from putting the king, the future king, um, Black Panther here, who it was 
we were kind of talking about this a little bit last week too, and and we we've, we've discussed it, you know, throughout some of our um, the movies and shows we've talked about is that, you know, it's not easy to like to create this really goody good guy, you know, like a like a baby yeah. face, you know, and this episode has just got like it gives you the feels. You know, like you just get that like warm feeling in your tummy all throughout. It's just like every character is just being genuine. They're so good. They're they're doing everything for the greater good, not selling stuff away. And you see all the little changes of how like the the real ripple effect. It just felt a lot different than the first episode. Yeah, man. And I do kind of feel bad for for uh, Peter Quill there by comparison, just looking <laughs> yeah. like a chump. I know. Just looking like a chump. He he already gets blamed for everything that happens in Infinity War, and, and Thanos getting the the snap. Uh, so it's just uh, ah man, bad bad look for him lately. Uh, Chris Pratt's uh, taking some L's in the past few years in, in the public eye. I guess. <laughs> Very man. true. Very true. But, but just um, a lot of fun. Lo- yeah, yeah, feel good. Lots of fun. We meet all these characters. I mean, um, and like genuine Yondu, who's just like a father yeah. figure to this guy, and he's not worried about money. He, they just are wanting to help people. Um, maybe Korath is one of my favorites. Um, who he he fights in the beginning, and then he joins mm-hmm. the team, and he has to repeatedly tell everybody how they're best friends. You know, me and Starlord right. are best friends. You know, and it's just he's like the the first scene that we're gonna talk about in a minute is when he's just so like happy to be getting beat up by him. It feels like how I would yeah. be if I was like wrestling. You know, like going in a fight against like Bret Hart in a in a wrestling ring or something. Just, just put me in the sharpshooter, man. You know, come on, right. like ready to rumble, crown me. Like he's just so excited to be getting punched out by him. Yeah, and that was cool. We got to see uh, Jimon Hansu there uh, again too. So yeah. uh, a little uh, rep- reprising his role from that kind of iconic opening from Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, this time around, I I liked a lot of the the twists that they they did on the like the retreads of what we've already mm-hmm. seen. I feel like it wasn't too much of what we've already seen. It was that no. it was just the right balance where I didn't feel like it was. I don't know. I was walking in the same footsteps or just uh, going around in circles there. It felt like we were seeing something truly new and a a fun twist on it. Not that the first episode didn't have that. I just felt like this was stronger. Ultimately, we had in the first episode, we had two very similar characters just change. And in this episode, we had two very different characters and two different worlds kind of flip flop. Yeah. You know, we're we're in Wakanda a little bit here, in and out of, and we're also, you know, galactic space travel here all over the place. So you're getting just a, just a much bigger, like, feel of change all over yeah. the place. Like, like every little thing impacts the next and much more of the butterfly effect than just kind of maybe flipping Peggy and Steve in the, you so know, the Captain America. So, yeah, I, I just I really got into this one, especially... On the second watch, I just there were so many things I started picking up on it and just getting the feels the the second time through too. So uh, really pumped now for what's to come because I believe that in reading this that we are going to get at least I think they said that um, Bozeman did four episodes. Um, That's great that he had voiced, and I think that they had said there were three different versions. Of T'Challa mm. to, throughout So we might get like one more tale Of this story and then we might get Like a couple even him In a different 
in something different, you know, him being right, maybe right. like a side character to somebody else's major story where he just kind of shows up on the side. So I think that that may yeah. be um, where it is. So it's always nice to know that we've got a little bit more of him. And this this just did feel because it was such a like a, 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 a an episode that gave you a good feeling and like a happy feeling. It did feel like a very nice way. And if this show is like some of the last thing we see of him at the end when they do the little tribute, it was just like, oh wow, this this episode was all him, really, too. You know, this yeah. was just like a really nice way for a character that has been really revered and an actor. Like there are a few people that like really fit that actor and their role as much as this character is like revered in the MCU, and this actor is just held in such high regard for what a really good human being he's always been. I, I thought that was kind of interesting too, just kind of, you know, in reading and hearing a lot of people talk about him over the last year or so, um, and then just kind of comparing it to how his character in, in this world is treated. It, just a perfect a perfect match. Yeah, and it was a, a beautiful title card there at the end. They dedicated the episode to him. Uh, and uh, you could just really sense from that just the the weight of uh, his passing uh, on the whole um, the whole MCU and that that whole production. You know, he must he was such an uh, integral figure there and an uh, inspiration to a lot of people. And uh, from yeah, like you said, what everybody says about him, such a good guy. It's such a, a shame and a tragedy that a guy like that could could be lost in in the prime of his life and the prime of his career. So yeah, it's it's meaningful, I think, to to carry on his legacy with stuff like this and to to see that through. And it's 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 a uh, it's great that it ended up being a good product. You know, if if it sucked, it would have been a real disappointment. Uh, but this was uh, redeeming from the first episode, and uh, I think it's something that's just going to add to his legacy. And it was really cool to to see. So we are set for episode two here now, and. Um... The the intro I still think is really cool. It's the same you know intro at the very beginning yeah. with the watcher where you know you're looking at all of space reality and it's got this very you know like we've seen it with Loki the the look at the space and sort of the mm-hmm. the multiverse and what it what it looks like with the multiple timelines and uh, the watchers is time space reality it's more than a linear path it's a prism Love prism it. of endless possibility where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities creating alternate worlds from the ones you know i am the watcher i am your guide through these vast new realities follow me and ponder the question what if and uh yeah, yeah that this like same the twilight zone you know mm-hmm. intro the galaxy to your eyes 100 billion points of light but where you see light i see worlds and the countless stories that fill them in but in a multiverse of infinite possibility is your destiny determined by your nature or by the nature of your world and we open up with chichala uh trying to steal the orb now you notice a couple small differences here which are uh, are kind of cool so very similar look to when Peter Quill is doing the same thing in Guardians of the Galaxy. But if you notice, um, with this helmet, Peter has the red colored eyes. And right off the bat, you notice that uh, a lot of the features for Chichala, this Star Lord, are purple. You know, his mm-hmm. uh, his local purple, uh, his uh, his purple from co- colors, which you always kind of think of Wakanda. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, you you'll see purple stuff, just purple lining a lot on his uh, on his clothing and and the little features like that, which are really cool that they uh, that they oh. obviously are you know play into. 
Yeah, and purple's royalty too. It's like a royal yeah. color. So there you go. Yeah, the the, the king, the king, the beauty of Chachala. So this this just made me laugh right off the bat. He's uh he's he's got the orb and uh they catch him. Drop it, drop it. Who are you? Identify yourself. He said, Who, me? I'm just an ordinary junker. But there is one name you may know me by. And as he takes his helmet off. Uh, Korath says, oh my, Star-Lord I'm a huge fan of your work, what are you doing here? <laughs> and uh, Chichala says, that's really not the reaction I was expecting And uh, as the, the rest of the The team kind of get ready To to take out Star-Lord He, uh, Korath Stops him, he says, hey, show some respect This is Star-Lord, legendary outlaw Steals from the powerful, gives to the powerless Should we be bowing? I feel like we should be <laughs> bowing which is obviously a throwback to uh to Bruce, right? When uh when they when they show up and Bruce bows and he says, "No, we don't we don't do that here." And and, uh, oh. and so uh, always uh having nice little throwbacks. He says, "I mean, unless we should be kneeling," but uh, Tijala says, "Neither is necessary, please." And um, just the interaction and the back and forth here is hilarious in contrast to you know the Guardians when. Star Lord shows up yeah. and nobody knows Who the hell he is here Everybody knows who this guy is He's actually renowned Through the galaxy for being This Robin Hood figure which They actually reference the Robin yeah. Hood Later on in the episode Robin Leech. Robin Leech so I mean Right off the bat we get a different Beginning and, and a different In that you know I watched it The first time and I was looking at it like is he making fun of him? Is he mocking him? And then it was like you could you could tell quickly, like, no, he's yeah. genuinely just happy to be getting his his butt kicked by Star Lord. And even at the end, he said, you know, he's Korath, it's my boss, Ronan, super intense, but I could be convinced to make a career change. <laughs> he says, uh, um, you know, and uh Star Lord says, I appreciate the interest. We're all staffed up. I thought he gave a cool line here too, when they were trying to take the orb from him. Said, surely something this powerful is better off in my hands. So uh, mm-hmm. he, he knows what he is. He knows that he's going to make the right decision. He's sort of like yeah. Captain America, Steve Rogers, in that you know, like you can you can kind of trust him to do the right thing here. And he gets out of this precarious situation. And as he's you know fighting Korath, as he's battling him, he says, "You do not disappoint, my lord. So nimble, so spry." <laughs> I'm right here. Hit me. <laughs> it's just like it's just great. Like I'm always a fan of of talking while fighting, you know. And and, yeah. and this this it, it always makes me laugh. And uh, I, I just this you know in an episode of thirty minutes of of uh, this that's that makes you smile a lot. I was geeking and and grinning right off the bat with uh with some some funny stuff here. And you're just kind of right back into uh you're into Guardians of the Galaxy, but it feels way different. Yeah, it's 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 a twist, you know, and that's what this whole series is about. It's just twisting and subverting our expectations. And that's kind of what I love about this this scene. I mean, the initial scene that it's based on is is kind of a subversion of our expectations. You know, when you have Peter Quill's Star-Lord kind of revealing himself as the as an audience first watching that, you might expect that we're going to be seeing this, you know, operatic space hero, this guy who, you know, is renowned throughout the the the, the galaxy. And that's why that was funny in the first place. So now we're seeing, you know, kind of what we would have expected, but we're now not expecting because of what we saw the first time. So I love it. It's just so meta. That's what this whole thing's about. It's about geeking out. 
and uh, and I love this action sequence too. Uh, one of my complaints, I think, throughout has been that the animation can seem kind of janky. This mm-hmm. sequence had a really good. I don't know if it was just the, the the designs or whatever, or they put more effort into certain sequences versus others. But I I loved uh, it was conceived really well. It had a cool concept and a cool ending to it. So when he ends up shocking him and and, and tricking him into doing that, and also like like you were saying, all that interplay of the the wordplay and the, the, the quips yeah. back and forth and him the, the the funny dynamic that you never see a guy who like kind of is gushing over his opponent while he's fighting mm-hmm. him that's that's pretty funny just it on is. its on its own yeah so that was that was a lot of fun and it was memorable that's it created this instantly memorable moment and that's what I want you yes. know uh, I can think of different. a couple it's mm-hmm. different yeah, than what we would have saw. Total. It's not the same exact thing that we saw, just kind of slightly repackaged. This just felt totally mm-hmm. unique. It's like, like you said, that's something that I'll like reference somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I'll think of it in yeah. a fight, like, and I'll want to like do that. Right. Oh, nice job, nice punch. You know, like I'll. It's like it's a very like it's almost like an Eminem thing. I think of it's like you you kind of like you, you, It's a way. You, what what do you say back to someone who's complimenting you in a fight? It, you know, right, you know, right. It's like in a very eight mile way It's like hey I'm gonna say I'm gonna give you all my dirt here So that way you don't have anything to punch me It's, it's kind of that in, a, in, a, in an inverse So um, yeah. I, I, I got a kick out of this Right off the bat even at the very end He says you know as as uh, T'Challa has the better of him he has, Classic Star Lord Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like barely able to move And so T'Challa says Now I feel bad Well I have hired worse So he carries Korath out And as he does so um, it looks like he's basically been trapped And he's surrounded on all sides They tell him to freeze, Ranger We have you outnumbered um, And uh, T'Challa says it would appear But a Ravager never uh, But a Ravager never flies solo And he's waiting And nothing happens yeah. And he says, I said a Ravager never flies solo And still nothing happens And the the soldier looking at him says, uh, "What? Just kind of, some kind of catchphrase?" And then, boom! Here comes Yondu. <laughs> He's a few seconds late there, but Yondu there to save the rescue. They joke uh, about it after. You had me worried for a second, and uh, he tells Yondu that they've got a new recruit that he's bringing in. Um, and uh, th- this is great. Like, I mean, and right off the bat, we we were able to find out that this Yondu is a much different Yondu. He's He's the good guy that we see at the very end of of yeah. his character arc right here already. You think he's genuine. He says, you know, if we wanted to have some real fun, we'd make like the old days and sell this bad boy to the highest bidder. He says that as he's looking at the orb. And then uh, uh, T'Challa says to him, if we made like the old days, you'd only have half your teeth. <laughs> Which is a a crack at at uh, the gold teeth of uh, of Yondu that he does. You know, he he it just he looks better now. He's cleaner. He's everything's a little bit different. And they even uh, reference here, Shachala. Uh, wouldn't you rather use it to jumpstart the Krylorians' dying star, save their system from extinction? You know as well as I, no treasure is worth as much as the good that can be done with it. And Yondu says, ah, oh, that's my boy. It's like a real genuine moment. The Watcher, though our hero's destiny might lie in the stars above, the beginning of his journey was much more down to earth. So in the first little clip here, we see, boom, right off the bat, this Yondu is like, you, you almost, mm-hmm. in the, I, feel the, I felt the same way with Yondu and then with, with Thanos. 
I was kind of like waiting for them to turn bad. Right. Like I, I was like, what? They're just good, you know. But it's it's cool. Like it's like whoa. It's very yeah. different. Yeah, and it's all about that whole thing of like nature versus nurture. That's what the the watcher kind of prefaced this whole thing uh, with his uh, voiceover at the beginning. But it, it, it's it's I think the show's kind of making an argument that uh, it's uh, nurture plays a big role here. Uh, that that uh, that people aren't inherently good or bad. Uh, that characters are are kind of influenced by their surroundings. So that's that's an interesting, I think, perspective that um, Marvel and and uh, the MCU are kind of taking here. Um, I, I I think I share it, and I think society kind of is growing there too. I think we're becoming more empathetic people, and we're uh, sort of figuring that out about you know the the nature of people is that we can go you know any which way uh, if pushed or or um, or given the right circumstances, you know? And, and so it's, yeah. That's a line that I, at the very end, and when we'll get to it, when Yondu says, and it's like one of the more powerful lines, so I, I don't even want to butcher it, but we'll get to it when it gets there. But it's like, you know, we're, you could be anywhere and you would fit in. You know, he tells him that, which is really cool too. He says any planet, any place in the world, like you, you would fit in. And, you know, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us have, a tough time wondering and looking about where we fit in, how we fit in, you know, uh, everybody, you know, mental health is a big thing nowadays, just about, you know, struggling with, you know, yourself and belonging and for him to tell him, you know, and for him to say, you you belong anywhere. That was just kind of like a, a moment that, that hit home to me too. And you, even in an animated show like this, you can feel that Marvel and MCU and Feige and a lot of these people, they're never afraid to tackle these, these real world topics. The, yeah. At all, you know, like all of these last shows that we've seen and movies that we've seen have are 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 pretty heavy when you think about it. You know, from from WandaVision to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, to even Loki was fun, but you know, like heavy as far as the the topics that it was introducing and you know the 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 loneliness and the, these characters like figuring themselves out. So um, that's one thing I really applaud too. You can even feel it. In a, a cartoon animation like this, you know, of uh, of them trying to do big things with with their their medium, which I always uh, always applaud. So we get to uh, a flashback now of young T'Challa, and he's a boy, and he's in Wakanda, and he's talking to his dad. He says, "I'm tired of living in a bubble." His father tells him, "There's an entire world out there, one of war, violence, and hatred. It has nothing to offer Wakanda." You know, T'Challa, he's like any young, you know, kid who's curious. They want to know more. They want to explore. There must be more. We must be brave enough to search for it. Um, you know, he says uh, that his dad tells him the blood of the vein, uh, the blood of the king runs through your veins. It's pumped by the heart of an explorer. But I ventured out into the greater world. Let me assure you, all you will find there is destruction and pain. Those people do not understand our way of life. And so his son is frustrated. And you can see that the young Chachala will continue to explore each and every day. Kind of gives me this like a uh, Jasmine vibe in uh, in Aladdin. You know, <laughs> she wants to get out of the palace a little bit. Right. And just see the world. Not that she wants to get away, like hate her family. You know, it's not that she hates her dad. She just wants to see the rest of the world, see a little bit more yeah. than what what she's able to see. 
And so that's when common. See, that's common in Disney stuff, right? Too, if you think oh, not, yeah. Not just Jasmine. It's Ariel too. It must You're be right. Part of part of your world. Exactly. Out of the sea. Wish I could be. <laughs> and the the watcher tells us that what you call destiny is just an equation, a product of variables. Right place, right time, or in some instances, the wrong place at the wrong time. As fate would have it, at that very moment, a Ravager spacecraft was arriving on Earth to abduct the spawn of the celestial ego. And we see young T'Challa. He notices the spaceship. But in this universe, Yondu outsourced the assignment to his subordinates. <laughs> and then we see a couple of, uh, of Yondu's associates show back up. And they grabbed the wrong kid You morons grabbed the wrong kid They're like what? Not not so fast captain Look he's got two old, two sea holes Two ear holes <laughs> One eat hole <laughs> I, I love that line an eat hole yeah. I'm gonna, Everything checks out And he says does this really look like Peter Quill to you? Uh, I don't know all humans look alike to me Which is uh, kind of funny I yeah. thought and, um, Yeah me too uh, you know, obviously, because one of the guys is black and one's white, so they're just hilarious. Like, yeah. at, the, at the most obvious, um, the uh, the cosmic readings where he was took nearly broke our dial. I like this. This is kind of like a Yoda or like an Anakin Skywalker ref thing. You know, yeah, it's like his midichlorian count is off the charts here. You know, because this fool is royalty. He's you know he is going to be a king. Um, if anything, that was not from. If there was anything that uh, anything not from that planet on that planet, it's there. And then you could tell it's it's funny. Even as a child here, uh, T'Challa is just not scared. He's not rocked by this at all. Yeah. My home is built on an ancient vibranium meteorite. <laughs> Yondu says, "You don't seem too freaked out about all this, kid. What were you doing out there by yourself, exploring the world?" And uh, Yondu says, "But why stop at one world when we can show you all of them?" And this is what T'Challa wanted. He wanted to go, and so they go. And and you at this moment point, you probably wonder why. Okay, but he never came back. And they actually explain it. They explain yeah. it well in just a moment. They they'll tell us that yeah, he Yondu told him that Wakanda was no longer there, was blown up. So he just figured this is his new family now. Um, very much makes sense. And. T'Challa now 20 years later With the team of Ravagers with Korath um, They're all at this bar And they're just sharing stories You know they're uh, They're hanging out they're sharing their Stories um, before we get to that Though what did you sort of think of the um, The the little interaction With young T'Challa Yondu and just kind of seeing them Meet up for the first time and how he didn't seem scared and he just carries this air of confidence with him young old like a real real king would yeah i think on first viewing this was actually something that stuck out to me of like oh he's just gonna run away like that and yeah they do explain later that uh that that it's because he was lied to that it was destroyed but uh, on second viewing i kind of came around to it like he's just a boy at that time he has this Mm -hmm. conversation with his dad all he wants to do is run away. His dad's ha- kind of xenophobic in a sense mm-hmm. uh, from, from his perspective and, and completely against that. So that timing and just because it's a young boy who's not thinking long term about consequences and stuff, yeah. it actually made perfect sense, you know, on, in retrospect. 
But as far as like the the meeting of of Yondu and and all the Ravagers, I thought that was also like a really fun twist. It was a hilarious uh, mistake, like you said. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. It was um, it, it it just kept it going. It kept it going fun. And uh, I don't know. It was a. It's also I think a little bit converse to what I was saying before about how the show is uh, showcasing. Um, more of a, a, the nurture side. This is also showing from um, from uh, sorry T'Challa's perspective that his nature is just so good. Absolutely. That, that that carries out and has all this change. So it's kind of showing both sides that nature yes. and nurture, uh, but using different characters to kind of illustrate the, a, the points. That's a great. I'm glad you were able to articulate. Yeah, that's a great thing. That's like it's probably something that was like forming around in my head that I like couldn't quite percolate but uh but you, you're right you, it's like the combination of both a little bit of nature put in the nerd like just mm-hmm. really really smart stuff and really well done and, and here we are at the bar 20 20 years later and they're all having drinks and they're asking t'challa to share some of his stories star lord if you had to pick a favorite um really i could not say i know so many heists so many planets saved still you must have one how could you just choose one? And then they start asking him, what about central bank heist of Tarnak the fourth? Uh, never hurts to hurt a scroll, right? And they're all just laughing. That job <laughs> paid for Craglet's teeth. It's just like a bunch of people at the bar all like, you know, j- joking about some of their stories. And so Korath says, uh, or they ask, how about when you arm the Ank- the Anchorin resistance? Oh man, barely made it out of that one. And this is when Korath asks, how exactly did you stop Thanos, the mad titan, from decimating half of the universe? And then Thanos puts his hand on his shoulder. He's right behind him. And he says, oh, no. Don't worry. I'm a big <laughs> enough man to admit when I'm wrong. Like, Thanos just comes in here. Right. And he's just like the nice old gra- like grandpa. It's just, what? T'Challa here showed me that there was more than one way to reallocate the universe's resources. What? <laughs> Really? So he just needed a friend. He just needed someone to sit down and talk to him, TK, all this time. All this time. And uh, T'Challa just says, sometimes the best weapon in your arsenal is just a good argument. Aye, aye, Commander. Although I still assert my plan was not without its merits. And then he's got to always get one more jab in. Like, But I'm telling you, that thing could have worked. And that's like a running joke throughout when he's at the very end, and he's trying to explain it to Io, to Ao, and he's just telling her, you know, yeah. uh, I, I really think this is, like I said, this got me uh, really laughing throughout. One of my favorite parts of this installment. Yeah, and I love it. Comes a little later when he says that it, no, it's not genocide because it's random. Like, like he, and he's <laughs> totally convinced that that makes it okay. It's like, it's, oh, it's not like we're discriminating. It's we're like every all, all people. <laughs> That's so good. It's so good. We're, like we're murdering, but we're not discriminating. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> we'll murder forbid. anyone. We don't care who you what you look like, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just. Some some like chuckle out loud stuff here, as uh, and I gotta say I I, I love a, a good scene, uh in the MCU in general. It reminds me of like the Avengers Age of Ultron scene where they're just at a party. Like I I like that that yes. it just gives you a, a, an opportunity to see your characters these like over the top out of this world characters in a very 
like Different. human yes. like, yeah yeah stripped down say. kind of a mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it puts their care also when there's alcohol in, in a scene it makes the characters in like it lowers their inhibitions so mm-hmm. we get to see a totally different side of our of these characters in addition to you know the the twists that we're seeing because of this universe so uh they said pretty sure it's still just genocide big guy <laughs> that, that got me too just genocide big man and i'm pretty sure it's sufficient <laughs> and they all just start laughing <laughs> so chachala goes up to get a drink and the bartender is drax although this was not batista but um he he sounded pretty good he sounded pretty yeah. pretty close yeah um i actually had to check because I, I wasn't sure so um, if we're talking about sound, uh, like the voices, I, I know we touched on this a little bit last episode, but I had this thought watching this and maybe it kind of goes against the, how we're celebrating Chadwick Boseman's one of his final performances. But I almost couldn't tell if it I knew it was Chadwick Boseman, but I, I thought his voice sound it sounded different to me. Like if you told me it was a different actor, I would have believed you completely. And, I, and that's happened multiple times the Steve i Rogers thought for one sure sounded close to steve rogers captain america he didn't sa- sound that far he off sounded, at all and and conversely i thought peggy was a different voice actress yeah. i thought that i was i was convinced on on a on a few line readings i don't know if, if i wasn't it's... sure if it was yondu at the at the beginning either you know and then maybe that's just because right. he's like being like softer but i agree and it it's maybe it's something about the way that the, they record the voices versus maybe just speaking naturally too but yeah. I told, it's not a bad thing it's just I I nah. was like, really? Is that them or not? Yeah, I've had to I've definitely had Damn. to look and think about it. So um, we uh, we get Drax and think about this. Things are different for Drax now. His whole life has changed. He's so excited to see Star Lord. Your money is no good here. Um, and he says, seriously, we only take cash. Wait, wait, you are the Star Lord. You saved my home world from a Cree invasion. Uh, but uh, just like Drax. He he's very literal with everything, you know. Right. Star Lord says, "No, uh, it it took several days," uh, or he says, "All in a day's work." And Drax says, "No, it took several days, six in fact." Yeah. Let us take a picture to send to my wife and daughter. And uh, T'Challa's like, "Nah, you don't have to." And he, of course, gra- gets in there, leans in, takes a selfie. Says, "Oh no, wait, we need to take another one. You look terrible. I look great." And he says, <laughs> "No, I insist. It's a truly awful picture of you." <laughs> and then he takes another one. So uh, he only pops in for a moment here, but he, uh, yeah, it, it was cool to see Drax and that same Drax who uh, isn't necessarily the um, the the most socially. Uh, he is a little socially awkward, is a good way of putting it. Right, but uh, <laughs> this version that doesn't carry the weight of uh, the you know the Dax we know's sadness. He hasn't lost lot. his whole family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a crazy detail that they just dropped right there, which is really cool because, you know, the Mad Titan's not so mad anymore. And uh, and his family was spared because Thanos is not trying to take over the universe, killing everybody. So it, like that, just that, when you mentioned butterfly effect before, I mean, this is like changing Thanos's uh, history is well beyond a butterfly. It's like a megaton bomb compared to a butterfly. And in the next, you know, the the next wing of the butterfly shows up, and that's Nebula, blonde Nebula, who's diff- looks different too. She hasn't been through a lot of the crap that she would have been through based on Thanos here, and uh, she jumps in and says, she calls him Cha Cha, you know, and so she's got a play huh. name for him all throughout, 
And so they have this chemistry that seems like they're involved romantically, or you know, you get that you get that sense. And um, they kind of just go back and forth. It's pretty valuable loot you got here. Uh, does the big guy know you have this? He says, "You mean your father?" And she says, "He's lucky. I call him the big guy." And Shachala says, "You know, he gardens now." <laughs> Which nice is reference. great. Nice reference to uh, to Thanos uh, without his uh, without the uh, the stones when he was there just gardening. And she says, you really should talk to him. He has changed. The past doesn't. You still wear your past around your neck. She referenced as uh, the uh, the Wakandan necklace that uh, the Star Lord Chichala still wears. She asks, "Do you ever think of going back?" He says, "Not much to go back to." When I was young, Yondu attempted to return me to Wakanda, but it had been destroyed. So we know why he never tried to go back. Wakanda was destroyed. It wasn't really. Yondu told him that because Yondu liked having this kid around. He he loved it. He loved this his family. Like they all feel really feel like they have a family here. Uh, he mentions it was just another senseless war, and Boba warned that all uh, that was all humans knew turned out he was right. And she she says a line that uh, I thought is really powerful. You lost your home, and now you save everyone else's. That's the name of this tune, huh? So even thinking that everybody else destroyed his home, he still wants to go help these people and save them. Yeah. That might have that knowledge, that lie might have even spurned that desire to do so. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why he became so prolific in this universe, you know, saving everyone. And so maybe so motivated yeah. to, to really feel like he, he had to help or to be someone that knew. Because that was always the thing you could sense about him. And that was always the, the debate in Black Panther and with Wakanda in general. And, and with, with any in, – in, in any, you know, world or in any industry or in any position, right, people – or um, industries or whatever of means who have a way to help others, it, it's a tricky line, right? Because you want to help, but then how much do you help before you start getting taken advantage of and ravaged? And, then, and that was always the issue sure. with Wakanda. We've got this technology. We know we probably can help, but are we going to go out there and do that and and really open ourselves up to this bad world? Oh, yeah, and that just speaks to the history of you know African or colonialism in mm-hmm. Africa, Western colonialism yep. in Africa. Uh, so that's reflective of, of that for sure. I mean, they have reasons to be suspicious with uh, dealing with the outside world for sure. And we now get to look at a. Uh, we're, we're still talking with uh, with um, Star Lord, with T'Challa, and with Nebula. Um, he says, "I." Ha- she tells him that she has a job for him. They're called the Embers of Genesis. Nutrient-rich cosmic dust from an ancient supernova with the power to terraform entire ecosystems. And he says, with one ounce, you can heal a dying planet in minutes. And uh, he also – she you know, she says, with the payload, the size we're talking, he says, we could feed billions of people on millions of worlds and eradicate hunger across the galaxy. That's, what he, that's the kind of thing that he wants. Like that's the, that's the scope yeah. – that this guy is thinking uh, It's pretty yeah. incredible But but they can't get too serious For too long because right away Korath says Don't tell Captain Genocide over here You might spoil his fun 
<laughs> so um, uh, they laugh, and Nebula even chuckles. She says, she says "New guy's pretty funny." And uh, Thanos jumps in. I thought you work alone, daughter. And he said, "Wait, you mean she's your offspring?" And then at the same time, they both say, "Adopted." <laughs> so this kind of like a uh, reference us back to Thor and Loki, always joking about how they're not family, right? right? Or, <clears throat> oh, we're not family. He's my brother. Adopt. He says he's my brother. Yeah, verbatim. Killed yeah. like thousands of people. Adopted. <laughs> um, yeah. This there were a lot of little Easter eggs and a lot. Not only did this episode feel fun and different, you know, we got Chachala and everything, but the writing was was pretty smart and funny. You know, like I said, the word cute yeah. in a couple of situations last week. This this week you got that yeah. a lot too, where it was like. Oh, things that make you smile, but not like roll your eyes. Yeah, I got a few more chuckles and genuine laughs out of this one, uh, mm-hmm. I would say. And l- last week, not not so much, I would say. And and I could even sense last week in that episode just that they they were going for the laugh. You could sense when they were going for it. I almost got the sense that they were just like, oh, insert joke here. And that mm-hmm. we, we just got the placeholder jokes and they never actually went back to rewrite them. Uh, but uh, this time around, a, a little bit better. I wouldn't say it's hilarious. You know, it's not no. the funniest stuff, but it, it carries the uh, the show and keeps it light in a good way. I'd say without, like you said, making it corny or or just feeling like they're they're pushing for a joke that's not landing. So the uh, Chichala jokes. Uh, it's a long story. I've been trying to get them into counseling. Um, then they continue to talk about the plan. So who's the mark? Tanlier. Tivon, also known as the Collector, the most ruthless kingpin in the intergalactic underworld, and and uh, they look at Thanos. He goes, "Wait, I thought that was you." And Thanos says, it, "It was, but when I went straight, he saw an opening and he filled the power vacuum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just made he, me laugh." I went basically straight. the Taliban. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I I, tur- I went good, and so of course somebody else just stepped right in and took and just hearing Thanos talking about himself like. The opposite of Breaking Bad, you know, Breaking Good right. here, Going Good, uh, one of my favorite parts of this. So um, they, you know, warn T'Challa of uh, of what this guy can do. The Collector is dangerous. He does not, FYI, the Collector does not offer dental. And Yondu says, this is suicide. Not even I can get through his defenses. You dig? This maniac won't do you the kindness of killing you. He'll dissect you for a science project, frame whatever's left, and hang you up on the wall. <laughs> so should I mark you down as undecided? Yondu says, as long as the collector's involved, we are not. You may be the soul of this ship, but I am still the captain. He says, we are, uh, T'Challa, you know, right back to Yondu. We are ravagers. We do not back down for a fight. Yondu says, <laughs> no, we steal from the rich and give to the poor. Just like that earthling folk hero of yours, right? Robin Leach. <laughs> and just uh, laughs. Robin Hood. Says, Whatever. <laughs> That's our racket. We've been picking pockets for loose coins. If we want to truly change the galaxy and accomplish all we set to do, then it's time we rob the bank. Yondu says, oh, geez, never have been any good saying no to you, kid. This is like a real father-son 
moment, you know, where they like you you tell your dad you want to do something and your dad, no, you can't do this. No, it's not good. And then he finally, okay, son, I can't say no to you, but I'm coming with you. I'm going to be there with you. This was, it felt really real. Yeah, definitely. I I, I love the uh, interaction between them. And I love that the, just, it felt in this moment, the narrative uh, pieces were all kind of clicking together. You know, we got the MacGuffin there with the, uh, the embers of um, whatever they're called, the embers of Genesis. And then we got the, this, uh, we, we know we're going to get like a heist kind of a show. We're robbing a bank uh, exactly. this week. So uh, I, I love it. I feel like, okay, uh, the stage has been set. Now we're getting into the meat of the story. So the collector's got a famous kink for exotic flora and fauna. Nebula's giving them all the information, kind of, kind of helping them set up for this heist that you just mentioned. The embers are going to be housed with the, the rest of the conquest here. So she's showing them. She's giving them all the background. Thanos mentions he's got the Black Order doing security. Take it from me. They're bad news. Um, how do you plan on sneaking past them? I don't. I'm going to knock on their front door like a lady. So Lady Nebula goes right to the door. And uh, she says that Yondu and her will pose as sellers looking to unload the orb, but in reality, it's going to be Chichala locked inside of the uh, the little container that they have that they they're pretending to to be the orb in there. So they've got this scheme, they've got everything plotted out, and once they get in, um, they need they need to cause a distraction. So Thanos just punches Korath. Which makes me laugh. And Korath says, stop it. I thought we were faking it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll try calling me Captain Genocide again, new guy. (laughs) And then then Korath goes, Captain Genocide. (laughs) And they battle. Uh, So that's the causing the distraction, this fight here. As the Great Raptors. reference there too. Great right. reference to Loki's death in Infinity War with him holding them up like that, just uh, like that the at the end. Yeah, the choke uh, slamming them basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Undertaker style is. Uh, he says the rabbit, the the Ravagers will start a riot, drawing the attention of the Black Order, and so we we see that happening as. Uh, so it's it's we're, we're kind of flashing back as they're telling us mm-hmm. about the plan. We see the plan being executed. So, Ocean's um, Eleven style. It's beautiful, right? I love the way it it moves too. Like I, I think we said this about last the oh, pace yeah. of last week was really good, but I felt maybe a little bit empty. This I felt was just right. It moves very quickly, but I mean they get a lot done, and you really feel like caught up in the story. And I think that speaks to that they just had a simple thing here. They set it up as here's a MacGuffin. Here's the uh, here's uh, what the way we're gonna do it. It's gonna be a heist. And there's just something beautifully simple about that. That's why we've seen so many cool movies that have kind of taken that and thrown a twist on it. And it's cool to see it uh, here. So, oh, also uh, the Black Order too. I was surprised to oh, see the Black Order yeah. uh, pop back up in such a and be such a big aspect of this story. You know, being uh, the antagonist essentially here, the 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 goons working for the Collector. So I I, I absolutely love that, um, and that makes sense too that they. I was wondering, would they be with Thanos? Uh, would they have been, you know, uh, convinced to be good? Or maybe it's just that their nature is so dark and evil. I mean, they're called the Black Order for crying out loud. So maybe that's why, you know, obviously, no matter what, they're going to be bad guys. Now, uh, now Yondu and Nebula are free to distract the Collector, so that way I can search for the Embers. So Chachala is uh, clear now, and Nebula. Distracts the collector uh, with Yondu. Um, says uh, 
the collectors, all, all business, and to think I'm old enough to remember when the Ravagers used to be fun. Uh, Yondu says, "What can I say? We went straight, and I got square." So they uh, sounds like Times Square to me. Yeah, yeah. When people talk about New York, how New York used to be cool before Giuliani, <laughs> and now Times Square is basically Disneyland. This is funny, and um, so they're you know having their little meeting where they're getting ready to give the orb or offer the orb to the collector. We then see. Uh, T'Challa walking around And there are a bunch Of different creatures Locked up in these Cages like on display First we see a dog Who's whimpering kind of, And I think this is a, a the reference To the uh, the dog that they, they Put in space um, Back in back in the day When they uh, wanted to, to tie space travel And see what it would do if it would do anything to a dog And we see the dog show up again Um at the end, when they uh, when they free or when they get get out of here, but this moment when we run into Howard the Duck, he, oh, yes. as uh, T'Challa's looking around, he says the the collection is much bigger than I anticipated. All this suffering and for what? And then Howard the Duck chimes in. My guess he's compensating for something big or small, if you catch my drift. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Chachala says you're very articulate for a duck. And, you gotta uh, love a duck with dick jokes, though. Right? Just say, that, that, that making is, a good first impression. I think that's that's what ultimately swayed T'Challa from, from and, getting him uh, out of his cage here. And this Howard, it's so just like the movie. Howard w- wanted to uh, wanted sex. I think it was Leah yeah. Thompson, right? He always wanted oh, to yeah. drink. Oh, he got it. He oh, got it, yeah. He Leah got it from Leah. <laughs> he got it from Leah. But you could tell from the very beginning he was a sexual duck, you know. And he was, oh yeah, drinking and sex. Where? That's what Howard <laughs> wants, and that's what Howard. Uh, in just a few moments of Howard on our screen, we uh, we get that the that um that sense from Howard as uh, Chichala asks him, you know, I'm looking for the embers of Genesis. Do you know where I could find them? So Howard tries to give him instructions. Cosmic Flora down the hall take a Louie at the Frost Giants a hard Ralph at the Cronins you'll see a sign for Elvish literature ignore that total snooze so this is hilarious he mentions the Frost Giants the Loki and then Elvish literature which was a a a, a hard snooze a total snooze a reference to how a lot of people thought that was boring in the uh, in, in a lot of the Thor stuff you know th- those moments yeah. so just, I think they made a whole like elvish language, a dark elf language mm-hmm. for Thor: The Dark World, and that's like re- re- renowned as kind of the, uh, or I shouldn't say renowned, it's kind of uh, maligned as the one of the worst yes. <laughs> parts of the MCU. And some guy <laughs> took the time to make a whole language for it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So cool little uh, little reference there. Always making fun of themselves. As uh, T'Challa says, "Screw it," and he. Busts open the cage and Howard gets out. He says, Give me the tour. And Howard says, You know what they say when you're out of luck, always go duck. <laughs> Chichala says, I'm pretty sure nobody says that. Howard says, Oh, they oh, they say it. Really? Totally. <laughs> and so as they're walking down, um, we see the alarms go off and the building starts to get locked down, flashes all over the place. And uh, Howard says a flashy flashy He says hold on I need to hydrate So he stops at a bar to, to get a drink 
as Chichala's like, we gotta go. Doors are closing all over. He says, Are you crazy? Happy hour just started. And uh so he he sits down. That's all we got of Howard in this episode. But it too was uh, soon. it was too soon. But just yeah. knowing that we got him, I get that, you know, yeah. we you know we're gonna get more of him. And immediately everybody's like, We better get a Howard the Duck animated show. You know what I mean? Like we gotta. God, it's a it no-brainer, be. right? On Hulu, like, maybe? On on Hulu with a little oh, bit more of an adult edge? With a little edge to it, yeah. With a little more like... like they're doing MODOK. Exactly. They have like, that show MODOK. 100%. I'm thinking Family Guy-ish, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you got yeah, that Robot just, Chicken, Family yes, Guy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Especially with Seth Green. You know what I mean? Oh, like, it it's just, a no-brainer. It has to. So, um, cool little, uh, little Howard cameo here. As Chichola gets into a, a room... And he sees a Wakandan spaceship, and he, he can't believe it. So he walks on to the ship, and there's a hologram on there. It's my son, T'Challa, Crown Prince of Wakanda, was abducted from Earth by an alien spacecraft. It's his dad talking. If you have, an, if you have any information regarding his whereabouts, we ask that you respond to this homing beacon. And T'Challa, Baba, if you're out there. You're one bright burning light in the night sky of billions, and we will search every last one of them until we find you on this planet or the next. Um, which plane was, or the next? Which, or this plane, excuse me. Yeah, this plane right. or the next. So um, awesome moment here where he realizes he was lied to. He gets to see his dad and kind of hear his dad's voice for the first time in 20 years. And so now – Everything he's been led to believe is been bullshit. You, you always wonder when a, you never and you never know when a character has a moment like this, how they're going to respond, how they're going to react. And you see him initially get kind of pissed off. He he's frustrated with Yondu right off the bat until, you know, he's able to kind of forgive him pretty, pretty quickly. But as a. Uh, Before that happens, there's a a little bit of what we think is a double cross. So Nebula says, before before we go on, I just thought it was interesting. Also, with that, there's it's kind of an inverse of Peter Quill's arc where he has got this father figure that that lies to him about about where he came from and 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 his history. So I thought it it was a kind of like a different uh, but similar thing uh, that both characters had there. Now, Nebula is in this heist. She it's basically a triple cross, what we end up finding out. She is pretending to double cross uh, T'Challa. And she says, I had a debt with the collector and you were the payment. But she doesn't tell the rest of the team the plan. T'Challa and Nebula are really the only ones that know. So they all are kind of pissed off. They kind of think that she is screwing them all over. She has to. She has to wait for a few moments before she can finally release the plan and let them know that she she and Chachala had this plan all along, and this was really uh, what what they were you know working on. Um, but we get a look at Taserface. <laughs> he jumps in, which is uh, which is great, and we hear Chachala honestly upset with Yondu. Um, uh, you lied to me. He has, I was protecting you. Said you told me my homeland had been destroyed, my family killed. How is that protecting me? Sometimes you need to hear a lie to see the truth, because you're just like me, Chachala. That's what Yondu said. And Chachala said back, "I'm nothing like you. 
Yondu tries to explain You're an explorer Star Lord For people like you like us The past ain't nothing but a prison You don't belong down there with them You belong up here with us With your family Tells him you are not my family You never were Kind of reminds me a little bit of a Black Widow there As a uh, you know something that uh, Scarlet Joe would would tell would say you you were not my family we weren't really family. Um, yeah. And funny if, you mentioned that because the the triple cross dynamic here it's exactly I the thought same, right it's the, exactly the same too. So exactly they're definitely the they're repeating a lot of their um the, just the story it, dynamics from from uh it from is funny. movie to episode to other movie whatever product they're doing they're, they're kind of covering the same things. We shouldn't mm-hmm. have just seen Black Widow. You know, like that was meant right. to have come out a couple of years ago. So it's funny that that just yeah. happened. We just noticed it because we maybe back we wouldn't have like felt it as much, but 100% it felt exactly. And you even get the way that they, they like the production of it, it it's, it's like identical. You, yeah. they go back and show you the clip of Chichala right. and Nebula talking the plan over like they do when they show mom and daughter talking the plan over back at the house, you know, before yeah. they end up going to the, uh, you know, end up going and, and, and double crossing. And so it's very, very similar storytelling in that. Um, it's funny, even like as they're, you know, this, this emotional back and forth between Chachala and Yonda and Yondu and, uh, Korath is just watching and he goes, damn, that hurts. You know, afterwards, he just like <laughs> he's so emotionally invested in anything to do with Chichala. It is, yeah. it's, it's just great. Uh, and uh, the collector is now ready. He says, "I must apologize for all that awkwardness back there with Nebula. I simply abhor drama." And Chichala says, "Your outfit would suggest otherwise." What is it you want with me? And he says, "There's a blank wall in the commissary that I just haven't been able to find the right piece for." But I'm just an ordinary human, hardly a work of art. Ah, I must admit, now that I see you in the flesh, you are. Are you sure you can't fly or shoot lasers out of your eyes or something? <laughs> Which is another just cool Star-Lord reference here. Um, uh, T'Challa says, let's go a few rounds and you can find out. Uh, how about I put you in the cage? I prefer you in the cage. So... Then T'Challa says, where I come from, history has never looked kindly on those who lock men in cages. Thought that was a powerful line, just kind of referencing what you were talking about, building on the history of, uh, of you know, Wakanda, of the, the history of, of yeah. you know, uh, the black history in, in general. And the collector says, uh, make a note. It appears he does have a superpower after all. He can bore someone to death using his sanctimony. Let's not mm-hmm. waste the wall space. Dissect him and strip his remains for parts. So we do get a Benicio del Toro here as the collector. He yeah. looks a, a little bit different, but still very extravagant. And he goes from, you know, wanting to lock up T'Challa to kind of being bored with him and wanting to just kind of get rid of him pretty quickly. So. The the idea of this though, just of of locking people and all these creatures up in cages in this like weird museum that everybody could go through, it's just like human trafficking stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's sinister. Yeah, and it also it's like it's zoos and stuff, but it's worse because these are all sentient uh, beings uh, that are clearly uh, intelligent. You know, you've got Howard the Duck for crying out loud in, in yeah. there. So up I mean, it, he's. 
it's he's clearly a, a very very bad just sinister individual and i love the the, sh- the twist on his character design here it kind of reminds me of secret of the ooze uh super shredder a little bit yes, maybe a little bit right. of bane going on right, I just a, a souped up version he's of, bigger of, yeah he's yeah. jacked up You're, that's great that's a great call as uh thanos says daughter of mine how could you do this to us and then Korat says, to my best friend, T'Challa, you are the worst. And uh, <laughs> um, so Nebula uh, says, relax, new guy. I'm here to rescue you. So quickly they realized this was like the triple cross. And uh, said, oh, I didn't know this was always the plan. She said, I told T'Challa that the collector was after him right after the jump. That's when we see the scene of Nebula telling T'Challa all about the collector and then them setting up this plan. And uh, she says, you see, I have the, a debt with the collector, and well, he's come to collect, and what does he want in a word, you, Cha-Cha? Um, but I had no idea about the Wakandan ship, she tells him. All I knew was that we had an opening to settle my debt with the collector and steal the embers right out from under him. So this has been a triple cross? Karath is just totally confused. It was all Cha-Cha's idea to keep you in the dark, um, and... And then Yondu says, hey, you know, he knew I would never let him walk into a trap. So she explains it to him. They take a minute to kind of really figure out what has been going on. Like they got what and then this and then what. But uh, this is very, you know, uh, he's an Ocean's Eleven Italian job. You know, like this is real right out of any heist movie that you would see where they have a plan. But then there's something that they didn't show us that they'd been working on all along. And that was really the plan. Yeah, I love it. it. I mean, it's uh, it's something we've seen before. It's not like groundbreaking, but I mean, I'm a sucker for these things. And I think we all kind of are like I, I've talked about the hero's journey in, in the past. And I think story structure uh, is just one of those things that it, it exists for, for whatever reason. It works that way. And when you find a formula, sometimes uh, it, it's just good to use that formula. You could you could put a twist on it. it uh, and that's what makes it feel fresh. And that's what makes it uh, worthwhile, uh, but uh, don't knock it. You know, just because it's uh, potentially cliche or or whatever. I uh, I kind of poo poo those those sorts of thoughts because it's essential. Like it, it's like the backbone of our enjoyment of these things. And I I think that this is a really cool um, genre that, that they played very well. They they handled it I think perfectly for what they were going for. So um, it's actually. The it's Karina who ends up helping T'Challa uh, escape, and uh, Star Lord T'Challa is able to break free with the help. And she he said uh, the Collector who is now screwed. So I like that thing you said about not locking people in cages. Thank you. I am forever in your debt. Um, so the place is alarms everywhere. Prisoners have escaped. Everyone, the cages are loose. Everyone's running all over, and we see a lot, you know, uh, explosions, craziness all over the place. Um, and it's it's a little funny here as the so the collector and Chachala get into a a nice fun battle, and the collector, like always, 
Chachala could have locked him up a moment ago. He didn't, so they're gonna have to have this this battle now. As the collector asks, what kind of being leaves a party without saying goodbye? And they battle. So, what did you think of uh, of this action sequence here? He <clears throat> thought it was pretty funny as um, the collector's mentioning and showing off some of his tools. He brings yeah. out the uh, the dagger forged in dark matter taken from the ruler of the dark elves, or perhaps you'd mm-hmm. prefer something more uh, elegant, a necro sword courtesy of the Asgardian goddess of death. And so he, he's like dressing himself all up as uh, as he's battling T'Challa. How'd you think uh, this sequence was? I thought it was really cool. I mean, it was jam packed uh, with little Easter eggs. I mean, uh, some were right there on display, obviously, like, you know, Cap Shield and Mjolnir. And there was, I think, what was probably Loki's horns down in the bottom left uh, corner there. Uh, and then you get, yeah, you get Hela's um, like crown thing whatever it is and her sword uh so he's it's it's cool to think that the collector's reach is so vast that like he basically just uh completely raided asgard and has all of their antiquities and and uh, and treasure um not to mention pretty much everywhere else in the whole universe so the fact that he has such profoundly powerful um you know, tools and weapons that we've seen in previous uh, iterations of the of, of our stories. Uh, it just speaks to how uh, powerful this version of the collector really is. I mean, um, I was a little bit surprised at the beginning to see you know this character be the guy that took took over. I never thought of uh, totally the collector great. as that, that dangerous important. or that that important. Yeah, no. exactly. I, I thought he was probably like a big shot, but. He's the collector. You know, I, I didn't think of him as like a mob boss that could, you know, uh, take uh, Thanos's seat at the, at the throne. But they really made a, an interesting argument for it. Um, and uh, and it was it was pretty cool. And on, on the subject of like Easter eggs and stuff, I, there was some more I think we didn't touch on. There was a lot of different ships that they showed. Uh, and I, somebody I forget where I saw, it, but somebody pointed out that there's probably an X-wing in that area where, where he finds nice. the ship. Uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, but uh, another thing about the ship, it's actually named uh, Mandela. Yeah, I don't know if you caught that. That's but, a yeah, great it, point. His ship is named Mandela, which works on, on a number of levels. Like number Instead one, instead of got, Milano, remember it was a Milano for Alyssa Milano, the other the the uh, previous name ship. Because um, oh my god, <laughs> you know he probably know had that. a crush on Alyssa Milano, become growing up Peter oh, Quill. Yeah, you know you're as right. A you're right. Kid. And I think this is Mandela because if you think about the 80s, he was still a 88. He's still a politician at this point. That's a great point. And then he's such an important figure in you know African history. And we talked uh, briefly mentioned earlier, you know, Western colonialism. Obviously, the the history of that and apartheid in South Africa is is a like a storied and uh, really tragic uh, thing that happened. Uh, that Mandela was at the the, the center of, you know, um, leading his people kind of uh, against those those occupiers and 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 uh, giving more power to to the people. But he was in prison for a long time. Speaking of the themes of the show, like that's well, one reason a lot of people know Mandela is the sacrifice he made by basically being locked up in in prison for for years. So putting people in cages and history, judging them that that I think is part of that reference there. Uh, and also the other side of this coin is the phenomena, uh, or I guess you could call it a meme, of the Mandela effect. 
Are you familiar with this? Yes, of just like m- complete memories that are off, right? Right, like, right. Just and people remembering yeah. things that are completely misinformation. It's it's funny in this age of just straight misinformation, you know, to to yeah. think about that, you know. <laughs> But the idea of it plays perfectly into this because we're talking about multiple universes and what people do when they experience what's known as the Mandela effect. The most you know, common example and why it's named the Mandela effect is because people believe that Nelson Mandela, they're sure Mel- Nelson Mandela died in prison during the 80s, but he actually died in, I think, like 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. So people yep. believe that. We somehow or they somehow skipped into like an an alternate universe or that our universe collided with an alternate universe of some sort and that that history has been changed. Another common one is that it's the Berenstein Bears. Like everyone remembers it's the Berenstein Bears, but in reality, it's always been the Berenstein Bears. And there's a lot of like examples that are easily explained by just, you know, uh, just memory lapses and and you know the way our memory works but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of fun to think about it in that way uh that, that that it could be something like alternate universes and i think that's why it's taken hold and become this meme that's that grows and there's all the whole reddit community uh, all about it and people really really believe in it but it it fits perfectly into the idea uh, or the ideas that we're exploring here with, you know, Loki and now what if with all these multiple universes and branch universes here. And, and didn't we even get with Loki at, in the last episode when we were going through all of those different people through history? There was a Mandela flash in there. Remember oh. we were going through, they were, you know, we were here, we saw Martin Luther King and we saw like all these different yes, I think flashes. Uh, of you know Greta Thornburg I think and there was a moment right. of Mandela which was just it's yeah. funny thinking about that now because it was just what we saw as all these different people and 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 how Mandela with with the ship and um and uh yeah cool they're just they're so smart this is that all this stuff is so it's it's not a coincidence that they do this and to be able to to something that we said with with Wanda Vision you know to be able to kind of do so many things simultaneously to be able to tell a story while hitting on all these little fun Easter eggs while also playing into these like ideas. That is not an easy, you know, an easy thing to, an easy dance to, to, to have here, TK. Yeah, it's I mean, they, they, they do the dance pretty well. I mean, that's one thing I think that they've uh, just been able to nail from, from project to project. And, uh, it's when that they don't quite get that balance right are the ones that I think suffer. You know, yeah. when something feels a little too morose or it doesn't have mm-hmm. the, the fun or the impact or the punch, those are the the ones that I think um, don't really get remembered. And uh, to their credit, there's like only a couple of examples. I mentioned Thor The Dark World uh, before, but even that's something that's probably like unfairly maligned just because it's compared to a really – a really strong track record in the MCU here. And it's, yeah. it came not too long after Iron Man, which set a really, really high bar. Um, and it was also an early movie that uh, introduced the fantasy elements and they went yeah. really deep on fantasy too. So it kind of, it, it was like um, almost in, in like saving private Ryan, the first soldiers out, out of the boat all get shot up. Like, like, they maybe they definitely didn't deserve that. You know, it was just happenstance that they came first and they took the brunt of it. Mm-hmm. But they might have opened the door a little bit and planted the seeds. And narratively, that that story, you know, Thor, the Dark World has 
been very important. They've gone back to it multiple times and they, they keep uh, touching on it. And in fact, it's probably so at the forefront of my head because there are so many references to that movie in this one right here with mm-hmm. the dark elves. And he's using the dagger from that, which is all from Thor, the dark world. So as they try to escape here, we get Yondu coming to the rescue again. And uh, we get a, a, a back and forth and a fight as they try to get to the ship and get out. And the whole team looks like they're, you know, they're in trouble um, and, and they're captured for a moment. But Star-Lord T'Challa uh, says you abandoned your uh, ho- your home and your family and now your new or no, no. So this was said to him. Um, as they were getting ready, you know, typical evil villain thing. We've got you. We're gonna we're gonna talk some trash to you before we kill you. You abandoned your home, your family, and now your new family has abandoned you. Karma, he said. Maybe you haven't heard that a ravager never flies solo. And here comes Yondu to the rescue. Yondu saves him, and uh, he says, "Ain't no way in hell I was going to leave here without my kid." So. A cool moment there as Yondu saves T'Challa, and then we get over and see Nebula, who is able to use the embers to save Thanos. So pretty cool where, uh, you know, you get like surrogate father saving son here, and then you get, you know, daughter, adopted daughter saving father over there right following. Um, Just I thought like a cool little sequence for you know, to see right after one another, good action stuff back and forth, and um, yeah. you know, and at again, this point, at this point in the hero's journey, sorry to interrupt. No, I know no, I ahead. mentioned hero's journey before, but I just thought this was relevant. This is the point in the in the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell where uh, the character has atonement with the father. So, it, it, yeah. again, this is just showing that all these stories like stick to those fundamentals so well. So. Yondu and T'Challa are able to fight off the Collector, and uh, Thanos and Nebula are together. As uh, Yondu and when they're when they're fighting off the Collector, they're discussing a plan, which is really funny, and uh, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Says, "Okay, any ideas? Sticky fingers could work. Mm-hmm. Who's the glue?" And T'Challa says, "You are because you lied to me." Yondu says, "Fair point." Um, and uh, so they trap the collector in one of his cages, and so they end up do they end up you know caging the man who had caged everyone else. As he tells him, no matter where you go or how far you hide, there is not a corner in this galaxy beyond my grasp. <laughs> Y'all do sure, sure, cool, whatever, cool story. <laughs> uh, so Karina. Is now in charge and uh, She's got him locked up He's trying to beg Karina For help No 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 But uh, Karina uh, Has her way with the collector here As all the former captives Now get to come out of the cages And they all This is very much like uh, um, I, I, I can't There are a couple different references But thing thing I'm mm-hmm. I'm like thinking of Is in uh, like like Toy Story, all the evil toys coming at Sid, you know, right. after after them, it's like the creator and every or the the man who the collector who tried to be like the god to all of them. And yeah. can you imagine if this dude has caged you 
and and has sat there and has had you on display the feelings you would have towards this person as uh I thought it was kind of cool just yeah. seeing them all like bear down on him. Oh yeah, that was that was cool. And th- yeah, it did remind me of some other moments. I was trying to think of what one stands out and one that just popped in my head is uh Justice League, the original Justice yes. League that was kind of yes. retooled by uh Joss Whedon. At the end you've got that version of um I can't even remember his name offhand, but the the villain in that uh, and he, you've got all these parademons who in that version of the story are attracted to fear. And then for the first time, that character all of a sudden feels fear and they all converge and swarm on him and basically tear him rim, uh, limb from limb. Uh, so I thought that was a very similar, uh, similar kind or, of uh, thing. Ramsey, uh, mm-hmm. Ramsey Bolton in game of Thrones. Oh, when she, good when one she turns with the, dogs. the dogs on him at the end. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure good. there's countless examples of that. Right. That we can, we can go through and, uh, and think of. So lo- love that moment there as, uh, they're trying to escape, but still, you know, this place is like blown up stuff all around. Yondu says, we'll never getting out on foot. Then we'll take to the skies. And, uh, they're, on the ship and Nebula says all crew members are present and accounted for by some miracle. Um, so uh, they realize they've got a stowaway. The dog <laughs> that was in one of the cages has a uh, has made it on the ship. As Yondu right. says, you always uh, had a or Yond, uh T'Challa says you always did have a spot a soft spot for runaways. Which is mm. obviously making a reference to himself And Yondu gets ready to apologize He says, T'Challa, I just wanted to say And he stops him He said, there's no need I was the one who told you I wanted to see the world And all you did was show me the universe And I, what I like about this too And obviously it's a shorter whatever But that's it They don't mm-hmm. They don't have to extend it Like if somebody said that to me I would extend a conversation Like back and forth And back and forth But you know like They yeah. both yeah. are You know like They both are so like comfortable Where it's like All Yondu has to do Is just say to him Oh yeah She really is a beaut Isn't she And then that's kind of like He knew They both Sorry Let's get over it We've moved on Which is It's yeah, crazy And that was like great. This guy lied to him About his home yeah, well, that it might him. be a little unbelievable, I but I think it's I think they're they're trying for that what I kind of touched on earlier that T'Challa is just so pure of heart so that good. he he's so that good he's gonna forgive he's a he's a Christ figure in this and I mean I think actually if you look to the the story uh, Black Panther you could probably draw a lot of like you know Christ parallels uh, there definitely he says that I've always felt a home up here. Uh, but now, knowing everything, I'm not quite sure where I belong. Yondu tells him, I've seen a lot of space travelers in my day, kid. This is probably my favorite line of the episode. Says, but if I've learned anything from watching you on any planet, among any people, there ain't no place in this galaxy where you don't belong. Where you want to be, that's the question, isn't it? You're just going to have to follow your heart on that one, Mr. Star-Lord. I just love the way he said the Mr. Star-Lord too Uh, And uh, yeah it And you get Like you said When when we watch this show now And it's a real Like when we really get a sense of fish out of water You do Mm -hmm. get the sense that Anywhere you put this guy Chichala He would make the people around him better Yeah Whatever that situation is Those people are just going to be a 
better people and you you get that feel like you you really feel it here and then when he when he says it you feel you know it's like oh yeah you're right you could put this guy in anywhere put him into into thor put him into you know uh he's the hall whatever it is it in it just everyone around him that he touches is just going to be better so i thought that was a really yeah. cool um moment to share as sort of their last time in space before they get back to wakanda yeah that, that's great and i think that that's something that might just be true and reflective of, of of my experiences, at least, is that most people are probably in the middle. They're malleable where they could do bad. They could do good. They're mostly good, probably. What does Loki but, say, um, right? Doesn't Loki say right. that? Nobody is yeah. genuinely bad or genuine 100% good. But the exception makes the rule. And every yep. once in a while, you get a Steve Rogers or you get a T'Challa. You get someone who's so pure of heart. They're they're worthy to quote yep. like the, the Thor mythos, you know, yeah. and uh, and that's been my experience, too. You know, every once in a while you just see somebody and there you go. There's something special about that person. Like yep. they just have a, a glow about them. They mm-hmm. just have they're, they they do make everyone better. They make everyone happier when they're around. Uh, and uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, I think it's just a roll of the dice, probably. You know, some yeah. people just turn out good. Uh, but and, and why wouldn't that be the case? Some people are geniuses. Some people have spe- very specific uh, proclivities or yeah. skill sets. Yeah, you know. So uh, so why wouldn't some people just be that much genuine, you know, more, more good genuine. or genuine yeah. than the average person? You're right. And you I think that's what them. we're seeing here. It's yeah. So and so it that, is. Yeah. You feel Steve like you feel a lot of Steve mm-hmm. with him, but it's God, it's even more. Than Steve mm-hmm. it's some in some cases You know it's just like mm-hmm. wow It's like so so good Because Steve has his moments You know where right, he's right, on the right. run And he has his he has to kind of Make his his turn he's never He never is a bad guy but he has his Moments where he 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 kind of Wavers off the off the path quite A bit mm-hmm. uh, or a little You just don't even get that sense from Chachala at all like you never even feel Like he's going to waver um, I don't know if it's that Steve uh, ever really wavers, but uh, he can be prickly, I think. And like yeah. socially, like he's not as cool. It's like, what that's, if Steve Rogers was also like a really cool guy? That's a better <laughs> like, way. Like, like, like had some Fonzie energy. It. No, because we got to remember, <laughs> yeah. he was a dork. Right, Steve right. Rogers, before he took the serum. So he, this, he's still going to be genuine, but he and he's buff and muscly, but he's still a dork. Yeah. You know, he's not yeah. cool. He's not a, a little cool bit of a guy. square. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> square. Which is why we love him, but you're right. Like Chichala is a cool dude and genuine. He's right. just like, what the hell does it like this isn't fair to the other guys out there? Like, what do you not have, buddy? You're good looking, you yeah. can fight, you're genuine. It's like, come on, man. Like, don't do this King to shit. Us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and they uh they arrive at Wakanda. And we see the moment where T'Challa sees his father and Baba. He says, Baba, my son, my son, I knew you would find your way home to us. I'm I'm sorry it took me so long. Let me introduce you to the family I made along the way. And Yondu comes up. Oh, you must be T'Challa's father. Uh, Pleased to meet you, sir. Your son is a galactic hero. And uh, his parents, uh, T'Challa's parents, Family kind of smile a little bit you know it's like They they knew he it's not Surprising to them they knew that, that He was destined for greatness And and then we get A shot around 
the the party, right? So we get everyone is is hanging out together. We've got the Ravagers. We've got uh, you know, all of the people of of Wakanda here. And they're all kind of having drinks and eating, and people are are paired off having their conversations. And the first two yeah. people we flash to, it's Ao sitting with Thanos, and yeah. We hear Ao says, uh, my friend, that sounds an awful lot like genocide. No, 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 because it's random. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I might add efficient. I just <laughs> this little back and forth just got me going. And this the running genocide joke all throughout. I absolutely yeah. loved. And this was funny. We we flashed to a couple different um we got uh, some of Yondu's like uh uh henchmen. Who were talking here and you know um if, and we got Korath. If you really want to put a label on it, Chichola and I are best friends. <laughs> he always has to say that. Like I, I love this little sequence. It was just quick, but just anytime that we can get like a a montage sort of where we get a flat like a little flash of a bunch of different characters, I always like checking in with multiple and and seeing them. And uh, it was yeah. funny getting a look at now this group, like the Guardians, quote unquote. In Wakanda, another fish out of water story. Uh, sorry, it's a fish out of water story. Oh yeah, because now we've got the Guardians in Wakanda, you know, versus oh, for sure, for sure. We had the opposite <laughs> yeah. of one of the Wakandans out in space with the Guardians, you know, with Star Lord there. So yeah. now it's these people in this royal regal place. They're in the palace. They're having these drinks, and they they right. probably like they probably don't know how to act in this situation, you know. Oh, so true. I mean, they're they're friggin' pirates with royalty, yeah, so yeah, it's like, exactly. yeah, there, there's gonna be some some clashing there of of, of cultures for sure. And um, I I just loved uh, the interaction that I think comes next with um, with uh, T'Chaka, kind of a little bit you know inquisitive, like uh, about what happened uh, yeah. uh, when he meets Yandu. I'm I'm surprised he he didn't have any follow up questions though. Yeah. <laughs> like, that part says- uh, threw me a little bit. How exactly I'm still wondering how exactly my son came to be in your spaceship. And so Yondu's, oh, you know, funny story. Uh, you know, he's starting to tell him and uh T'Challa interrupts him. And he says, I was lost, Baba, and Yondu found me. And, and that's that was, sweet. That that's yeah, a sweet answer right there. It was. Yeah. It was. And and it's you know, it, we we know what he's talking about, and he's he mm-hmm. says it because you could it serves a double purpose. He was lost. Yondu found him, but he was lost. He wanted to be, he didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know who he was. And then it, it sort of took his, him thinking his family wasn't there for him to realize mm-hmm. that how much he missed them and how much he wanted to go back and see them and be a part of this. Uh, he just. Kevin McAllister vibes it, on that. Oh, home alone. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah. And you know, you like the sense that I always got is is just like you said, it's the sense that a young kid has with with parents and with boundaries, you know, um, mm-hmm. where can I go? I want to do this. I want to do that. That's kind of who Chachala was. But it was more because he knew the world that he was in. He was never going to be able to get out of it. It wasn't like I'm 10. I'm not going to be. Yeah. able. He just was never going to be able to leave this world and help people. He, that's what he wants to do. He doesn't just want to rule. Right. He genuinely wants to go out and help people. So now he's able to do that. He's able to get back to Wakanda with his family, basically the best of both worlds. 
And that really sweet moment there that that Yondu and and uh, and Baba and uh, and uh, Chachala and Chachaka all share together. Yeah, as mm. the final scene heads back to Earth, and we're in a Dairy Queen. We've got '80s music playing, and it's Peter Quill who is in the Dairy Queen cleaning up. And somebody walks in. He says, uh, "Sorry, we're closed." And then we hear the voice of Kurt Russell. What, Peter? Can't spare a little time for dear old dad. It's ego. <laughs> and, and what I, I got a real kick out of was uh, the spaceship is just parked in the parking lot outside <laughs> <laughs> of the Dairy Queen. And the watcher yeah. lets us know that uh, too bad this might spell the end of the world. But that's a story for another day. Yes. And the music play us out. So. We get the tribute to Chadwick Boseman at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, although this will not be the final time we hear his voice, we will hear him in at least a couple more episodes of What If. Uh, I, I man, I loved. It. I really love this. I got such a kick out yeah. of this. And I did. We. It wasn't as if we hated the first one, but it was just oh. such a safe, yeah. safe choice that it was like, oh, cool. Like we saw basically mm-hmm. like another thirty minutes of the. Of the first Avenger slightly different This was exactly What I wanted what I was hoping for Like new things New stories This stuff could show up In different movies and Stories like in the future Now because things have changed a little And isn't it amazing How Thanos Was the biggest Baddest dude was the Dude the scariest dude Everybody fought this guy for how many movies and how big of and how long of a period of time, and then everything about him in this is literally a joke. Like they yeah, literally right. make it into a joke. <laughs> it's like they're joking about him. I thought that was great, yeah. and it just shows you how they can the stories that they can tell, like the power that the MCU has to tell a story where they can just flip this guy who was the biggest baddest ever, and it's like. Oh, he's yeah. just a nice dude that we're all joking with here. Yeah, and it's just it's because T'Challa sees the good in people. Like that's what he wants to do, and that's where he like deferred from his dad earlier when they had that conversation when he was a, a boy. Uh, his dad would had this very like xenophobic, like the the whole world is dangerous thing, and he had uh, a, a more optimistic view of, of that, and he held that forever basically uh, on the on the grandest scale, so much so that it would apply to somebody. Like a genocidal mad titan, Thanos there, and he got him over onto uh onto the you know the good side. So I mean, that that's just really cool, I think. And uh, and I, I thought it it wasn't so much that it was uh funny. Like I, I thought it was funny, but I thought it was just it was it was really interesting to think that like why why didn't somebody like why didn't tony stark try to talk to thanos why didn't somebody try to talk to thanos in the first place how could an argument do it and like what was the argument that that got him that's what i really want to know because one argument that i heard you know when people kind of um uh critique thanos's plan that's really stupid like if you could make us if you could snap why wouldn't you just double the resources as opposed to having like the amount of people uh, the, the oh, amount of life you just double the resources <laughs> like, yeah. why would yeah. you do that I, I wonder if that was literally the the thing and he's like oh i i, I never thought of that <laughs> i just imagine him we could give <laughs> food to the people who need it we could just reallocate <laughs> stuff 
yeah, you know, yeah. like I've got so. this gauntlet. Wait a minute. I, it's not like I only I'm limited to this one wish that I thought of, you know, when I started killing whole galaxies. But yeah, it was um, it was just it was a lot stronger on every level. I think every level. And the I will say, I will say, mm-hmm. were so great. They were so great. Just you know, we this was about Chachala, yeah. but Yondu and Korath and Thanos and Howard the Duck coming in. I mean, yes. If, if this would have been a bad episode and we just got a Howard the Duck. Sighting, I right. would have been excited afterwards, but like, oh my god, yeah. how did the dog showed up? But it, this was like a really good. You almost forget because it's so good that it's like, oh yeah. crap, that coward popped up in there for a, a minute and was great. You know, just I loved all the side characters in this. I think a lot more than in like Bucky was cool to hear him and um, you know to to hear the uh, the Bradley Whitford character in the first, but mm-hmm. this one just felt like the ensemble was so much stronger. And I think you, you were right. Like honestly, everything about this episode was just a little bit better. Uh, uh, in my opinion, a lot better than than the first. Like a yeah. lot stronger. Yeah, and I even noticed the things that I didn't like about the first one's uh, animation. I noticed it in this one, but less. Uh, and I think if. If you don't want the show ruined for you, don't listen to what I'm about to say. But if you don't care, uh, I'm probably not going to ruin it either way. But the whenever the characters are walking, it looks so janky. It's the jankiest animation. And it's what I was talking about when uh, when I mentioned last week that it reminds me of a motion comic. It, it's this very cheap CG walking. And it's a, actually such a stark contrast because the art design, art direction – the character design, the facial animations are, are for the most part, really, really strong. Uh, but don't pay too close attention to the way that uh, characters walk and, mo- and move in some, like, transition scenes if, if you don't want to be taken out of it. Because that was it's one fun. thing that stuck out to me. It's funny that you said that because I was uh, watching one of those um, – I think I was telling you about that show, that the movies that made us, and one of them was about Jurassic Park. And it went through mm-hmm. all of the animation and basically how – Jurassic Park sort of changed the game for mm-hmm. for like computer graphics and being able being able to to yeah. use these like access you know graphics that you you wouldn't have been able before and one of them was um you know one of the 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 graphic designers said I can do your T-Rex and he'd never done one yeah. before and he was really having problems with the walking part that was where it was the most difficult for for the graphics was trying to yeah. make the walk look authentic. I thought it was funny that just as you pointed out the and I've I've read and heard a lot of times that that is a lot of times the most difficult. It's things like walking, you know, yeah. just making that that look as good as possible. Even all these years later, this was 1993. Then I'm talking about Jurassic right. Park, you know. But even now, it's still one of the more difficult things to to when you have you know. You can build anything you want. It still will look a little choppy sometimes. Um, yeah. It but, takes a great artist to really pull that off. And it's hands-on yes. animation and, and the sense of, of movement and how to capture that uh, that not all animators have. And they're they're farming out a lot of this stuff. Make no mistake. I mean, they, they have studios in like other countries where they're doing a lot of the bulk uh, work, you know, like the keyframing and all, all the all the in-between frames. Uh, that they're creating, and a lot of it's done um, with shortcuts uh, in the computer as well. Uh, but if you look at like some old school, like Warner Brothers animation, Looney Tunes stuff, 
you can see the the brilliance of that hand drawn animation and the way that they can uh, exude motion and and capture uh, weight and motion and sometimes extra worldly things, obviously cartoonish things that they could really stretch the limits of of uh, of their expression with, but there's a different level of skill and artistry on display there. And that you also see today at the highest levels of animation that we're just not getting on some of the, I guess you could say lesser important scenes in this. So those scenes, they, they stand out to me. I, I, I immediately go, Oh, that was, that looks like flash animation. That looks like something they, they, they took a little shortcut there. And that's probably my biggest complaint with this episode. And so far from the series is just, I wish that they made it just a little bit more timeless uh, and and shored up those holes. But on the whole, that's kind of being nitpicky. Yeah, I can and that's say. what we like, do. We're gonna nitpick things always, right? But yeah, I I agree. You you can there are little things like that that are that are holes, and it's not it's not perfect by any means. Um, it, it just felt this was way more what I was hoping for than what we got Big last time. week, and I'm I'm. A lot more excited moving forward for the next seven or eight episodes of this show. Not that mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to watch them and be excited when they came through, but this this coming out of this week, I just felt a whole lot different. And I am uh, pleased to know that we're going to get to hear Chadwick uh, in a couple more of these episodes too, yeah. because this, um, you know, he a- any more of him. And I'm gonna go and revisit those movies and revisit him so much and so often throughout uh you know yeah. rewatching and getting to getting to you know see some some new stuff from him is uh is really incredible and yeah i I yeah. was super pleased with this episode as we kind of wrap up and put a bow on it. Were there any other things that we didn't get the chance to uh, to hit on that you wanted to mention? No, it's just uh it's it's a good show, and I'm excited that we're gonna see most likely this version of uh T'Challa again. I, I'm loving that we'll see other versions, uh, you know, and who knows what they'll be. Maybe one will be pretty much the T'Challa we knew from the MCU without any real changes. He'll just be interacting with, you know, an environment and other characters that are maybe radically changed. Uh, or maybe we'll see, you know, Marvel Zombies T'Challa and he's and he's just going brains. Like, I don't know like what, what it will be, but I'm excited to kind of find out. But circling back, uh, this character that they showed us here. I want more of that so much so that I'm thinking like, okay, how do they bring him proper into the MCU? Would they do that? Like they're not going to bring T'Challa back. They've said that because they can't recast Chadwick Boseman, but could like they bring in Lake Heath Stanfield or something like that and have him play this star Lord T'Challa. Would that be a workaround? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Something that like be, that. Yes. I, there we go. <laughs> and, and that is what's so great about this show is where, what happens? I even heard somebody, you know, kind of um, saying that, you know, is Doctor Strange, does Doctor Strange end up at being some, you know, like, uh, a, like he has to go through the different timelines and and collect all these people to help him, you know, w- with things like that could be what's interesting now because we have these different universes. Does he need to go and find people to assemble his team through all these different timelines? You know, he needs to assemble his Justice League or his team of Avengers, but he has to go through these different multiverses. That could be cool mm. as we don't know how this show and how these shows are going to tie in to future projects, but we do know they will. 
They've hit us over the head with that uh, many times to let us know, and that's what uh, makes these shows feel even more important. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoyed this one uh, quite a bit, TK, and I'm very excited to talk about episode three with you moving forward. And we've been seeing yeah, a lot yeah. of the uh, Shang Chi stuff ready. Yeah. I'm getting pumped more and more for that as I'm seeing a lot more of the publicity and a lot of the the. Posters and a lot of the interviews with people There was a little bit of a controversy <laughs> I think Fe- uh, Feige said something and then Simi Liu Didn't really like the way that that was worded So he kind of oh. said something or I think Feige said that They were going to, this was going to sort of be A um, a tr- They were going to try something With the way this movie was released I think it's going to be released for 45 days And then go mm-hmm. on to Disney Plus mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure okay. Instead of like the normal Release, wait, then it goes to the to a movie, um, or and they can have I'm an hour longer that. in the theaters. Um, I'm for it, by the way. I, I want an exclusive theatrical window. I yeah. want to preserve that business model, that experience. I agree. I think there's no way to experience a movie that matches that. You can't do it in the home. The scale is not the same thing. You're not talking about the same thing when you're talking about even a 65 inch, you know, high def TV versus something that is is several feet. So high, <laughs> you know what I mean? A 60 foot screen is way different than a 65 inch screen. Uh, it just that that scale creates a different experience in your mind. You get sucked into that world and you're distracted and, and, and pulled away into the story. If everything's going right, you just can't do that in your home. You're looking at your home. Your eyes are taking in so much more than just the, the picture you're looking at. Your, your, even if it, it's somewhat dark, you're looking at your couch, you're looking at your wall. Worst of all, you're probably looking at your phone too. I know. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Uh, and I love, love, love the theatrical experience. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I want to share that with my son. Uh, and I don't want to go away. So I'm really glad that they're not doing what they did with Black Widow uh, because it'll be on home video for the rest of time. Forever. You know, like we can do we that. Can wait. We, can, we wait. can wait a little bit. I like a, ni- a 90 day window is fine by me, but 45 it's 2021. I'm fine with that. It's cool. Whatever. I'll accept it. But as long as we're, we're going to be able to see movies in the theaters, that's, that's, that's important to me. Absolutely. We have to, we got to get that experience. We have to hear it. We have to hear and feel the surround yes. sound and the action it's, and the explosions exactly. and everything. And, uh, 10 rings. Is going to be uh, the next time we head to the theater to yeah. watch uh, an MCU movie, and not far from now, just a couple weeks from now, and we'll uh, we'll yeah. recap that thing and talk about it here a few days after it's out. But for now, our focus over the next few weeks is going to be what if we'll head to episode mm-hmm. three next week with Tim Kelly. Tim, you can follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. And Tim, let everybody know about the music project that and where we can get the information for that. Yeah, you can check out my music project, Ice Cream Fire, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, anywhere that you stream music. Uh, check us out. It's a project my wife and I have done. We've been on a hiatus for a little while, but we are working on some stuff to put out. Uh, no no dates, uh, TBD just yet, but we got some stuff cooking. Awesome. Can't wait it. I'll, can't wait to hear it. I'll share that around when we do. TK, my man, thank you so much. Look forward to chatting with you again next week. All right, thanks, man. It's it's, it's a great doing this with you every week, and I, I really appreciate it, man. Can't wait till next week. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still got plenty more here on That's What G Said. 
A big thank you to Tim for helping us out with What If. And we're going to move on and start talking some wrestling in just a moment. Before we do, we want to let you know about our friend Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Her website is cindycarava.com. If you need any help in the world of real estate, buying, selling, leasing, she can take care of you. She can connect you with uh, vendors if you just need help with, with home improvement. Maybe you're looking for help with a, a home loan. She can connect you to the right kind of lenders that can get you pre-approved for that. Uh, if you need help with a free market analysis of your home's value, she She'll take care of that for you. CindyCarava.com. That's the website. All of her listings, uh, all the ways you can get in, in touch with her there. And you can check out all the work that she does. CindyCarava.com. Up next, we get into wrestling this weekend. There was so much to talk about. CM Punk made his return on Friday night. Saturday was SummerSlam. A lot of good, some bad, some polarizing. Sunday, NXT TakeOver. What's the future going to be with NXT TakeOver? Where's Adam Cole going? We talk about all of that on This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. So much wrestling over the weekend. We had to do another edition. Actually, this weekend in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Because it was absolutely loaded uh, Chad, I can't imagine You know, I was thinking in my head It's gotta be since WCW was around And WWE both on TV at the same time To where we had a weekend with this much You know, over the last 20 years We have big WWE weeks Usually WrestleMania When there'll be a lot of shows in the area And indie promotions and stuff But this week started with CM Punk Friday We got his return all the news at Rampage, SummerSlam Saturday, Becky's back, we got this crazy Bianca squash, an awesome Edge Rollins match, Brock Lesnar's back, NXT TakeOver, maybe like the final of this sort of NXT era, Samoa Joe's back, he wins the NXT title, what's going on with Adam Cole, talk about a weekend in wrestling. Exhausting, I feel, Monday morning, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't because of a uh, nasty hangover. Uh, it just, it really was, it, it was, it was exhausting. It was a lot to take in. Um, it, it, even if you put the go home SmackDown show, uh, into the fray where we didn't see, uh, Sasha Banks, uh, which was one of the most anticipated matches on the SummerSlam card with her and Bianca. And then, uh, just knowing that we're going to get CM Punk. And we did at the beginning of the show, uh, which carries over to WrestleMania, which, or excuse me, SummerSlam, which felt did, like. Yeah, it did. It feel, it looked, with the stadium look, the feel. Everything, yes. The, it did feel like it. And, wow. I mean, just, if you're a wrestling fan, this was awesome because there was probably some things you didn't like, but there were probably a lot of things throughout the weekend that you did. and. Right. You got a variety, and let let me let's just go in order. We'll start it off with CM Punk. I I was a Punk fan when he was in WWE. I liked Punk. Saw a lot of his stuff that he did before WWE, even before coming there, Ring of Honor stuff, Impact stuff. And it's funny because when he came to WWE, he had such a weird trajectory. He came in as like the hot indie talent, and Paul Heyman loved him, but he didn't. They he was one of the guys that they would. You know, get behind a little bit and then not go all the way with. And he was in the ECW portion for a while and he was on the card and on TV a lot, but it really wasn't until the pipe bomb that he kind of became that top, top, top tier star in the WWE. 
And from about 2011 to 2014 when he left, he was one of the the top guys there. Him and Cena, really, and then Daniel Bryan started the rise. You always have Orton in the mix. I think I knew it was going to be a big deal when he came back, but I think I was even a little bit surprised to see the reaction for so many people with Punk because, I don't know, he never felt to me as much of like a crossover star. He felt like a real wrestling star that the wrestling fans loved. But I was pretty I'm very curious because you and I are recording this on Monday morning So we haven't seen the rating yet But I'm curious to see what it is And I was I was actually even a little surprised to see how, how much CM Punk buzz there was out there on Friday night But you mean you didn't like his straight edge society work in the WWE? <laughs> I didn't <laughs> He was, yeah, he was just always someone that I like respected But you know, up until the pipe bomb it didn't seem like he fully connected in WWE. Then he had that nice, yeah. oh, yeah. nice three-year run or so. Um, but then you're gone for seven years. You try UFC a couple times. That doesn't really work. You come back. You do the WWE backstage thing a little bit. He kind of didn't really talk positively about wrestling for a while. Uh, so you just never knew if he was going to come back. And I didn't know. I, I'm, I am a little surprised at the the response. Not that he was going to get a big pop. People were pumped, but. People were crying, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm, that's, and that's cool, you know. What? Like, I'll never, like, dude. There are things that hit me emotionally, like you know, stuff when you see when I remember when Daniel Bryan or Edge, like those kind of things. Those hit me a little bit more because I think they were like injury related, you know. Right. When I, I feel like when someone's maybe forced in or out, or when they were forced back. But I was trying to think of it like this felt like a really big deal. Um, it, it reminded me of some of the recent comebacks I could think of, you know, like the Hardys at WrestleMania, Edge making his return at the Rumble, um, some of the ones that we didn't quite know. This, so l- let's talk a lot about it. how did you think they did with the way that this was set up? They never even announced it. We just knew for the last couple of weeks with all these rumors that he was coming, and then uh, beginning of the show we get the CM Punk chance, and out he comes. So just the way they handled all of that, do you think that was a good way to do it? Should they have maybe? Advertised it a week out Or did you like the way that they they Kind of were hinting, hinting, hinting And then it was a surprise Well, it, it's I, 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 I'm both ways here If the ratings You know, the, the initial Rampage show I think did around 740-ish yeah. The week before, 700 and something thousand um, Smackdown had a pretty good rating on Friday night. They were down from what 2.4, I think, to 2.2 million. So they had a solid they had a solid lead the last two weeks going into it. But but we're leading up to 90% sure CM Punk is going to be here. It's in Chicago. So I, I, I kind of want to wait. Uh, I want to be that guy and wait and see what no, the rate no, is. No, you're right. You're right. Say, well, they should have done this. I'll tell you right now, I would have probably announced it. I would have now. probably done it myself too. CM uh, Punk will be here this Friday night and just announce it once and leave it at that. Um, would it have been the same people crying? Probably I not. Don't, I, I, probably, I, I thought it was interesting. He came to the ring and then we went to commercial, right? Yeah. We had a commercial break before he spoke. <laughs> Tease it a little uh, bit more, and yeah, we're gonna get you know, to it after like, this. Oh play. god, right. you know, maybe somebody paid a lot of money to get that spot right before he spoke. Who's right? the father? You'll find out when we return. Right after <laughs> the break, right? Um, you know, then you, you get a, you get a lot of chance. Uh, we're in Chicago. It's probably you know that was master planning. I'm not saying he wouldn't have got that in Houston, Jacksonville, Memphis. 
he it, it would have been big, but perfect the, storm. These, it's 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 perfect what they did um you know you get the pipe bomb chance and he sits down and it's just an interesting what how long of a conversation did we have six minutes maybe seven minutes, seven minutes? things things that i loved in his conversation that he said right like okay the brit baker giving giving yes. brit a shout right off the bat awesome like a cool way to come right in and like just connect with these fans Right, like way to give me, like way to. Uh, now I know how to make a kid feel, or thanks for making a kid feel like Britt Baker in Pittsburgh. You know, so that's a cool line right away. And I and I gotta say, he genuinely seemed very happy. He yes. was crying himself. Like this, this, whether or not you like this guy, um, and, you you know, it sucks for anyone to be in a position or in a in a in a job or in a situation that they don't love. And they feel like they 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 can't do the thing they love at that place. So I totally understand. Heck, I left TBG, you know, doing that a place doing what I love just because the the environment there just wasn't right for me anymore. So I totally get all of that. Um, I loved the emotion in his promo. I loved the kickoff with Britt. I loved the like everything up until the taking the shot at WWE. And 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 the, and here's the thing. Like I don't. That's who CM Punk is, and that's we. He's the guy that's going to take shots at everyone, and, and you know, I'm sure at one point he'll be taking shots at AEW because it'll be part of his character and it'll be great. But I didn't know if you needed that for the first time back. I thought that it was such a cool, great energy moment that all these people are just so happy to have you back that you probably could have just rode the really good energy, and then next week, you know, you come back and you start. If you want to talk trash on WWE, that's fine. But I just never, I'm not as much of a fan as as when either company kind of takes the shots at each other because I think you're probably both better off just really doing what you do best and focusing. And this was an, and and that was a nitpick. Like, I, that was one thing I didn't love. I just didn't, I don't hate it because that's who he is. I just didn't think it was completely necessary in the first time we see him right away. Um, I, th- I think I sent you that little joke, uh, that somebody <laughs> posted on Twitter that said, you know, because he talked about how, in 2005, I left pro wrestling, and and you know he's playing on how WWE calls themselves sports entertainment. But um, you know it was it was funny because the, the thing that I sent you had said something along the lines of uh, you know, I left pro wrestling in 2005, went to WWE, became a millionaire, met and married the love of my life, had five star matches with Brock, The Undertaker, Cena, became WWE champion multiple times, had a main event with The Rock, used the fame and my time in WWE gave me to jump to the head of the line at the UFC, got a couple big paydays, and in 2021 I came back to pro wrestling. <laughs> that's what frustrated. That's what frustrated me. It, it, look, I, I can't control. I, I think it does. It doesn't do any wrestler or any company. Uh, regardless, um, any good to to downplay another company. It, the trash talking, sure. I, I mean, I get it. If you're fighting somebody, if you're in the UFC, or even in like an interview, like if you're in a podcast, right, yes, and you're being interviewed yes. and asked questions, and you want to talk, I'm totally fine. But I, I, I mean, I still have the sort of. I know that there's so many internet wrestling fans, and you know the kayfabe stuff isn't the same yeah, as it used sure. to. But I kind of enjoy the. This is our show. This is what we're gonna do. Um, I, I love Darby Allen. Hey, who knows? We'll see how that goes. But like, I thought it was cool. Darby standing up there. Their interaction might not be the best first opponent because I don't necessarily want to see either one of these guys lose right now. Right. But but that'll be cool. 
And that was a moment and he calls him out and he looks at him. I just would have liked, you know, maybe in a month or two, once you, you get off of, you had your first match or whatever, then you can come out sometimes and say, I want to get a couple things off my chest here. You know, I've been around for a while and I've had some time to think, and then you can start doing that if you want. But I, maybe it's just me. Uh, I was so getting wrapped up in this moment where everybody CM Punk, CM Punk. And then he says, let me tell you, you know, I left wrestling in this and he, he takes the jabs and it wasn't like the worst jabs in the world, but I don't know. It's the same thing with Cody in the sledgehammer slam in the sledgehammer through the, the, those kind of things. I like when they try to do AEW instead of trying to, to be, Oh, we're really battling WWE. Let's yeah, just, because, you know, I, would CM Punk be CM Punk without WWE? Absolutely, one hundred percent, no. Not, and that's yeah, for the that's same an, thing yeah. you just said is the same exact reason that I never go out and completely blast places that I worked for before. Right. Because Chad, you don't meet me if I'm not working at TVG. Right. You and I aren't friends. I don't have I don't have a million followers. I have ten thousand, and I've got. A couple that I've got thousands of people that listen to this show every week, and I make a living off of that. And if I didn't hadn't worked at TVG, I wouldn't be in this position. And so, for as much as you are frustrated and things happened that are unfortunate, I think when you, you know, CM Punk would have always been a great wrestler, but if he was living in the TNA Ring of Honor world, he's not getting the pop that he just got the other day. He was never getting those UFC matches or the money or the merch or any of that stuff. So you're 100% right in that That's what, That was the only thing that rubs me the wrong way Because, you know, I, I experienced this exactly Like, I have a lot of bitter feelings towards places that I worked for And people, but if those people put you on national TV <laughs> Where millions of people are getting to watch you every week um, You know, I, it's, that, that's the only thing That, that, was, the, that was the one part Because in, in the 15 minutes that he was out there I liked basically 12 of it and and right. I didn't even hate that stuff. It just kind of makes me a little cringy. I just go, ah, really? Like we got to go there again right now. Everybody's like crying for you here. Then he does the awesome thing with the ice cream bars that he yeah. paid for himself, and yeah. everybody gets these free ice cream bars. So that was the. I thought it was like awesome return. It's going to be a big deal for a, a few weeks, like you said. We got to see the numbers. This is going to hit. I'm sure a big number. Friday, a big number, Wednesday They'll probably get a big pay-per-view buy For his first match against Darby Then we'll see how it can sustain But, hell CM Punk is back and um, He he got a huge He was buzzed, man, he, Friday he was buzzing And into Saturday, he was taking a lot of the buzz Away from SummerSlam, I think Positively or negatively, whatever side You sit on, there was a lot of things to talk about From SummerSlam and NXT Coming out of there, but wow What a start to the weekend with you know, SmackDown, which was very good and, and setting up for for SummerSlam, Edge cut this great promo and then it led us right into Punk starting. Um and I, I w- did you did you catch the um the little uh the little jab at uh Punk that McAfee gave? Oh yeah on, sum- yeah. on SummerSlam with Becky yeah. when she came out and he says, uh, Oh, look, Becky returns, but she's doing more than talking, you know. <laughs> which was, which was funny. look. I know there's some people that don't like McAfee. This dude is. I love him. He is WWE has. He's already had a, a, a big audience, but WWE has elevated him again. Here, here it is, and it's a whole new crowd. And I promise you, 
There's a lot of WWE fans that probably listen and watch his show every day because of that. And and one last thing will pump for me. I thought it was really interesting after the show, all of the workers taking photos with him. Yeah. Uh, like it was the return of Elvis Presley. You're right. You know, you're right. It was all over Twitter, every worker. Uh, you know, let's see how long that lasts. That's, you know, I'm pump, curious on that too. It's a know, honeymoon period right a now. A lot of roles, you know. Yeah. It's really good. We got the guy, and you're about to get another guy, uh, and maybe a possible third guy. Um, and like Punk said, you know, I've got a lot to say and do on every Wednesday, Friday, and sat four Saturdays or Sundays out of the year. That's a lot of time. He's not going to have a one minute segment. He's no. not. Anytime no. he's on TV, it's not going to be one. Mm-hmm. And that's that. where, with where, they are. Like if I was AEW right now, and it sounds really weird. Like you're, you always want to keep bringing in the most top talent that you can bring in. But if you got Daniel Bryan coming in, you just brought in Punk, and if you've got either a Bray Wyatt or even an Adam Cole on the way, like you gotta maybe stop for a little bit because they're getting into the exact same problem that we had with WWE, where this was WCW at the end. You start hiring everybody because everybody wants to go to AEW right now. It's the cool place to go um, because it it is like people see what. What CM Punk had And it's like yeah who doesn't want that But unfortunately Nobody's getting that That's the problem is that CM Punk is nobody else is CM Punk Unfortunately like he is the biggest Get they could have got Maybe short of like The Rock You know like or John Cena Like one of them like a lifetime WWE -er Because there's nobody from the indies Or there's nobody else on the WWE Roster even right now I, okay, let's say maybe there's five people I think that you could say that are like comparable to Punk And they wouldn't even be The fans wouldn't even respond the way they did It would just be It would feel like more of a WWE loss Right? No, because I, look when Sting came over to AEW You didn't get that feeling No, not at all There were Roman, Charlotte, Cena, Brock, The Rock That's it Right? Agreed. One, one yes. of them going to AEW would be like Oh my gosh, that was a WWE like Wow, like that would feel really. There's nobody else that's bigger than Punk, so for, it's unfortunate because even Daniel Bryan's going to come in and it probably is not going to feel as big. I mean, they're still going to he's going to get the res- great response and it's going to be a the the crowd's going to go crazy for him. But it's funny, like Malachi Black feels like nothing like it was two months ago. <laughs> that feels like it was, and and like I'm thinking about like, oh my gosh, where's Adam Page? I know he he left for you know apparently he's going to have a kid, you know, but. We started that storyline with him, then it's just totally out of sight, out of mind. And, and I mean, like, he lost that tag match, and now it's been like, oh, we haven't even seen him or heard from him or anything. Um, I'm worried the, about the Miros the, of the world, you know, yeah. the Jungle Boys he, of the world. Yeah, the guys pops. yeah the uh, Orange Cassidy's who are just now probably going to be regulated to YouTube. Uh, but look, and you got to remember, this Friday show is not going to be live. All the time and and it will start being taped um, You know do you save CM Punk for Friday night so you just keep him on Wednesday night Is he gonna work every Wednesday night you're gonna have to travel every You know th- there's a lot of what ifs but you know we have to get there first I'll say this kudos for them getting him that is, that is a massive sign 100%. I, As much as I dump on them um, they did it they delivered it, and it was massive. If if you don't like CM Punk, you had to stay off. And, and she, you know, we we you said that like we, and I think it's just more that we critique everything, and that's what we do here. Is right. that 
Some people will say like, oh, you don't love W, you don't love AEW, and you're a WWE shill. And, I, and I'll say, you obviously haven't listened to this week in wrestling with me and Chad because we will go through every show, and it's not that I don't love W uh, AEW. I like a lot of AEW. I just see, I see the response to it that people just are willing to let that like everything is perfect, and that's I just don't feel that way when I watch any show. And so I will never blindly defend well, Probably like anything you know, uh, Because there's always things that you can nitpick And critique and that's sort of what we're doing We're playing fantasy booker right. here We've watched wrestling our entire lives How how would we have enjoyed it a little bit more Right what could we have What could they have done differently to make that a little bit better um, And so now I think With AEW bring in D-Bry Bring if, you're, if it's Bray Or if it's Adam Cole or if it's one of them But then you gotta think You have three hours of TV each week that is that's it. that's it and youtube like you said that doesn't count i'm sorry no. like dark that's and elevation the, the, that's great for their development stuff if they but then what you know unfortunately getting on tv is what really matters so if, you know if all these people are leaving you know i i, I see talents like a sean spears or like a you know a ftr the revival and some of them you know they probably are Feel a little bit better about the company That they're in now Because maybe they're getting a little More creative control or You know having a say in certain things here Or there but have they been used That much better I mean I don't and I don't and it really You know people freak out including Me there's a, there's a lot of questions When WWE goes on these Big layoffs and these big Releases it's like why 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 We haven't gotten that with AEW and, and it's inevitable. Know. It's going to happen in a year or two when the contracts come up. They, they can't keep signing. everyone. Yeah, they are signing so many people. If you just look at the show last Wednesday, we had five matches in Houston, Texas. You had five matches, I believe, maybe six, and I'm missing one. On Friday, you had what six people on the show? The whole show because you had Punk for the first twenty minutes. Right. You had two. You had a tag match, and then a one-on-one main event match that. You've been sort of building this guy, you know, pretty well, and then Mox kind of squashed him because I think it was like a time constraint sort of thing. Because like two minutes, they only had it, and that was, you know, unfortunate with what what was sort of a problem with what they did with SummerSlam. As we'll transition sort of from AEW a little to WWE, is that we knew WWE wasn't going to be able to have this really long show. Although they <laughs> they went longer than they were supposed to, but they just kind of tried to jam a little too many things onto the the SummerSlam card. It looked like um, they they always have a kickoff match, which is fine. People are getting into the building, and they had Big E versus Corbin, so Big E was able to just kind of take his his briefcase back there. Um, but you know, Alexa, Eva, um, it, it, Drew, Jinder, we knew was gonna was gonna be a squad. That wasn't much. Um, and then the way they ended, like Lashley Goldberg, there were just some sort of some head scratching things. Let's kind of quickly get through the uh, the SummerSlam card. Um, right. I thought it was a great way to open the show, though, with RK Bro. The yes. crowd was really into them. This match wasn't, you know, it's not like a fifteen minute five star classic, but this was fun, good opener. Um, crowds going hot for RK Bro afterwards, and I thought things got started in a fun way. Short and sweet. Um, that that that's what we needed. A title change, uh, something that. We- we expected, but you never know until the match ends what you're going to get. And it's a good move. You got a good little moment there. Uh, Orton and Riddle, uh, they're the tag champions. You get a little hug there. 
You'll probably have a chase uh, for a little bit with AJ and Omos, but now you can pull AJ out, send him to SmackDown, new feud there. Great way to start uh, SummerSlam. A good short and sweet match. Seven minutes, new tag champs. What we Could wanted. be a WrestleMania match next Absolutely. year. Riddle Absolutely. Orton, right? They feud for, they had the tag team titles for two months. You start at Survivor Series. So they lose, they start to show the cracks. Royal Rumble, one eliminates, Riddle eliminates Orton, right? And then boom, you got a few. Like, that's, that, that would be great. Alexa, Eva just felt, it was three minutes and 50 seconds. Right. Eva picks up the doll and she starts smacking the doll around. Alexa wins. There wasn't right. anything really like mystical or hokey. Um, and, and they, it just, I haven't loved this. They they felt like they they skipped a couple weeks because now Dewdrop sort of turned. Did she turn on Eva? She took her jacket. She introduced. She you know she said the loser is Eva at the end. It almost feels like they they were going quickly and then we didn't see any progression of a story for like a month and then at, now quickly Dewdrop leaves her. So I just this didn't need to be on the card, unfortunately. Uh, it was a blow. It, it was a blow off. Uh, I mean, you got to have a couple of blow offs, but this one probably needed to be. I, I, I don't even know if you could put this on the pre-show because it felt like they just fast forwarded what you said. It, it just felt like in what three minutes and fifty seconds they yeah. fast forward the whole feud into this. I, I'm sure we're gonna get some 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 resentment in a couple of weeks of this. But it, it it was dead probably when Eva Marie came back and in the arena and we didn't get anything. Mm-hmm. Um, You're right. You were you were saying it from the beginning. She is a heat magnet, and she just for whatever reason when they put her in this situation, she just wasn't getting the heat. Maybe one or two weeks at the beginning with Dewdrop, or she was kind of really talking down to her. But since then, it, and it had just been people just don't care. Right. Do not you know? care. And, and I that's, don't. That's the worst part. And entertainment is, you know, just not caring. Uh, I thought this was a really good night for Damian Priest. Yes. He looked and Seamus man again. Just like shout out to him over the last year, year and a half. And I saw, I think I saw a lot of uh, in the last month or two, a lot of people kind of reminding you how good Seamus is. You know that he's underrated. This guy very rarely goes in there and has a clunker. Look at some of the the really good. Uh, you know talents he's worked with through the years he, You can slot him in anywhere you need Mid card you can put him into a main event You can have him in a tag he's done all of Those well and The it was you know Starting to build 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 and then I thought The last five minutes of this match were Very very good Very good perfect timing Right at 14 minutes mm-hmm. I, you know I Even saw Seamus tweet you know hey Look the lad raked my eyes he cheated In any type of fight you know It, it was just He's been solid, and hopefully Priest, um, you know, we, we get a take to him. Um, he's a really good talent. This is per- a perfect belt for, for him, and I like what you've been saying over the last couple of Open weeks. Open challenge, right? Open That'd challenge be great. This guy get him over, and uh, you don't have to worry about him. Um, Baby but face, again, it's perfect. You bring him out, and you, the first one is Ricochet. You have sure. him go 15 minutes with Ricochet, their buddies, they, then they shake hands afterwards. Then the next week, you bring someone up from, you know what I mean? Like, you debut someone, an NXT per whatever you want. It's just, it's a good way to get him out there with new opponents. You're not doing the same rematch thing every single week, and you get people to really enjoy, because the guy can go. He can wrestle. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mind this at all. I thought this was a good, a good moment for Priest, and, uh, you know, when, when we talk, and this is the same thing, when you talk about NXT 
Everybody just talks about how Oh well nobody from NXT Ever gets over on the main roster Nobody (laughs) from NXT ever gets over And has any success and there are a lot Of people we could point to that were Really good on NXT and came up And got treated like crap on on The main roster totally agree but then You can point to a couple people right here like Riddle and Priest yes They're both having fine runs right now There were both NXT talent recently That got called up And when you think about someone like Adam Cole He's a way bigger star than both of them Yes Riddle or Priest There is no reason why he couldn't come up immediately And be a major player We'll get to more on Cole in just a minute Uh, Usos, Mysterios I was a little surprised here But it feels like they're kind of telling the Mysterios Maybe turning on each other story Um and I think what what hurt this a little bit it was it was a good match. It was just under eleven minutes, like no complaints on the work in general. I think we've just kind of seen a lot of this now on SmackDown over the last month two months of combinations of them and then singles matches that it didn't feel quite as fresh. But no real knocks on it. it was it's fine, really good tag match for a pay-per-view. yeah, we, we just had another singles match uh, between Friday, Uso, right? Friday yeah. on Friday, and it's like, come on, guys. I mean, it, look, it's quality matches. But it's just something we don't need to see. Uh, we don't need to see a rematch on SmackDown. I'd like to see some cracks in the foundation here. If that's the direct th- direction mm-hmm. they're going, it would be fresh. The sun turns on dad. I, I, I can go with that. But we need some new contenders for the Usos, that's for sure. And I think it's October where the draft is supposed to be. Okay. Uh, that's what I've read. <laughs> so think about it. We're at the end of August. We've got about you know maybe six weeks between. So maybe you get... The next pay-per-view where you kind of end some of these feuds Or you get sort of like blow-offs And then maybe we get a lot of situations that are kind of like loser leaves towns Where, you know, someone will lose and then head to, to Raw or to SmackDown We then got probably the most polarizing thing of the entire weekend That people were talking about So, Sasha and Bianca were scheduled to have a match We had all been hearing for the last Week that it's very unlikely Sasha is going to wrestle because she wasn't Cleared we didn't hear exactly why Rumor it could be an injury but there are Things about maybe COVID stuff Vaccine who knows whatever reason Sasha wasn't cleared so Bianca comes out they roll The entire video package Like Sasha is going to be in the match And then the announcer Says Sasha Banks has not Been cleared to wrestle Carmella Comes out (laughs) I really Feel bad for Carmella the I position really they put her in Because they made her, everybody boos Because we've just seen Carmella get beat by Bianca Like three times, she just beat her again on, on Smackdown, everybody was hoping For this Sasha-Bianca match That was the main event of Wrestlemania Night 1 this year and was an awesome okay, match Let me stop you, let me stop you Gina Did you feel like something was about To happen? Oh yeah, I knew it was coming Like I knew, okay. and, and we'd heard Becky So when everybody started to Complain about the bait I didn't mind the bait and switch. Okay. I the 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 promising Sasha and then Becky coming out, that doesn't that doesn't bother me. The whole oh, uh, you know, even even the Carmella thing, I feel bad for whoever would be put in that position because then Becky just beats her up and tosses her aside and she's like, "Okay, I'm here." I just I didn't love the the squash to Bianca. Now I get I get why they do it. I I did. I get why they did it. Um I just Bianca felt like one of the better uh, built stars recently. Talk about people they brought up from NXT and they've done really well. She's very liked, and I don't, I don't know if I how I would have done it differently because I kept trying to think of it in my head. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to go fifteen, 
then then what's the point of giving them like four? Right. So so I the squash makes more sense to me than having them go like a four minute match and and Becky beating her. I get that she just got caught and she wasn't expecting Becky to be a heel about it. And from all of the reports, this is what they were planning on doing. They wanted Becky to be a heel because they knew she's going to come out. She's going to get the big pop, but then she turns heel. Now, could they have in a weird way, like back, could this positively backfire on them? Like what they did with Daniel Bryan. That's the, that's That's my concern because she's so popular, you know? Um, so it, yeah, my biggest question here is Do people boo Becky? Well, and this is one the my most important question coming out of SummerSlam. I have one other, like a one B, but one A. The follow-up to Becky Bianca is really going to be important. Huge. Huge. And if, it's got implications where it can destroy, it can this could really backfire on them. Yep. It, if Bianca gets she, I think she's gonna. She's a massive baby face now. I think she's more over now than she was. As long as she's still out on our TV and in a feud with Becky, right? As long as if they build this up for a month and then they give them a great 15, 20 minute match and Becky's a cheap heel again at the end and finds a way to weasel out of it, that, that I'm cool with that. I would love that. And then you've got Bianca chasing her, and then maybe this is a WrestleMania match. Yeah, because your next pay-per-view is, if I'm not mistaken, it's in September and it's Extreme Rules. And then after that, I think October, is they go back to, what, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi for the yep. Crown Jewel somewhere. And then you have uh, Survivor Series, which really, it's a big pay-per-view, but it's not like what it used to be. And I don't think they're going to waste uh, Extreme Rules, Becky and Bianca, do they? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Apollo, the follow up is really it's huge really with it because this, you're right. Like this is one that it's because a lot of people don't want to give WWE the benefit of the doubt in a situation like this, and I can understand if you don't, right? Because there have been a lot of situations where they've actually buried people. I just don't get the feeling that she's going to get buried. I don't no, get it, the feeling it, that she's going to be like off of our TV and like wrestling on main event next week. Man, and I saw nasty comments. WWE's racist. Uh, Bianca has been buried. I can't. I knew they would do something cheap. Let me. Let me. Let me say one thing. I don't know this to be factual, but I would bet a lot of stuff that Vince did not get worried when he saw CM Punk on Friday night and he called Becky Lynch and and, and Brock Lesnar on Saturday morning and said, "Can you come to SummerSlam?" I just. I agree. I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I don't that. know Vince either, and I, I know a lot of people are like want want. But even hearing in that Tony Khan interview that you and I spoke a little bit about, oh, yeah. and that could be all speak, but they seem so like robotic, you know, like ro- robotic. such like robots, you know, like they're they're living in their world. Yeah, I don't know how much Vince really cares about AEW, and you know what? That's a that's a negative for him sometimes, it is. right? It is. Like it sometimes. Is. That hurts. Sometimes he should see, like, look at what they are doing with some of the guys that you screwed up with that you could have done. But I, I know what you mean. Like, I don't know if he's like changing plans and reacting to what they're doing. I think this was probably what he want he wanted to do all along, or him him knowing like I've got Becky and Brock and they're coming and we're gonna start building. Um, it's all about the follow up with this one. Yeah, because a lot of people wanted her on Raw with Charlotte. Right, yep. we'll get to Charlotte in just a second. Second, but it, it's with Seth uh, on on 
the SmackDown brand, it made most sense for her to go there. Now she beat Bianca, you know, and was a face. Then you're going to have issues. I think that hurts Bianca more than anything. And I think that buries her more than Becky coming out as a kind of a heel and, and squashing her. If Becky come out, it comes out in the face as a face. Bianca is just going to be buried. She's in trouble. In but Becky's well, got to come out and lay into the heel shit, yes. right? Yeah. She's got to come Bianca out and can't be a heel. Yeah. She just can't. Yeah. So, so Becky, follow up and... here, man. This is this is this is vital for both. Follow for up both. is going to be yeah. really massive on Friday night. I opened the show with this on Friday night. Now I know you got, you know, Brock and Roman will deal with here in just a second. But I think this is more important than that. I agree. Clarifying this is the most important. Yes. Right. Where we're going here and defining the role that Becky is a heel, you know, and that Bianca is going to chase her. And then, then I'm cool with that. Um, we knew what we were getting with Drew and Jinder, uh, four minute, 40 second, you know, squash for the most part. Drew gets a win. It just, you know, it did, it's fine. It was fine. It was short. We knew this was going to happen for the most part. It was get Drew out there and get him a pop. And they they wanted to get Nakamura out on the show and get him a pop too. They they literally had him come out just for McAfee to get crazy and for Boogs to 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 play him out. So hey, Boogs uh, had a match on SmackDown. He was involved. I like. He looked good. I love Boogs. Yeah, (laughs) I like that role. Put Boogs in as like sort of the heater. You know, he can uh, he can take some bumps here and there. The the women's triple threat match, it goes 13 minutes, and the match is really good. You know, like, the crowd was, I think, at the the middle to the end of this match is where the crowd started to pick back up. Because they were, they were got, they got lost for a little bit after yeah. that Bianca thing. They didn't really know what to think. Um, and it felt like they weren't really into the Drew match all that much. I think it was by the end of this and then the beginning of Edge Seth where they got into it. Good match with the women. You know, we we said it from the beginning. They told this Nikki Ash story so backwards and so wrong. She yeah, should have been more because I, the reports are there that she got she didn't really get much attention there with the crowd. They didn't really pop for they. No. You may have sounded better on TV, but we probably you know know why it probably sounded better. But it's not her fault. It's no. really not. She had no time to breathe with with that. She wins, and she then said. she's the like lovable loser. It's loser, it's sure. backwards. She should yeah, have been. Building this character before she won the money in the bank. Yes. And then she wins the money in the bank and she's got it. And she goes, now I've got this. And now I've, I'm one step away. And then we kind of get behind her a little bit more. When she won the title, the pop was cool. But we talk about what you do afterwards. What they did with her afterwards in just losing the matches to Charlotte and Rhea were it just it didn't help her at all. It didn't no, help anyone, you know. And now, now that character, I don't know if that character really means anything it's now dead. or not. Maybe she Charlotte for a little bit, but I would I would go away. Yeah, you, you know. So Charlotte, when they want to do a revamp, a reset, you can put it on Charlotte and kind of figure yeah. out where to go from here. You know, the safe one to have it. Um, my personal, there there might have been one match that I thought. Um, maybe one or two that I thought may have been better over the weekend, but my personal favorite match of the weekend was the one that you and I were the most excited heading in, and I I think it really delivered. Edge, Seth, we got the Brood theme. Um, fantastic! It was great. Uh, Edge, everything about this was excellent, and I even I have to take this from someone that I uh, on uh, on Wrestling Inc. Glenn over there. He said Seth has to do. His gimmick where he's now Seth the Vampire Slayer <laughs> Which I thought was just great Just great So 
This um yeah, this was probably my favorite 15 20 minutes maybe of the whole weekend. I it was good. I, I went on Friday night, he he ruined Seth's suit. Um the entrance was money. I love the finish. I I I, I look when, when I thought about this match how how you know Edge is, is going to have to win. I just didn't want it to be something ordinary and a submission to Seth Rollins. It just, just puts the icing on the cake of this story. As much as we have crapped on WWE and we do it a lot. This has been fantastic. And this entire match, 21 minutes of it, as good as advertised, the submission to Seth. I mean, the story was told, man. I mean, that's, that's, it was perfect. It, that's just drives me crazy of same card. How can they do so this so well? And matches. then we got Alexa earlier on the card, you know? Yeah. And, and Goldberg's kid getting in the ring. And so Goldberg, now are we going to get a tag? That was next. So we, and oh, I got to say, go to that because I have so many questions for this. Okay. So, so many complaints. This thing is seven minutes, Lashley Goldberg and garbage for the first like four or five. It's what you're expecting. Like, you're like, okay, these guys are going at each other pretty good. Like, you know, you're getting some of the big moves. It's what you would expect from Goldberg. Then we get Goldberg, like, selling this knee injury, which is like, Goldberg's never been someone to sell. That's just not what he does. Like, why, why are we putting him in this spot? And then why don't we just have him lose? We have his son jump. Goldberg, it's the match gets stopped by you know by the referee stoppage. So then Goldberg's son comes in and jumps on you know on the back of what Lashley and we obviously are teasing to something with Goldberg's son getting involved. Like I don't need more of this. This felt like a SummerSlam. Lashley beats him and you just move on. Why do we have? We're gonna have more Lashley Goldberg and now the son getting in the mix. I just did not like all of this. No, and, and just hit, with the injury, the ref stop, stopping the match, you knew we're gonna get we're gonna get more of this. And, and you probably, I, I, a buddy of mine, uh, tells me that Goldberg still has several matches left on this WWE. Two more conference. this year that he has to, to wrestle. Would you say four? Four? I think, yeah, I think it's like four a year. And I think he's got so I think he's got two more this year. So you're probably going to get a tag match and you're probably going to get a rematch probably at Crown Jewel where where a lot of the money that WWE gets paid, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds, to go overseas. That's probably going to be one of those matches over there. You'll probably get some kind of tag match at Extreme Rules. It's just bad. This is... Look, I like Bobby Lashley. I think he's great. I, I, I think the title needed to be on him at WrestleMania. It has just been bad. This has been bad for him, man. Yep, really it, bad for him. It, it's brought him down. And um, he doesn't feel nearly as big as the champ on the other brand, Roman Reigns, who oh, this no. felt like a main event of a big Ooh. pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, again, another guy, if you like him, if you don't. But you got to give it up for John Cena, who he comes back. He has no reason to come back at all. He's, he's in the middle. He's got something minute match. No. He's got all these movies going on right now. Television shows, game shows, everything. He doesn't need to come back to do this, but he comes back for the summer. Shows up at Money in the Bank. He really ignites. You know, the the last six weeks or so, he made the weekly TVs better. People were he was selling tickets at the house shows. He wrestled like twelve or fourteen matches on dark shows that we didn't and dark you know matches. That's- 
that we didn't even see And he didn't have to do any of that He did it just for the fans because they were paying tickets to see him He wanted to wrestle Let and, me piss people off CM Punk's not wrestling on, on any dark matches I just I, I know. No, I'm, but you're right He didn't not, need to do any of that No, He could get crazy. hurt when he's got all these big things coming up And you know what? He goes out there He goes for 30 minutes He loses clean And he gets his ass right out he does that all the time too. He did that against Brock. He does that. He goes in and he'll get his ass kicked, put someone over, and then get on his way out for the next guy to come right in. Hey, I you know what? And after the guy, show, can you imagine Hogan doing something like that? No. And after, guy, and after the show, Gino, he got his ass kicked again. F five by Brock Lesnar. Like that's just a guy who wants to help the company put yes. the next guy over. I mean. Yes. Brock shows up with his ponytail. He's looking like badass lumberjack Brock. <laughs> you know, and and now we got a bunch of questions to ask. Which direction are we going here? We Ooh. got Heyman in the mix. How are they gonna react? I know some people came out and thought, wouldn't it almost be cool if Brock shook Roman's hand and they were like aligned for a little bit, like a two-man power trip, and then they turn. But you know, this is very intriguing because now. We've got them on opposite sides. We had these Brock Roman matches for years that they kept building to, but nobody really wanted Roman to be the guy to go over. But now people probably want Roman to go over as the heel, you know, which is funny. But I'm, I will say that they did a good job, WWE, of um, whether it was a direct response or whether it was just, hey, this is one of our big shows and we are going to have some big surprises here because this is where we'll start to set up what's next. Becky and Brock are going to help this product a lot in the next months moving forward. They add something, they bring a freshness uh, to a, a product that gets very stale sometimes and gets very repeated. Well, uh, and I think there was, I don't know how solid the rumors were, but there was some some people that are respected in the uh, wrestling news uh, reporting industry that Brock uh, had received an offer from AEW at mm-hmm. one time. They they yeah. were so him coming out doing this, and as you said, in a more babyface role now. He's got this ponytail, and the look on Roman's face and Paul Heyman and in the crowd is just. I would have loved to seen the the after show. Raymond Lee uh, Roman leaves and and Cena take the F fives and just you know people are going nuts. But hey, again. Kudos, major kudos to John Cena. What he does, not just for WWE, but for the Make a Wish Foundation. He's um, a good dude, man. It's so just many, a good dude. So many you know? nonprofits. I don't care if you like John Cena, don't like his hair, love his hair, hate his silly movies. That maybe you're good. He's got a new Hulu, you know, uh, show movie that's that, that's coming on Hulu now. Take what you don't like away with him with the ring. What he's done outside of the ring, that is one of the best dudes on this planet, man. He has been a fantastic dude. There's been times where I've hated the guy. Me too. I, We've I, got annoyed I, with him. You get sick of him. It's just oh, no. Yes, but man, when he when people go away and, and people are are built in the right way, what he's done in this short time to put Roman even over more and what and do what's best, uh. Um, it was awesome stuff, man. man. Just All timer. It, it was. It was a great SummerSlam. It I, I know. It, it, it was, was polarizing, long, but it was really good. Yeah, there were three or four po- things that I will absolutely remember: the Cena Rain stuff, the Edge Rollins stuff, 
the RK Bro winning, Damian Priest winning. Those to me are the highlights of the show. And now, and then for whatever reason, like it or not, you're always you're gonna remember that Becky Bianca, you know, interaction. So um, we move to NXT, and uh, the guy that's a star on the on the uh, pre-show, Ridge Holland, man, this dude looks looks like a legit star. And we've heard that there may be some changes coming to NXT. But you and I were talking about it. We listened to that Nick Khan interview too. Um, it, I I don't get the 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 gist that like NXT's dead or that I no. think people are maybe. Overblowing the kind of changes that are going to happen Because I mean People like Big E People like Roman Reigns People like Ridge Holland right here People like Baron Corbin People like that are in the WWE People like Brock Lesnar Are in the WWE And because of The wanting to get athletes And looking for guys or gals That can main event Wrestlemania And so I don't I know a lot of people didn't like the verbiage that they said We're looking for bigger or stars Or maybe we're not going to go and find all the indie talents as much I don't I don't know I mean from the very beginning They were they had Seth Rollins in there Mixing with guys like Big E I think you're always going to get a combination of that And it's just going to be maybe a refresh A rebrand you know, Changing things up a little bit Which they could use Change is good I have no mind No problems with them changing some things you know, don't turn it into a a raw. I no. don't think we're going to get that by, by watching NXT. I, I mean, that was a hell of a show. This Sunday show night. was amazing. Amazing I mean, NXT takeover. These takeovers do not disappoint. And there was a there were a couple of matches on here that just were fantastic. I, I you know, we'll get to Cole in just a second. I just don't know what they're going to do here, but there were a couple of matches on here, including the women's NXT championship match, which many people thought, well, Renee or uh, Ra- uh, Raquel it, it isn't as good. That was fantastic. She man. is great. That Dakota's great. Either one of them, like Dakota could go up to the main roster right now. You know, um, Raquel Absolutely. probably needs. She might. She might. And Raquel could maybe just use a little bit more like just time with the title, but she's ready. She she has yes, gotten she quick and improved in a in an instant. And what's cool about her is she's got a different right. She's got like a different look, size kind of feel to her than a lot of the other women. She was wearing the Britney red. I thought she looked fantastic in that like red. You know, uh, I think it was a play on a, a former Britney Spears uh, getup. So oh, that yeah. was yeah. really good stuff from the ladies there. And then you know the the in my opinion the best. Quality match of the weekend Just in ring Was dragging off Walter Oh my gosh These two dudes Just beat the hell out of each other For 22 minutes Dragging off with the baby face win Walter goes down He never gets beat This was phenomenal And and maybe Walter he, He's always been teased If uh, being brought up to the main roster If he's someone you know, he himself just didn't want to move and didn't want to be in the U.S. If he is, he's a big dude that could, you know, bring some life onto either side of the new roster. You could put the Imperium with him, and he's got a little faction. I'm not sure if, if they're going to do that, but uh, this was a this was a really hard hitting match. It was better than the original, and I'll tell you this: I'll give uh, credit where credit is due. You know, Dave Meltzer, Meltzer is. You know, he, he, you talk about us being hard on, on certain things. Uh, this, this guy is just really, really has become 
most of the time anti WWE just for the simple fact that he's buddies with most of the AEW guy, New mm-hmm. Japan, and that's his style that he prefers until the, instead of the entertainment side of it. I will tell you this. He is quoted last night by saying that was one of the best WWE matches, top 10 of all time. Yeah. I think a lot of people that's, are saying that, this that is, is the match of the year, was, any promotion. Man, that, was, that was really good. That was really good. And it sucks that, that O'Reilly and Cole had to follow it. You're right. Cause you, you could kind of feel it. Of, you could kind of feel it. it. Look, the crowd was so hot in the beginning and they stayed hot. But they were so hot for Grimes and L.A. Knight, which was a fantastic opener. And L.A. Knight, I got us L.A. Knight, if you were one of the people who said, and this guy's not very good in the ring, I bet you you've probably changed your tune in the last two months because this guy is getting better and better. Hell, he could come up right now on the main roster and be fine. He would be a great mid-card heel to talk, put him in a feud for a U.S. title against Priest right away. Boom. You know, like... Anything like he would be great as a mid card act, and you had DiBiase, Grimes with the vest. Oh my gosh, that looked hilarious! And <laughs> he was great in the ring. This, like, this was my second. This and Edge are, you know, and Edge Rollins were the things I was the most excited for, and they delivered. They they were yeah. so good. So you had the the Grimes LA Night match, which was awesome to start that we've loved for weeks. Then you got the women's match right after it, which was awesome. You got Dragon off Walter, which is Great and then O'Reilly Cole was very good and it was 25 minutes And it was two out of three falls The only thing is is like you said I think You had three really good matches To start and then this one Was more of a longer match and it was one That we've kind of seen these guys For a while so I wonder If it was um, You know people weren't quite as excited And then they definitely booed When Kyle O'Reilly won because this crowd Was really into Cole the theory behind, well, why wasn't this the main event? Well, why wasn't this? Why didn't Adam Cole, you know, go over? And then, of course, the Young Bucks trolling, you know, new bio, you know. And then then there's, you know, Britt Baker, his girlfriend. She's tweeting, uh, you know, with the eyes emoji. There's just several things. The guy could be coming up. I thought, you know, I, I know the WWE style is if you're coming up, most of them lose their last match. Yep. Yep. They just do. I just thought Adam Cole was a guy that probably, not that he needed it, but I don't think O'Reilly needed to win. No. Staying down and caught in, and he Adam's going up. I almost, I almost think that Cole did this on purpose. Cole, this is his buddy, you know, that they, yeah. like, I think he might have said, hey, look, I'm gone. Whether he's going to AEW, Raw, SmackDown. Give this to Kyle because he can at least take this win and like get a rub off of it because I'm out like I'm out of here. And and I, I really think that's what it came down to. Now, if it were me and everyone talk about does he go to AW, like you said, his, his fiance is there. A lot of his friends are there. He did the elite stuff with them. Um, But, you know, people forget how well I know Adam Cole did not get brought up in four years when he did come up. For that time period around Survivor Series When they were doing the NXT stuff He got wins over Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins He was cutting major promos He was getting TV time And he felt like a very big deal He was not someone that came up and got Jobbed just like Karrion Cross did He was not treated that way Now that doesn't mean that he won't be or wouldn't be But when in the small sample size That we've seen 
He actually was treated like a big star If it were me Right now at this time And I was Adam Cole I would take a shot on the main roster And I would look around and see and say You know what on Raw you know, like, or There's not like I have a shot to maybe Come up and catch some lightning in a bottle right now I'm only 32 I sign a Contract here for two or three years I make My money and then if it doesn't work Okay screw it I go somewhere else and I have Fun but I don't I don't look at AEW and think uh, that I don't know how much room there's going to be right now for Adam Cole to come in and be like a huge part of that company. Um, somebody's going to get lost in the shuffle. If so, if it were me, I would I would stay, and I would hope that you know everyone's motivations are different, right, Coop? Some people want to go to AEW and have fun because that's what they want. But to some people. Being the guy in WWE or main eventing WrestleMania, those kind of things, that's still really important. Heck, that was the thing that pissed CM Punk off, one of the biggest things, right. that he never got a chance to do that. So you never really know what's going on in someone's head. One thing we know for sure is that uh, his NXT days are over. Done. He's right? done there. We we will not see him back on NXT. Now, never say never, but in the immediate future, that was it. I mean, he's gone. Um you're gonna ha- now. What do you, what do you do with Adam Cole if if he resigned with the WWE this past weekend? Which there are some rumors that he did that, signed a big contract. He's staying for a couple of more years. What do you do with him? Now? I show up on Monday Night Raw tomorrow tonight, and I, I attack Drew McIntyre. Curry. Yes, and you attack Drew. Drew's got nothing going on. He just got rid of Jinder. You have you have Adam Cole come up. You have him in a feud with Drew. You have him beat Drew, and then Drew in October goes to SmackDown. You switch you switch him up, you, and you bring that way. Adam Cole comes in right away. He attacks someone. Him and Drew have a chemistry together. They know each other. They can have a fun little back and forth. You have Cole beat a big star right away. Drew's gone, and then boom, you've got this guy. Then maybe do you want to send him to the U.S. title for a priest, or do you want to even is he even more elevated than that? Who knows? But I think that would be a great way to bring him in, introduce him, give him a win over someone, and then with the draft coming up, that loss it won't hurt Drew that much. You you, you flip him over to SmackDown and you tweak him and refresh him. That's I agree. I think the longer he stays out, the longer fuel and speculation are on the internet, and they try to. Just crap and destroy on him staying with the WWE, and mm-hmm. maybe it's not as received as well. It would I, I, the guy would be on my TV on Monday night. I think for for wrestling, it would be better. The best thing for wrestling would be for him to be on WWE TV and just treated like a star. Yes, if they if they treated him well, that would be the best thing for wrestling because AEW will be good. WWE programming will be better. I'm just worried. I don't want all these really good talents that we like, even if sometimes they don't get treated the greatest on WWE TV. I still like to see them. I still like seeing them, you know, getting the chance to watch them perform. A lot of this we may not be able to get to see all that much if they head to AEW. So this is something we're going to be talking about. And, you know, when we talk in the next few days, we might know. We might see him show up on Monday Night Raw. We are literally recording this. Hours before Monday Night Raw Maybe he doesn't, he takes a week off Maybe he shows up on Smackdown He could literally show up on Wednesday on AEW Dynamite Because I don't think he has it If he has not re-signed, I'm pretty sure that by When he extended the contract There wasn't a non-compete So that right. way um, 
This is going to be a major topic uh, moving forward. Final thing before we finish up this shortened uh, edition of this week in wrestling with Chad Samoa Joe. The match wasn't like five star classic, but it was what you need for Joe. Joe yeah. gets his win. He looks tough. He's got the title back. This is all. You know what? This is a big thing that not enough people were talking about too. We didn't know if this guy was going to ever wrestle again. He was hurt. He had some yeah. major concussion, neck, and head problems, and he is back. He's dominant. He's a badass. I look forward to him, you know, running with this title with some new contenders. We'll see what they do with Joe. But I, I thought this is the way you had to end it. I loved Regal earlier in the night saying, I have to be unbiased, but kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I like the kind of old school, you know, there's the pennants and the flags hanging in the locker room of, of the guy that they're doing a promo of. I, I just like those type of things. Yeah, you know. Again, it it feels like Cross is probably going to the main roster, whether it's Will Scarlet. Or Scarlet, Scarlet I know. wasn't there last night. We saw uh, what we we saw Cross again last week on TV. Uh, you know, there was some Hardy champs last night from the <laughs> NXT crowd. It's just like, oh my gosh, man! But the right call. And uh, if, if you're going to change some things up in NXT. Uh, it's the perfect call to put the uh, your, your most uh, prestigious title around Samoa Joe's waist. We will have plenty more to talk about in just a few days because after uh, after today it'll be Monday Night Raw. We'll have NXT. Curious if anything's been changed up by just the start of this week. We'll have Wednesday Night Dynamite and CM Punk's first appearance on Dynamite. We'll get a look at some of the ratings and uh, you know we'll get some figures from uh, important stuff over the weekend. Chad Cooper, I had to call uh, the bat signal in last night and tell you we needed an uh, emergency segment this morning. And like always, you are so happy to oblige and uh, and be flexible with the time. Thank you so much, buddy. I look forward to chat with you again in a few days. Well, got it. We'll talk to you in a few days. You know. Give him a follow at the Chad Cooper on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram. You can check out everything he's got there. Koopa Loop, one of the best in the biz, talking wrestling with us here each and every week on That's What G Said. Koopa Loop, my man, thanks so much. Yeah, we just, I didn't think we could, we could try to talk about all of that later in the week. So glad that we were able to uh, to recap some of that. And as the uh, the the other, you know. Happenings from Raw and NXT and Punk on uh, on Dynamite on Wednesday. We'll get into all that later in the week on another installment of this week in wrestling. Uh, we jump into the old wrestling rewatch. Want to let you know about our friends over at SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com, all natural soy wax, free from those toxins, carcinogens, and pollutants. Use that promo code G-I-N-O to get you ten percent. Off your order. We get into SummerSlam 2000 with Andrew Champagne. The show was fun. There were some things that kind of head scratching that maybe didn't need to be on a pay per view, but some really, really fun highs. Love the stuff going on with Angle and with Triple H and uh, The Rock just feeling like such a mega star here. It is the old wrestling rewatch SummerSlam 2000 with Andrew Champagne. And SummerSlammy on the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne here with me this week. Darren Zocali on vacation. When you make, you know, $50,000 and your horses are always running well. How the time, dare he? How you can dare go he? On all these extended vacations all you want. So very happy that DZ is having some uh, some fun as he uh, travels around the world. And uh, we will travel back to 2000 in what was, uh, I got to say, now, this really is a good snapshot of this era. Of what people call the attitude era and refer to because there was some really good stuff on this show. There were 
there was a couple like really bad things, but even those bad things, the crowd is into everything. And um there's there's very little on the show that the crowd doesn't get behind. And so I like where, where, while I like a lot of the mid carters and uh uh, wrestlers who are slotted lower on the card That they have storylines and they feel like they're You know um, More than just like an enhancement talent Here and there there are You know probably four or five things on this show That did feel kind of like a TV match That, that the crowd is just really into So Goods, bads um, You got a little bit of everything on this show But I remember always liking this Because the main event Has so much going on But the last you know, five minutes or so are just really fun, and you don't really know what's going to happen because there's a couple different ways they could go. So I I remember loving that. You obviously got the TLC that's fun, and I always enjoyed the uh, the Lawler um, Taz match, not as the match, but I I always enjoyed the the spot with Jr. at the end, which is a good. You know, th- this kind of feels like a WrestleMania in that there are some moments on this show more than. Um, you know, four or five like drag out great matches. So, you know, we're gonna have a lot of fun with this show because there's some things that we completely disagree about, but we agree that this was a really fun show from start to finish, one that the crowd just enhanced with everything that they did. Mind you, this may well be the hottest period in the history of the WWF, WWE, WWF, whatever. WWF in 2000 was on a period where it seemed like everything they touched turned to gold, with the exception of WrestleMania 2000, which is kind of funny because you think everything else is hitting. Why not the biggest show of the year? Well, the biggest show of the year was one of the worst WrestleManias to that point. Now, this show, though, there was so much going on, and it encapsulates the Attitude Era because even if there was something you didn't like, or something that wasn't perfect, it was over really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. This was a case where it's a two hour and 40 minute show. It's quick. It's a tight, tight two hour and 40 minute show. And it's even a little bit less because there's a match on the show we're not going to get into. But the matches we are going to get into, you get a TLC match that people are still stealing from 20 years later. You get a three way in the main event with some of the best to ever do it. You get a couple of fun undercard matches and you get some things that we're going to have fun just, you know, burying on this show. But there's a lot of things to dive into and dissect. And I'm really happy you picked this show because it yeah, was a fun one. It is. It's good. It, it, like you said, it's quick too. 240. Um, we were, we don't discuss the Benoit matches on, on this show because when we do the old wrestling rewatch, we do it because we like talking about wrestling and like we have fun going through these matches and stuff and we just don't get in the right mindset when we have to go back and start thinking about it drags and everything down it just, and there's no yeah, reason for it it's just not something that we uh, we need to do so we usually uh you know pick shows that you know there there was only a, a little time period where he was like a real real major figure in the main event picture we kind of steered clear of some of those and um a lot of shows like this we can just skip around the 15 minutes that he's in what well, is a good match with Benoit with Benoit and Jericho two out of three falls but just isn't isn't something that we need to uh, spend time on So we will kick this show off Which is a uh, a 10 match card And there are two 
that you'll probably say are really good And if you include the Benoit Jericho There are probably like three that are pretty pretty good matches but Then there's some others that are just angles and not much And like we said, things that we'll probably have a lot to uh, to rip on One thing I didn't mention though Is a spot that we've seen um, And this is sort of what I mean with the moment um, One of the biggest falls in the history of the company At this point came this night with Shane McMahon Where he did the the spot with Steve Blackman Where he fell back And he had obviously they had a crash pad set up And everything for him But the first look when they pull the camera back And you see the scope of where he falls That's something that they've showed over and over and over So um, that was another sort of kind of moment That you don't think a whole lot about that match But when you think about Shane and Blackman They did have a, a, a fun little feud And uh, that spot was probably you know one of the the most over Blackman ever was. You know, I am a fan of Steve Blackman. And I remember at the time thinking, look, I understand this guy has no personality and no charisma, but he is not a dude you want to see on the other end of a dark alley. No, uh, this all. was a guy who, and we'll talk about this when we get into that match. I firmly believe came around 10 years too early. If he comes around when UFC is in its heyday and is emerging right. as a legitimate brand, I'm right. not saying he could have been a main eventer, but he absolutely could have been an upper mid-card gatekeeper kind of guy, maybe an opening match guy for a while that the fans would have loved to see because, yeah, even though he was really bland and couldn't do interviews, the guy could work too. And we saw when you put him with um, like what they're doing right now with uh, with Riddle and with Orton, when you put him with a with a goofy guy and he just has to play the straight guy, he was with Al Snow and him had some fun head moments. Cheese, head head cheese. cheese. You know, there were some like moments where you're laughing at this guy going, wow, I can't believe I actually laughed at a Steve Blackman segment. So it's all about putting him in the right spot. Um, and they were able to do that uh, eventually. So let's get into SummerSlam 2000 as we kick off the show with um, the the intro, which is kind of like a well, like like Broadway sort of. Right, it was kind of like this opera um, theme, and it, it's going classy, Freddie Blassie going through really a lot of the buildup for the main event, and that was something that I. It, it's weird because I enjoy the hell out of the main event match. I think it's really good, and I actually really enjoy Kurt Angle, who I want to talk a lot about, and you know, and we will talk a lot about how just incredible he was at this point. But it is weird that it feels like this main event is a storyline and an angle that has very little to do with the champion of the company. Yeah, and I'm happy you mentioned that because that's one of my issues with mm-hmm. it. And I can I see think, that for sure. Yeah, I think they had the priorities completely and totally out of whack. Now, the stuff with Angle, Triple H, and Steph was awesome. Everybody played their roles. It was a fun storyline. And if you're ever going to do a heel versus heel storyline, this is how you do it. The problem is the biggest star in the company at this point wasn't either of those guys. Mm-hmm. It was the guy who held the belt and was sort of the forgotten guy in the three-way match. Now, ultimately, they brought it back around and it wound up working. Mm-hmm. But for the first, say, it oh, feels half of the a match. a little forcey or there's something... That that myth, I, I agree with you. It's completely. weird, and it's not a bad weird. It's just, it's just weird because you keep thinking about it. You're like, 
hmm, okay, so these two guys are battling and the rock's just kind of there, you know? It it yeah. is um but you like said it's not they do as good of a job as as bringing it all together, you know, and tying a bow in it and then the feud will continue on, I think at the next month, I think Triple H actually beats Kurt Angle at the next pay-per-view, but then in in 2 months, Kurt Angle ends up winning the title um from The Rock. So these two guys are now firmly implanted in the main event picture, and it is pretty incredible to think. I believe at Royal Rumble 2000, Kurt Angle is getting choked out by Taz. Yeah. And, and then not long after that, he's in the the mid-card feud with with Benoit and Jericho. And so it's pretty funny to look at what he's he was with Taz, who is then in a feud here with Lawler, and then Taz doesn't go on very long. He ends up you know, jumping on commentary soon And then you've got, you know Benoit and Jericho who are still Kind of battling with each other And and you've got Angle who in just January to August Has already jumped both of them All the way up to the main event It is pretty impressive And when you think of like Brock And some of the quickest runs ever To a legitimate main eventer He is right there in that conversation With anyone some guys just get it. And with Angle, it was a case where, A, he was such a great worker, and B, he turned into such a fun character that he was basically bulletproof. You could do whatever you wanted with him. You could job him to Taz, and he'd still be over. You could put a little tiny cowboy hat on him and have him sing Jimmy Crackhorn and I Don't Care, and he'd still be over. You could have him drive a milk truck to the ring and he'd still be over. It, they found something with Kurt and it's just, th- uh, first of all, I'm thankful the guy's still alive because everything that he has been through with all of his demons that he's conquered, it's nothing short of remarkable, but it, it makes you think what we could have had if he had stayed clean after that run he had in the early to mid 2000s. And yeah. Even as a shell of himself in TNA, he was still having four-star matches with guys like AJ Styles, guys like Samoa Joe. That is how good he was. And you look back at some of this stuff, Angle's still a kid here. Angle's still learning. He's green, but he's still in the main event and he's holding his own. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, we're going to talk about too, he gets concussed. Like legitimately concussed early in this match in, in that spot with Triple H when the table breaks We'll go through all of that Some of the quotes that he had afterwards Where like he has no idea what he's doing And this is his first legitimate shot in the main event here of SummerSlam He's in the ring with The Rock and Triple H And the guy is on no no clue what's, do, what's going on No clue So um, a lot to discuss as we get into the opening match here It was right to censor which you know what? Can we Th- dub the music in here? Go. Let's. <laughs> this this gimmick is <laughs> the sirens. It is. <laughs> it is funny, and this is a funny, like low card, mid card gimmick. You know, it is at especially at the time where everything was very, um, you know, uh, raunchy and how lot how a lot of this show was having a gimmick like this, the right to censor. So it's Bull Buchanan, the Godfather, and Stephen Richards uh, versus Too Cool, uh, Grandmaster Sexay, Rikishi, and Scotty Too Hotty, and uh, you get Mandy and Victoria, a couple of the former Godfather's hoes that are out to the ring with Too Cool 
uh, with and uh, Rikishi here. So this is just a you know what this match is nothing special at all. It is bad. I, I wouldn't say bad, but just fine to average whatever in ring work. The crowd is just so into Rikishi and so into Too Cool and and excited to see the the hose and, and and just excited to boo the the right to censor. You know, you get Godfather who you know uh, he misses an attack on Brian Christopher. Victoria tries to slap at uh, uh, the the Good Father, excuse me, shoves her down, and then he pushes another one down. Um, fans start chanting, "Save the hose!" We get a uh, Richard's power bomb. Um, uh, suplex by uh, Christopher, who um, then we get a who then tags in Rikishi, who comes in for the hot tag, but then uh, everybody's in the ring. I mean, this is nothing special at all. Rikishi with some power work here. Then you get the Scotty splash and uh, the 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 Christopher splash. Then Rikishi with a big splash and a Samoan drop, and uh, they tease the spot with the worm. Scotty hits the bulldog, but then Richards. Um, throws Christopher out of the ring And he ends up hitting a super kick For the pin and the win This thing went you know, just around 5 minutes or so And it was a The crowd was going to be hot for, for Rikishi and Too Cool So in that it's a good fine way to open Because it's not long you, You're going to have a, you know, a, a hot act But there's nothing Like special to this match No there is nothing special to this match but I enjoyed it way more I, than I thought it yeah, I would. I don't I didn't hate it at all. It's a good no, way to open the crowd, for sure. None of it is super advanced, but it moves really quickly. The crowd's into it, and most importantly, everyone's trying. These are guys who are basically told, okay, you've got five minutes to get everything in, go nuts. And that's what they do. And you get guys who, while they may not have been world-class workers, were always guys who were willing to listen and could be carried. Uh, Bret Hart always said that Charles Wright, a.k.a. The Godfather, was one of his favorite opponents because he was willing to listen and be led. And that's pretty much everybody in this match here. They knew what their roles were, and Mm -hmm. they executed it really, really well. You mentioned the name Victoria. And if that name rings a bell, yes, indeed, Mm -hmm. this was eventual WWE Women's Champion Victoria several years before she debuted with the company. I looked and I'm going, she looks really familiar. And then I heard her name and I'm like, oh, that's what it was. And it's not a shock that both of those women wound up getting involved in the match, taking some bumps. I loved the Save the Hose chant. I thought that was freaking hysterical. When the Godfather goes out, attacks the women, and the crowd just turns on him going, Save the Hose! Save the Hose! Talk about things that if you tried to get going in a 2021 (laughs) WWE show, you would get kicked out of the stadium for. But, first of all, you get too cool doing everything that they do and not overstaying their welcome, which is huge. You don't want them in a 20-minute match. Five, eight, ten minutes? Perfectly fine. Rikishi looks like a killer here. He cleans house. He gets a lot, and I mean a lot, of offense. And you can tell they're thinking about doing something with him. Unfortunately, down the line, what they ended up doing was one of the most ill-conceived heel turns that WWE has ever had. I am, of course, referring to Rikishi being revealed as the one who ran over Steve Austin. 
Now, I understand they wanted to push Rikishi, and there are reasons for that. He was a big guy that could move. Everybody drank. He was not a bad worker. He had shown he wasn't a bad worker when he was with the head shrinkers many years prior to that. But one thing he wasn't was a diabolical evil genius heel. He was and the dancing guy. WWE tried to he was him. making a difference for two back in the day in 1995. It's just, <laughs> I don't understand. WWE has done this with so many acts that should have been opening match guys for eternity. They get cute. They say, oh, we really like this guy. We're going to push him. And then their idea for a push is that... My goodness, too cool should have been in that spot for a good eight, ten years because they had stuff that people wanted to see. Brian Christopher was a really good worker. You could tell who his father was. Scotty Tuati had the worm spot and was a really good bumper as far as being able to take big shots from the big guys that he was going mm-hmm. against. And he had Rikishi, who was the big heater. This wasn't complicated, and I'll never understand why WWE did what they did. As far as this match goes, though, I was expecting to not like it. I really enjoyed it, and my God, hearing that right to censor music, it brought me back to Ivory's Hall of Fame speech when she was there, and in the middle of her speech, that music came on, and the, <laughs> and the crowd went from, oh my God, what is that, to... Oh my God, that's hysterical! <laughs> uh, so we uh, we then get a look at uh, Kurt Angle arriving earlier. This was back when Sunday Night Heat was on, and on nights when there were pay per views on Sunday, it would sort of serve as like the pre show or the kickoff show, what we see a lot of times on the network or Peacock now. And uh, so you could get some promos or a match or some buildup, usually an angle or two that would tie into the storyline to try to sell the pay-per-view a little bit. So they showed earlier on the night, Jonathan Coachman uh, talking to Kurt Angle about kissing Stephanie, Stephanie arriving on heat, um, a little, just a little bit of a buildup for the, uh, the main event there, um, sort of teasing, you know, does Stephanie like Kurt? What's she going to do? Is she going to turn on Triple H um, as uh, they interview Shane backstage, and it's Michael Cole interviewing Shane with the hardcore with the title. Frosted tips, frosted Michael Cole, and uh, Shane says he loves his sister Stephanie. Um, he said uh, as Steve Blackman's walking towards him, he takes off running. So before the uh, we we checked it a few times with Shane O'Mac backstage, who was uh, trying to uh, get away from Steve Blackman, who was chasing after him for that hardcore title. And they will have a match in, in just a little bit. We got Road Dog with a little promo before his match about uh, everyone ta- knows who the best man is, and it's Road Dog versus X Pac. And this was this is just kind of weird to me. Um, this thing went not even five minutes, and it was you know two buddies. The thing about DX at this time is they're both kind of tweeners. Road Dog is sort of a little bit more of a baby face than X Pac. Um, we got, you know, like really nothing. I mean, it was, you know, a little back and forth Xbox with a couple kicks in the corner, uh, Bronco buster, uh, but road dog rolls out the floor. Um, Xbox with the sleeper, then road dog gets free, uh, spinning heel kick Bronco buster. Um, the crowd wasn't really sure what to do here. You get two 
teammate. They people like the DX act, but now you've you've separated them. At this point, Xbox isn't over. He's a much better in-ring worker than Road Dog, but Road Dog wasn't really you know, the act was more over. I think there was even a line at one point. I, I thought it was weird when they referenced that these two guys were like a great tag team. It's like, what? They're not, I mean, they weren't really part, and this has happened in another match that they had too, where they were referenced as being part of a great tag team. They didn't team up, they were part of a faction, but it wasn't like they weren't winning tag titles together. Um, Road Dog does his little juke and jive. Um, splash to the back, knee drop. Um, Xbox goes for the X Factor, but Road Dog counters, pump handle slam. But then Xbox uh, with a low blow, kind of right in front of the ref, and then he hits a face buster for the uh, the win. Not even five; I think it was closer to like four forty or so. This just, I didn't like this. I didn't. I just don't know what this did for anybody here. It, it, it you know, if you want to have a, a better match and let these guys go five minutes longer, great. But I don't, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't get a lot out of this. So here's the thing that happened here. Earlier that year, Billy Gunn got hurt. And when Billy got hurt, they needed to find something to do for the rest of DX. Because Triple H at that point was off doing his own thing in the Stephanie angle and making sure that that was part of the main event scene. So you had Road Dog and X-Pac and what are you going to do with those two? So they tried putting them in a tag team. And A, they didn't have anywhere near the chemistry that Road Dog and Billy Gunn had. B, Road Dog had serious problems at this point. And he is the first to yeah, say that. Yeah, you're right. The drugs after, and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After this match, he briefly had a tag team with a fresh faced newcomer named K Quick. The Road Better Dog and K Quick getting rowdy. The D O double G and K Quick getting rowdy. Yep. Better known now, of course, as the one and only R-Truth. And he looks exactly the same. He's in better Just shape saying. now than he was yeah. then. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Road Dog had some serious issues at this point, And he would be gone within about six months. He, of course, showed up at WCW to negotiate a deal with them on the night that Shane McMahon showed up backstage announcing that, hey, WWF, owns WCW. So rotten timing on his part. Thankfully, he was able to clean himself up. Thankfully, he's in a much better place now. X-Pac at this point was just sort of adrift. He didn't really have a whole heck of a lot going on. This was after he came over from WCW and the bloom was sort of off the rose. It's not like the match was terrible, but it was just sort of there. It was in a dead spot after a pretty hot opener that the crowd was, was really into. And again, it's five minutes. Nobody really wanted to see this match. After the match, X-Pac tries to reconcile, which I think is hysterical because he went low to win the match. And then Road Dog attacks. And that's basically the end of DX for a very, very long time. It's one of those things where I think they just needed to end the angle. And that's what they wound up with. They wound up not in a great spot. The match itself, not any great shakes. And this wasn't the best version of either of these two guys. So certainly nothing worth going out of your way to see. We then got a look at Vinny's Steakhouse and Tavern in Raleigh. So apparently this was a, a, a steakhouse that Vince's really good friend owned and named it after Vince. 
So that's why <laughs> that's why they're plugging it here really hard. This is something that Pritchard mentioned in one of his uh, his podcasts. Uh, as we get a look back to Eddie Guerrero in China backstage talking about their match, this was a fun, you know, this angle again isn't one that would hold up and work well now. And obviously, like once he became, uh, you know, the inevitable, it always happens when you have a, you know, a, a male and a female. That are together at one point it's almost Always going to be the the guy who has To be an ass and be mean And then you know and that was what's going to happen With Eddie eventually but at the beginning Even it's sort of corny but I kind of Thought that the, that these two together were, were Weren't bad you know this is when China Was really going through her um, Sort of Transformation into the way like the Way that she looked had changed so much Over the last uh, year or two prior To this and she was you know, in getting opportunities now to be wrestling against the men in, you know, for the mid card titles. And this was a, you know, going to be a tag team match with Val and Trish against Eddie and China. So we saw Eddie and China backstage first, kind of flirting. And China said, somebody's going to get lucky tonight. Ooh, mamacita. <laughs> RIP. He was just, he still is, uh, you know, just one of those guys that just jumps off your TV with his energy. You know, and then the, the charisma that he has And I'm I'm glad we didn't get to see Nearly as much as what we could have Seen from him, but even just a, a couple Of years, getting to see his personality In WWE so much more Because we always knew he was Incredible in the ring, but you could tell There were some guys Like two that we're going to talk about on this show Eddie and Kurt Who, if you make a list And on your list You said that these are The best Workers in the history of the business And you had Kurt and Eddie in like Your top five nobody would even think you're Crazy but what made those performers So great to me was that Just like what you said you can Put that goofy hat on Kurt Angle Singing Jimmy Crack Corn you know You can Eddie Guerrero Will do the mamacita thing here And then the lie the cheat the steal but then he Can be the you know the baby face Or he could do the stuff with Dominic so Just seeing the some of these performers get the opportunity to because you know people will crap on WWE a lot because you know you know you don't get as quality of ring work maybe nowadays as maybe as something like AEW but you do get the opportunity to do things more like this which um whether you like it or not it fleshes you out as a performer and a character so much more yeah and unfortunately Eddie was going through a rough time of his own he would wind up the next year getting cut from WWE for mm-hmm. less than a year so that he could go to rehab and clean himself up. And while he was on the indies, he had a series of matches with one CM Punk. Ring and, of Honor? Yes. It, it yeah. wasn't Ring of Honor. It was IWA. I okay. think it was uh, that territory there. And in his WWE DVD, which I believe is still on the network somewhere, just so WWE can show you they own CM Punk, I think. But it's there, and Punk talks about how I really thought I was good. I really, truly thought I was good. And then I got to work with Eddie Guerrero, and I realized I'm really bad. That's how good (laughs) Eddie Guerrero was as a worker. This was a guy who, from bell to bell, was as good as anybody that has ever done it. Now, the problem with Eddie... And it's not even so much a problem so much as when you get to that level of great, you start picking nits to determine your own personal ranking. Mm -hmm. The thing with Eddie was 
he was never really a draw. That's one thing. And the other thing, and this is going to sound absolutely terrible, okay? But you're going to need to bear with me on this. From the perception of his legacy, I think he died at exactly the right time. Because we never got to see the downturn line of Eddie Guerrero him going older and being the Ric Flair who might have been like, hanging on a little imagine, too long. Can or, you imagine Eddie Guerrero in 2012 in TNA with some demons, you know, maybe or things? Yeah. That, um, no, no, I, I know what you mean in in um in 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 the same sense in that like any any just like any wrestler or any athlete whose career is cut short by an injury or or whatever, you just you don't see. Them at the end so you don't even Think about a downturn You don't remember that At all right this show is great Because you know I think on the Opposite end you know you think about Kurt Angle And I I love and I want to revisit A little bit more in this time period Now from here Into the next like two years or so In particular because I I love this version Of Kurt Angle so much yeah In in these next few years because in, in, you know, like you said, it's unfortunate you see what Kurt's done recently And maybe you think of Kurt in the last couple of years And you've seen some of his other matches Even though he still threw out a damn banger with Ronda at WrestleMania In that, in that double tag, uh, in that tag team mixed tag match against Triple H and, and Steph Which was a really good match on that show But yeah, you, that's a good point And I know what you mean it's, it, it sounds crass, but you're right in that we he We saw him at his Peak and never even really Start to downturn Right it's a case where Honestly I liken it a lot To a guy like Sandy Koufax in baseball The yeah, fact right. that we saw Exactly how good he could Have been we didn't see A version of Sandy Koufax where Instead of throwing 95 he was throwing 88 and it's A case where you get A guy like Eddie Guerrero who did So much in his career in Mexico, in the United States. The stuff he did with Art Barr is stuff that no one was doing at the time with Los Gringos Locos. The stuff that he did even in WCW as part of the cruiserweight division when he wasn't supposed to get over and he was going out there and having four-star matches with everybody. He had a match when he was a freaking kid with Ric Flair and Flair did everything possible to make Eddie into a star. This was early 96, I believe, before the NWO stuff kicked in. You get his match against Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc, which is one of the greatest matches I have ever seen. You get matches like the ones he had with guys like Rob Van Dam, guys like Brock Lesnar. Uh, It's it's really, really cool stuff to go back and watch, especially because people are still emulating that stuff today. Make no mistake, and I want to make sure this comes across the correct way. It is an absolute shame that Eddie Guerrero died young. It's an example to say no to steroids and say no to drugs. Um, But it is a case where if we had seen five more years of Eddie Guerrero in the ring, I think we'd remember him a little bit differently as a worker. Instead, we remember all of the good things. We don't remember the bad things. And this took sort of a weird turn. But I'm happy we got here because really, when you start looking at the greats of wrestling or of any sport, really, it's the little things like that that separate the A players from the A-plus players. And it's just a matter of fact that Guerrero didn't really draw. Yeah, he had the run, they said, with Brock, where he was starting to get some good ratings and, and get some good houses when they would go in the you know in the Texas area and, and down closer to Mexico. But it was a 
that was one thing that was hard for I think even for a while for some of the you know the smaller even someone like Jericho you know um someone like Ray they were good in ring really good like all around but but and I think that was always kind of Vince's maybe uh, reluctance to pushing them is that. He didn't feel like they moved the needle as much being the guy or one of the absolute top guys to build a show around or to build a you know a certain major main event storyline around. So um, yeah, interesting because we haven't gotten a, ta- a chance really to talk all that much about Eddie. Um, and uh, well, I'm glad we uh, we will. And we'll like I said, I'm going to try to focus a little bit on this in the next couple years after this, so we can get some more uh, Eddie and a little more Kurt stuff as we get into. The IC Championship Tag Team Match. We got a little backstage with Val and Trish. Uh, Trish was talking about how, I mean, China is a centerfold. I mean, I should be a centerfold. What do you think? Shouldn't I be? This was like Trish is still finding her footing here too, but very early, Trish. Really early, but you could still see, like in Ring, she wasn't even like thinking about being, you know, a worker yet. But you could see. As a performer, you know that she was still pretty comfortable here, and and you know she's finding her voice and what she's supposed to do. But you can understand more than just being like a oh wow she's absolutely gorgeous. She's got a little something there to her, you know, and she's she's very um just kind of sharp. She's smart. She's pretty quick on the mic and stuff. And she made a lot of the stories that she was in. She, you could tell she probably added a little here and there to make them. You know a a little juicier so You could you could see glimpses early Even though she was Very far from a finished product here Yeah and that's the thing Trish didn't ever Have to get better She came in and there was already Money on her they were Finding things to do with her Some of which you could not do In 2021 but It was a case where She dedicated herself to becoming not just a great entertainer, but a damn good worker. In a couple of years, even, she was working some of the best women's matches WWE had ever seen to that point. And she got to where even 10 years after her last match as a full-timer, she comes back and she works a four-star match with Charlotte that she more than held up her end of. Credit to Trish for being just a phenomenal entertainer for all of her contributions when, honestly... She didn't have to do any of that. She could have stood on the ring and looked gorgeous and made plenty of money. She did more than that. And I am so, it's just, it's astounding how far she came as an entertainer from the time she started to when she left, especially considering when she started, she had a lot of the tools to draw money already. So the IC title is on the line here, which you just look at it. It's like, really? You got Eddie? I and hate, I hate this. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. I don't, yeah, I, I just, I'm never, there was, there's one or two situations where I think it's worked okay, where there would be someone on one side is the IC champ. On the other side, you've got the world champ or you got tagged with, there's been one or two times I thought it was okay where there've been multiple belts, but it just, it's always something that when when there's multiple belts or multiple people in a match like this for the one fall, it kind of feels like it's a better idea on paper than you know when you think about the execution because it pits the two people on the team against each other a lot of the time for for one. It's like you're trying to 
you know, get the fall instead of your teammate, instead of working with your teammate, which is the whole point of a match, you'd be better off just having a triple threat or a fatal four way, everyone for themselves in, you know, in that situation. Um, but you get why they do it here with, with Trish. And this is, you know, a moment for them to get the comeuppance and, um, and celebrate. So, uh, this isn't, you know, the match goes only seven minutes. I think it's like another one where that's a lot more of an angle. You'll get some fine stuff in the ring, big clothesline for Val, double flapjack. Um, we, it, it's just mainly Val in the ring throughout. He doesn't want to let Trish in. Ref gets distracted by Eddie. So China hits a low blow, then a DDT on Val. She tags in Eddie. He hits a big back body drop, springboard Hurricane Rana. He's still bouncing around here, looking good. Um, and then uh, Val hits a sit-out spine buster. Val was always fine in the ring. Um, double forearm. Trish gets the tag against Eddie. She tries to get a pin because he's down on the – she kind of tags herself in because Eddie's down on the mat. So she runs in, tries to get a pin. She kicks him a few times, but then he blocks it. He tags China. This is the spot that everybody wants. A couple of big clotheslines on Trish, then a body slam. Uh, Val gets involved. He pulls China down. Um but uh, Eddie and Val go back and forth. Eddie pulls Val out of the ring, and that just leaves Trish and China. She tries to clothesline China, who just does not sell. And then uh, Trish ends up falling down. China with a gorilla press slam for the cover for the win at 7.08. So China wins the IC title now as uh, Val is furious with Trish. Val loses his title because Trish got pinned here. Yeah, these are ones that I don't. I don't necessarily love the 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 post match stuff is fine. Getting the you know you wanted the moment for China. You have the the thing with Eddie. I believe I was reading through another uh, recap somewhere that had said in 2011 there were 11 IC title changes that year. That's just yeah. that's nuts to think about how many times it was flopping back and forth. Yeah, that's for sure. And we may as well start at the ending because we've gone on enough tangents here. I hated the finish. I understand that you want to get China over. I understand that Trish is still paying her dues. A champion losing the belt without getting pinned just hits me the wrong way. There was no reason they had to do it this way. And it just, uh, looking back, it was one of those things that you forget happened in 2000 because there was so much happening on an episode of, say, Raw or SmackDown. If you didn't like something, it was quick, 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 quick. And that meant some stuff got lost in the shuffle. So when you rewatch stuff, you remember, oh, yeah, Val Venus lost the Intercontinental title without being pinned or factoring in the finish at all. That seems weird. Look, this match is not all that great. No. Eddie's out there, but he's just going through the motions. Because it's not even, he doesn't. he doesn't really do much. It's, it's seven minutes, but it doesn't even feel like that long, really. Yeah. It's like five minutes of just in and out a little bit more about Val trying to keep Trish out and you don't get to see Eddie go crazy in the ring. He has one or two spots that are cool. China was more of um, like, you know, she didn't even really do, you know, her her like summer or her. um. What what, like her spot, like her 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 backflips kind of spot where she does like any of her real, real um. Kind of ooh ah big impressive spots either it was just the the moments cool and I like these two together but yeah this match was really nothing at all no and the thing that got me also was 
Val Venus was on his last legs with the character that he had at this time. Of course, he was an adult entertainer. And prior to this, his most notable storyline involved um, an, an, an incident. Choppy, that, choppy, pee-pee. Yeah, that one. Uh, some, John, <laughs> some John Wayne Bobbitt type stuff. Uh, and we'll just leave that there. Kai but, and Ty or uh, Ryan Shamrock stuff. Yeah, what, <laughs> what, I, what I didn't remember was Val Venus hung around WWE for eight and a half more years after this. Sean Morley, right? As like the commissioner Morley. He was in the right to censor at one point too for a little bit. Yep. Just after this match, in fact, he did a character change because he wanted to focus more on his work as, as a wrestler and whatever. That's fine. But you don't remember the fact that he was in WWE for pretty much the entire decade after that. Unfortunately, what we do remember is that now the guy that played Val Venus is a complete nutcase on Twitter. He is. He a few years ago he was really into like the weed stuff, but now he's like a massive conspiracy theorist. So uh went on, yeah. Yeah. Um, just uh, uh yeah, yeah. So the big Valbowski loses the IC title here as we get a look at WWF radio and WWF New York. They um you know, we get some clips of uh, of of New York, Mick Foley over there doing some goofy stuff with the rock and back and forth. Um as uh, we then see Stephanie McMahon backstage, she's talking with a makeup lady, and the woman's like asking her, "So, how is Kurt as a kisser? Is he a hunk or is he a th-? you know?" And Stephanie, you know, kind of ends up saying, "You know, he is a pretty good kisser." And uh, this was just goofy as can be, like total Mean Girls segment. You know, here are these girls talking about with you know high school stuff. Um, nothing special or, you know, this was 20 seconds, 30 seconds, but we then get the video airing for, uh, Jerry Lawler versus Taz and all the, uh, the build up here where Taz was making fun of Jr. So, uh, King stood up to defend Jr. and then Taz attacked him. So, you know, this ends up setting up a, a match here. He smashed a car window while Jr. was in it and that ended up bloodying up Jr. Um, so they had a scar on his eye just to, uh, continue to build the storyline to, I think Taz, yeah, Taz had debuted at the rumble earlier in the year and he ends up choking out Kurt Angle. Just funny to think about the different trajectory for the both of them. Um, you know, eight months down the line as this, I like this. I like this. This isn't a, the match is not good. It's not, it's not, it's not even a match really. It's, this thing goes four minutes. 420 just around there um, You get Lawler early body slam uh, he, he does his, his You know fist drop um, Taz is stomping on him And then you know Taz Is just trash talking as he's Headbutting um, and, and Really working over King um, he's tra- he's playing the real evil hill and kind of trash talking Jr. Too. King pulls the strap down, punches. He hits a pile driver, but Taz no sells it. And then he pushes uh, Jr. or he pushes King into the ref. So then he he tells uh, he's talking to Jr. I'm gonna choke out Lawler and I'm gonna choke you out. And he uh, he locks the Taz mission on. But Jr. gets up from the announce table with a jar of candy. He walks over and he smashes it over Taz's head. The crowd goes crazy. Um, there we had some just horrendous officiating throughout the match. Like the Teddy poor Teddy Long can't see the 
the glass that shattered the all over the the ring and all over Taz and all over JR, but you got the moment they wanted JR gets his comeuppance and uh I I don't mind this. It wasn't long. This wasn't like a Michael Cole versus the King at WrestleMania that goes on 15 minutes. This thing was five minutes with the video package, with the JR spot and the pop. This is like six or seven minutes, and the crowd is is pretty into it. And you know, it's a nostalgia thing. You get to see King come out there for a moment, do the pile driver, pull the strap down, some of his greatest hits, and. A, Taz didn't have a whole lot left in here, so they uh, he was he was hurt. I think he had bad neck and like neck problems and stuff at this point too. So I don't think, you know, he wasn't someone that was going to be in so any sort of a main event picture either. So you have a a guy who can still be a heel, get some heat on him. You got a fun moment with Jr. with the King. Like this is a fine thing to have in SummerSlam, and it doesn't it, it it's like you bring in a legend and you keep them in their own world. I I don't mind these kind of things. I'm going to 100% disagree with you on nice. this, and we're going to have we go. some fun. All right, and this is why we work together, because we understand we can disagree with one another on things like this and still have a lot of fun. Take note, humanity. I- I'm now, glad that you referenced it with things like this, because, yes, yes. you're right. Things like things, this. There things are Things like this, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there, are, there are certain arguments that you can just, like, you can rebound from. For instance, a hot dog is a sandwich. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, my problem with this, I just get really queasy knowing the stuff they did to Jim Ross. Um, that I can understand. He deserves so much better at every turn. And if you read his books... He has two autobiographies that are out. The first one he describes as a glowing relationship with Vince McMahon, wherein Vince took care of him, was an incredibly nice guy, and yeah, JR was a part of some angles that didn't work, but there was a genuine connection there. Over the years, that eroded, and JR basically became a punching bag at times. So... Even knowing that the relationship between Vince and JR at this point was probably pretty good, it just doesn't sit well with me, especially the stuff where Taz says, I'd smack you across the face, but it looks like God already yeah, did. I don't like those lines. The only no. reason why I'm okay is because JR actually does get a moment of comeuppance yeah. where, where in many years after this, he wouldn't. He yeah. would just be. Brought in the ring to kiss ass Or get embarrassed Which we will always say that Vince would do the same thing To himself but that's fine You don't need to do it to JR Like he's not that guy To you he's your main Announcer this In in an angle like this I'm okay with getting some sympathy Or in an angle but as soon as he's in the ring Kissing ass and you're making fun of his Looks and Bell's policy and he has to Like that stuff that is not Where you're Lead announcer should be It's just not No and honestly in a vacuum It's probably fine But just knowing the precedent This was going to set And the things that he would wind up needing to do Listen when we say kiss ass In the ring We're not blowing smoke when we say that Actually kiss his butt cheek Yes Yeah. So Taz comes out In a cowboy hat carrying a cane Like he's a blind guy and none of that hit me as funny, especially considering, for one thing, Taz is the ultimate fighting machine. This is a guy 
who should never be doing comedy at all, ever. This is the guy who, again, a lot like Steve Blackman, was probably about 10 years early. You bring him out when UFC is what it is today, and you get a guy who could have been Brock Lesnar just smaller. Now, the smaller part ultimately was probably going to cap where he wound up anyway. And as you mentioned, there were some physical issues that were going on at this point. But it's just sad to me because they brought Taz in. They had him choke out Kurt Angle at the Royal Rumble to end Kurt Angle's undefeated streak. Let me throw that out there. End Kurt Angle's undefeated streak. Seven months later, he's doing this. It just, it, there had to be something better. Now, Lawler tried, but Lawler's in his 50s at this point. There are certain things he's still able to do. He hits a nice fist drop off the middle rope. He does the pull down the strap thing, which I'm admittedly a sucker for. And yeah, we get the JR hitting Taz over the head with the candy jar, and that's fine and dandy, but all of this just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. And it's something that, again, in a vacuum, it's probably not horrible. But just knowing where it was going to lead and knowing everything JR would wind up going through in the name of this company that he sacrificed a lot for, it, it, it smells for me, man. So uh, a little difference of opinion there from uh, from me and Andrew as we move from Lawler, Taz, and uh, JR and that storyline on to a backstage interview with Shane. Same sort of thing. Shane just checks in. Lillian asks him about Stephanie getting kissed by Angle. He doesn't say too much. He's kind of nervous. He's looking around. He thinks Blackman's following him. So um, Shane comes out, and even as he enters and walks down, he's kind of looking around. He's not sure, and Blackman's chasing him early on. Um, Shane jumps the barricade, and he goes into the crowd. Um, and I thought Jerry had a line here that made me the, – and the way he delivered it, and you know, it was like – he sat back down on commentary after just having a match, so maybe it was like he was a little tired, and it was so matter of fact, and he did—he wasn't like trying really hard to hit this line. That Blackman starts—he gets the trash cans out, and he's hitting, uh, you know, Shane with the trash cans, and then Shane's in the ring, so he—he he starts throwing a couple. He—he he says Blackman says to Shane as he's nailing him, he says, "This is my house," and then he throws a couple trash cans in. And and King says, "Hey, he must have a lot of trash in his house." It was just—it <laughs> was so just stupid and quick. But I was like, "Oh my god!" I I, I put it back three or four times because Blackman just this is my house, and he's excited and he's like smacking the trash cans. And he throws them in. He says, "Hey, he must have a lot of trash in his house." So <laughs> that would uh, made me chuckle from from the King who has a lot of misses, but he'll have some fun uh, some fun hits here and there. And I don't have a problem with this match. This was what the hardcore title was for. Um, you know, you get Shane, he's cat and mouse, he's running around, he's trying to to get out of the way, and then Blackman finally gets him, suplex, he's using the stick, um, he's got the strap around Shane's neck, he puts him in a single leg crab, and it looks like he's about to, to pin Shane, but then TNA come out, Test and Albert. Um, they uh the heels go to work on Blackman and uh, they end up taking him over. To you know out into the uh, The entrance way as um, They're you know drop They're putting him on the equipment box He ends up uh, Breaking free of the heels 
And Albert ends up hitting Test So Blackman's got the stick He's going crazy with the kendo stick As Shane tries to run away from him He climbs up the um, the entranceway the, the huge metal railing That will like keep the big screen together on the sides And we're talking I mean, I'm not trying to think like 50 foot or so where, where he's like, he's up there pretty high. I wouldn't bet against 30 for sure. At least 30. Yeah, I was going to say 25 above probably like he is a pretty good drop um, at this point. And I will say this, like compare this to something that we saw not that long ago where, um, you know, Jericho took a fall off of a cage and you could see that the, the angle was really good. That they yeah. when they pulled it back and you just see him falling and it's like oh it, it looked great and it this match got exactly what they wanted out of it it was fun you got it was an elongated squash where you didn't Shane didn't get much offense in at all this is what Shane was the guy who was ch- you know you'd chase around he'd he'd get look at athletic here and there he'd always have some heels helping him out this was one of probably one of better the better moments of of Blackman's. Life I'd say like one of his bigger um, Life of, of his wrestling career One of his bigger evenings Getting a win like this like a in, a in a match that was built for a little while He had some story to it Everyone's going to remember that spot that Shane Took because it was a really big spot at this time And uh, he ends up Getting the win at uh, Just over 10 minutes I thought this was pretty fun Yeah I completely Agree I had it at three and a quarter Stars and it would have been a good Match even without the insane bumps taken by Shane and Blackman to end the match. Right. Now, again, Blackman was 10 years too early. First of all, love the entrance music for this guy. Just no nonsense. You get that drum beat that's just so mm-hmm. freaking catchy. Um, so they go into the crowd right away, and I love the spot where it looks like Shane's trying to run. But instead of Blackman following him, he cuts him off. He goes around and goes the long way. To where he jumps down with the trash can and just hits that jumping trash can shot in the crowd. That was really cool. Blackman goes to work back in the ring with those trash can lids. That spot you said, yeah, that was pretty funny. Shane's bumping like crazy even before the big fall. The spot where uh, Blackman stuffs him in the trash can and hits with the kendo sticks. That was pretty fun. Crowd was hot for this the whole time. We get Test and Albert running in to try to protect Shane. Test protecting Shane is still a little bit weird because of everything that went on with Test and Shane's sister the entire year. I'm glad that they mentioned it, right? Even even just mentioning things like that makes you as a – because he said, wow, it's weird. Just what you said. I think JR said, think about you know Test being out here protecting Shane after everything that happened with his sister. And then he even – I think King said, yeah, didn't he recently say that he dodged a bullet there? So, you know, it's like – Oh, okay, cool. So it doesn't. We won't. We don't mind as wrestling fans. I, I know what you mean. Like it still doesn't make sense. They could have had somebody else other than Test that you wouldn't even had to tell us that little bit of exposition. But at least they did that. Then they don't yeah. do. They don't do that nearly enough nowadays. Just give us a line or two, and we'll go. Oh, okay, we can move on. Yep. Just tie up the loose end, move on, and that's fine. And it doesn't have to be a perfect wins or not either. Just give us an ending and we'll move on. It's logical storytelling, right? So Blackman makes the comeback with the kendo sticks. Test and Albert get laid out. And Shane gets his comeuppance by trying to escape by climbing up. Where the logic is in that, I don't know. But 
It winds up leading to the end spot where Shane takes the dive. Blackman follows him down with the elbow drop that he actually gets most of. And one, two, three, there's your new hardcore champion. I thought that was pretty cool. Again, three and a quarter star match. A lot of fun. Check the box and move on. And there are a couple of matches from here on that are really good. Granted, that doesn't include the match we're going to have a lot of fun talking about involving the Cat and Terry. (laughs) But from this match onward, it's a really good show. Yeah, it is. And uh, I agree. This match is, I had it right around three. And the spot is is good and it's fun. And this is, this is what a WWE show can do really well is give you these spots and these moments, you know, on a SummerSlam, on a WrestleMania, on a Rumble, on a big show, just like this. As uh, they went backstage and it was Stephanie McMahon in the locker room. She's freaking out about what just happened to Shane and Kurt walks in and she says, Kurt, you know, did you see what happened to Shane? What do you think? And Kurt is like, Oh uh, yeah, I think he just uh, knocked the wind out of himself, Steph. And she's like, he fell off a freaking. What are you talking about? You know, Kurt's just like not not worried at all about Shane. He's not focused. He's just he's trying to get some here. You know, he's uh he's not thinking with his head. As um Stephanie, uh, so he he consoles her though. Oh, it's okay. You know, and he gives her a hug, and then Mick Foley walks in. He goes, Hey, did I interrupt something? This was. Corny but you know it made me chuckle a little bit I like all of these People and so any anything with Stephanie And with Kurt or Stephanie and with Jericho Like I was I was pretty all in For a lot of that stuff um, Even though some of the name calling You know doesn't hold up all that well But knowing that Stephanie Is the one that's in charge Makes me feel a little bit better about it like I don't I don't feel as weird when Vince Is doing embarrassing things as I would With JR right because you know that Vince is the one that's like It's his damn company He's getting all the damn money in his pocket And that's one thing about Vince and Stephanie That we can always give them Is that they will they will be the butt of the joke No matter what And the biggest butt of the joke Yeah, um, and we've said of this a lot on this show Stephanie in particular Is no stranger To helping faces get over By being the heel in a segment she mm-hmm. helped save Chris Jericho's career after a rough storyline with China. She did some great work with Roman Reigns. The stuff with Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey was fantastic, and Stephanie was a big part of that. She's a tremendous character. The only problem is sometimes it takes a lot longer for her to get her comeuppance than she should. You're right. The yes. stuff where she was bossing Mick Foley around in the it's mid-2010s, she, that fe- yeah, too emasculating. Flat. Yeah, yep. it's too sometimes she'll just emasculate too much. But yeah, she um I I like her as a performer quite a bit. You know, you can nitpick a lot of things with her, but she's still really young here, but she still's got like even at this point, she's got that annoying kind of shrill thing in her voice, and you know that she knows that. Yep. And she plays into it. But really, no, no, and then and then she gets older, her voice it's still Got a little annoying, but it's more of like a, you know she gets more of into the Vince raspy, you know. But it is it's great. I, like I love all this stuff with uh with Steph. Um, they then set up the Jericho Benoit match, so we're gonna skip through that. It was a two out of three fall match. Great and, match if you can stomach watching it. I can't. Yeah, I think a lot of places I looked had it. You know, probably in the three and a half to maybe under four, like four ish um, range. Uh, but we we finish up there, and then we get uh, more. Um, uh, in the setup for Triple H, Kurt and Stephanie, we just get a look at Triple H arriving. More uh, of Kurt and Stephanie kissing from the other night, 
And then the video package to set up the TLC tag team title match Edge and Christian versus the Dudleys versus the Hardys And we get the, uh, you know, the the cool thing about this is how it all came together Because you, when you thought about these three different teams You would think of Edge and Christian and you would associate them with the chairs And when you think of the Dudleys you would associate them with the tables And you would think of the Hardys and you would associate them with the ladder So these three teams who had had, you know no DQ matches and a ladder match And a tables match before They had never had a full on TLC match like this So Mick Foley announced the first Ever tables, ladders and chairs Oh my match here As uh, the build to this was good These teams were Just at their absolute best Now all this being said The match is excellent It is a little Hard on the rewatch with some Thank spots. you, thank it is. you and, I, and I'm not a prude about a lot of these things But I will, like, and I don't This, knowing what we know About the headshots and the concussions And everything, and how the, the careers Like Edge is someone who We're very lucky that he's back now But there was a long period of time where it looked like He was going to be out of you know Wrestling way earlier than he should have Christian had a long period of time Where he had neck and, con- and concussion Problems and he couldn't necessarily Get cleared as much as he had wanted to Even someone like Lita Who comes in you know we know with both of the Hardys um, what we've seen from them So this was Really innovative Stuff that they were doing And it It is I don't want to say it's bad or anything Like that at all there are just some spots That I go oh like it's hard It is hard to watch some of them And I still prefer this kind of like I don't like the headshots. That's the one thing. If if we could just have a few less of the headshots, the stuff even going into the ladders, on top of the ladders, like that I'm so much better with than bloody stuff too. Like, you know, like we talked about the Nick Gage stuff. I'm uh. not a deathmatch guy at all. I much prefer a hardcore match that'll have tables, ladders, and chairs like this. There's just no, knowing what we now know about the headshots that That's the main part that makes me A little uncomfortable in this match But this thing was incredible It really was and the crowd is so into it And at this point you know, I'm, I try to do two things when I watch this match I try to think about it for the time Which was yeah, at the time it was fine It didn't even feel like I mean, It felt like whoa they're taking it to the next level But we'd seen way worse Usage of chair shots to the head and, and things like that than we saw in this match But then again knowing what we know About some of these guys afterwards You just look back and you go wow Like they didn't need to do that maybe Or they probably could have done that a little less On that um, but then again At the same time like I respect the hell Out of these guys because they did this For us they're not doing this for themselves They did this because they wanted that pop And they wanted to show what they'd be willing to do For the business so it's a lot of Mixed feelings with this match But it is a damn good one And the crowd was nuts for it Yeah I gave it four and a half stars I can't go five Solely because of all of the headshots It's just It makes me uncomfortable to see that And I'm very happy WWE has done away with those In 99% of certain settings And it's not even so much That there's one or two chair shots That are uncomfortable It's that every chair shot Is an unprotected shot to the head And Mm -hmm. that's just a little bit much for me. The ladder stuff was really good. Even the spots with the tables were fine. Okay. That stuff is good. And honestly, for the most part, TLC type stuff, I'm fine with. 
This is stuff that every Money in the Bank match since this has stolen from and is still doing in certain spots. Some for good, some for bad. I could really do without the overly choreographed stuff with 19 ladders, but it's a case where for better or for worse, this has influenced a lot, and I mean a lot of guys, and for good reason, because nobody was doing this at no. this time. I no. mean, you could this stuff a, is like so innovative. Yeah, a lot and, of this stuff. Yeah, and you take a look, even the promotion that called itself Extreme Championship Wrestling wasn't doing this stuff. No. It just wasn't. Now, WWE did steal the genesis of that idea from ECW, but they improved on the idea with guys like Edge and Christian, guys like the Hardys, guys like the Dudleys, who would do everything possible to do things people hadn't done before. Incidentally, the sign of the night is visible very early in this match before the bell even rings. The Hardys start running down and they're throwing punches even before the start of the match. If you look on the left side of the screen on the hard camera, you can see a sign. It's black text on a yellow background and it simply says, Jeff Hardy, don't die. <laughs> I'll take evergreen signs for 1,000, Alex. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I look at these matches, I try to do what you do, at least to a certain extent. I try to pick out sequences and write them down so we can talk about them. I can't do that here. There's I know, it's just so way hard. too much going on. It's one of those things where it's a nonstop thrill ride from the word go. And it's a tremendous match that does suffer a little bit on the rewatch. I prefer the WrestleMania 17 one myself, I agree. even though the spear with Edge and Jeff Hardy was just, there are some people who see that as an iconic spot. I just think it's insanely stupid and there was no reason to do it. But that I think was a five-star match. This I think is four and a half. Yeah, I, I had it at four uh, and a half. If you want to have it in between four and a half and five at three quarters, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be against that. Um, yeah, we got a, a you know edge double Russian leg sweep. Um, then uh, Bubba hits a full Nelson slam on Christian. Then Jeff tries to climb and Edge pushes him off. He lands on a ladder and it it does like a seesaw. It pops up and it hits Matt right in the head. It was just a cool looking spot too. Uh, uh, you get the Bubba slam on Edge. Devon hits the headbutt. The was up drop. Um, we get a couple tables on the floor, and then the Dudleys put two tables on top of them. So they've got four tables stacked there waiting. So we know it's going to happen at some point. Somebody's going through those four. Um, the you know Edge is hitting the Dudleys in the head with chair shots. Matt hits a twist of fate. You get the leg drop off the ladder. Then Jeff does the spot where he leaps over the ladder with the leg drop. That is just unbelievable athleticism. It like, looks like a frog. Um, so then Jeff sets up Bubba on the two tables, but he, he climbs up the ladder. He does the swanton bomb, and he moves, so he goes crashing through the table. Um, it, he, he missed the spot um, that he actually hit earlier at WrestleMania in their match. Then... They bring out the the big ladder, and Christian hits a DDT on on Matt Hardy off the ladder. Edge and Devon go crashing. Bubba is like, Bubba's taking this all in. He's got this look on his face, like he's at a, like he's, I I don't like. He's like at a demolition derby or something. He's just like someone who just got caught in the middle of all of this chaos, and it's it's not like scaring him, but he's just like whoa. 
looking around at like everything that's happening. It was it was pretty funny to to see. Um, so he climbs up the big ladder, and then he gets pushed off, and he goes through the four tables that are set up outside, which was just the crowd going ballistic here. Um, Lita comes down as it looks like Edge and Christian are about to Lita, win. Lita, by the way, looks amazing here. Just saying, fantastic. She looks incredible. Um, and then she is trying to get Matt to climb. He's up towards the top, and then Devon. Pushes it so he goes crashing back Through two tables outside the ring It's an, He just missed his head Hitting the back of the, the Barricade like there was Such a small window for Matt To fall perfectly through the tables Here I think a lot of time He doesn't get you know put in the Conversation with Edge and Christian or his Brother or you know As good workers or, or people That were as hot but he was actually Always really solid in the ring too and just you could Tell Later he always had a very good mind for the business As far as putting these matches together Helping them work up big spots He's always been very intelligent in there And this is I mean just crazy Um, Edge hits Lita with a spear And JR says You son of a bitch you son of a bitch He's screaming at him Um, They show the, the camera from up top How Matt almost Nails his head in this tiny little window Um and Devon climbs up, but then Edge pulls the ladder away. Devon falls. Uh, Edge and Christian. So, so Jeff is holding on up on top. He's doing that hanging spot that he's always does, where he's hanging on, swinging back and forth. And Edge and Christian just throw ladders at him while he's hanging, swinging back and forth like George of the Jungle. They just, just toss him like a hang lawn on, dart. Hang on, hang on. Did you just make a George of the Jungle reference? I did. How about that? You don't I'm get... impressed. Watch out for that tree. You know, as uh, it was. It reminded me of the lawn dart. Kevin Nash. He's just throwing Mysterio. And oh just God, th- that's so good. So good. They're, they're plucking it, these ladders at him. Jeff falls. They end up uh, setting up the big ladder. They climb up and they pull down the titles to win. And uh, this thing went 18 and a half minutes. We gave our gripes about it at the beginning, the negatives. As far as a, a match with creativity, with ingenious spots, with what the ambition that these guys all had, the chemistry that they all had, the trust that they all had in each other at this point, and hell, the trust that the company put in these guys at this point. These aren't six main eventers. These aren't six guys who have been in this company for 20 years or 15 years that they know really well. These are pretty like Edge and Christian and, and the Hardys at this point. These are young guys, you know, um, and they, they gave them a lot of leeway here. And this is always in these series of matches with the, the TLCs and the ladders and stuff. This will go down as one of the best feuds in the history of the company that people probably don't ever reference. People will talk about Stone Cold and Austin or Stone Cold and The Rock or you talk about McMahon and and Austin or or Brett and you know who have Brett and Sean or you know uh any macho man and Hogan, Hogan and Andre. But this this feud over a couple years really with these three tag teams and a couple of their big matches on big stages that they always delivered on these guys did an incredible job over a couple year period. They did, yeah. And it's a case where 
you could put any combination of these guys in the ring with one another. It didn't even need to be a three-way match. You get Edge and no. Christian and the Hardys, you're going to get a banger. You get the Dudleys against either of these guys, you're going to get the Dudleys doing everything that they do that was super over at the time. The Dudleys came in from ECW, and they were pushed as a gigantic deal from the word go. It was not a case like maybe some instances today where WWE would get a guy from another promotion and just not do anything with them. The Dudleys were big stars in ECW that could get huge heat, could play either faces or heels, and that's why they wound up getting brought back, my goodness, 15, 18 years later when they had that little nostalgia run about five years ago. They still knew how to work. It's why Devon is still a road agent with the company. It's why Bubba Ray is still incredibly over as both a singles guy and a tag guy. Talk about underappreciated workers. I think the Dudleys are right up there in any conversation. And then you've got Edge and Christian, who are both Hall of Famers by any measure, both tag team and individually speaking. Yeah, the Impact World Champion. Christian just beat Kenny Omega. Pretty and like he beat him, which is really funny. You know, Christian beat Kenny Omega in AEW right now after like a seven year um, you know absence. He came back. He had that moment in the Royal Rumble, which was cool. It felt like there was a lot of meat on the bone that they could have told more of a story with him just using him leading into WrestleMania and even after with Edge. But Christian goes to AEW. He kind of doesn't connect really all that well, and then he's still undefeated. Then out of nowhere, they kind of hot shot him into a, a story and a match for the. Impact title and he beats Omega after Omega hasn't lost I think in like two years he's only Lost once and it was the Christian Poor Adam Page Really poor, weird poor, poor like, I like Adam Christian Page. I like him A lot it just it was so Weird to have the, the The start of the build And then you shoehorn Christian in here And I will say it shows you how good Christian is that he was actually Able to still get over In the match and winning in, in a situation where a lot of people would have, the crowd would have turned on a lot of other guys there. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. And one quick story. First of all, if you haven't bought Chris Jericho's list of Jericho book, where he chronicles every match from his career, you absolutely should, because there's some cool stories in there and some cool insights. He tells one about his match with Shelton Benjamin from the first Cyber Sunday show where nobody wanted to tell Jericho who he was going to be facing that night or tell anybody else who had won the poll. So Jericho, leading up to the show, is frantically going around to every person that could potentially win the poll, and they're laying out certain ideas they have for the match. He gets to Christian, they look at each other, and Jericho goes, let's just call it out there. And then he moves on to the next guy. Yeah, like, we'll be how good. Much, how much respect... <laughs> Do you think Chris Jericho has for Christian and, and the other way around? This is a guy who's a tremendous worker, a guy whose only crime really is that he was tagging with a guy who would wind up being even more over than he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool all-timer with the, the TLC match there. As we move into um, a look backstage again, uh, Triple H and Stephanie, they're in their dressing room, and Triple H is asking her about what happened with Kurt on SmackDown. She says she hit her head and Kurt took advantage with a kiss. He says to stay away from Angle. She says, I don't feel anything for Kurt and that you're the only man for me. And she gives him a kiss. So the the big storyline they've been pushing all throughout the night. We kept checking in with them. And uh, now we're going to check in 
for the thong stink face match. It is the cat with Al Snow versus Terry Runnels with Perry Saturn, that horny little she devil. The uh, cat was, you know, your baby face here. She actually uh, dated and married Jerry Lawler briefly. Both women were wrestling in uh, bikinis. If so, you can even call them that. Yeah, or if you can even call it wrestling. <laughs> if um, This was not what you see with uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte nowadays in the uh, in, in main events of, uh, of pay-per-views or TV shows. The This was uh, a, a thong stink face match. We did a, a little cat fight, cat smacking Terry on the butt. Um, then she gets a Bronco Buster. Um, Saturn pushes Cat down, and uh, then Cat slams Terry. Um, she goes. For, Terry ends up throwing Cat into the corner. I mean, there's nothing, nothing in here. Terry hits the ref in the groin by accident. Al Snow throws. <laughs> Al Snow throws head to Cat. Is my note. Here. That's a Mad Lib if ever there was one Is uh, is my note here um, So Cat ends up taking head And nailing Terry Runnels with it So uh, Al Knocks uh, Saturn to the floor And then the cat does the Stink face to Terry Thong stink face to win Three minutes and four seconds JR says this was a unique Matchup And the the post match So there's this isn't a match, right? Like I'm not gonna rank this. There's there's no star rating or anything for this. You know they got they. This is what WWF was uh, at the time with the the women's division. There just wasn't you know much of it. The, the thing Al Snow does right after the match. So he's got he's got the cat up on his shoulders and they're celebrating and the crowd's cheering, and then he flips her around so that way. He is face first into her bottoms and you could I'm I don't know this, but she the way she reacted was that she did not have a clue he was going to do that because she seemed very like and even King was like, hey, what's he doing? Oh, my God. you know, like and and then Al kind of was laughing and she when when he put her down, she didn't seem like someone who knew. I don't think she seemed mad, but she was like, what did you just do? And this was just WWE from about 98 to 2002 or three. Okay. So as much as I would like to critique what happened from bell to bell here, I find that I'm going to need to alter my style just a wee bit. So Jerry Lawler actually gets in one really good line right at the start of this match. So they're making their entrances And Jerry Lawler, who usually goes way too far over the top for my tastes, raises a very interesting point. He goes, why can't I be in this match? I got Taz. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? As Jerry Lawlerisms go, that was funny. Who booked this shit? (laughs) Exactly. So um, you you brought up one creepy Al Snow thing about this match. I'm going to bring up another one. So early in the match, The cat sends Terry to the floor. Al Snow brings Terry back into the ring. But how do I say this diplomatically? Gets a handful. Um, Let's uh, let's just put it that way. (laughs) And you can tell 
both of the commentators are a little weirded out because you hear one of them, and I'm not sure if it was JR or Lawler, but both of them were sort of surprised at this going, mm-hmm. watch your hands, Al. Well, cause remember, this is this is Lawler's girl. Well, He's dating. Terry was the one that was on the floor. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't he, the cat. Yeah, but, yeah. But it is funny because the dynamic with King in this match is a little bit different because he's got a woman that he cares about versus the other matches where he's the one that's throwing those kind of things. But you could kind of feel it with the King a little yep. in, in here, too, um, yep. in that. So yeah. you get that. And look, I am among the world's biggest fans of Terry, Terry Runnels, Marlena, whatever you'd like to call her. Okay, I was a teenager during the Attitude Era. Everybody had their crushes. Let's be real. She is not a wrestler. She was not trained to be a wrestler. And this is readily apparent here. This is three minutes. It's not an easy watch for any number of reasons. It it served the eye candy portion of the show, I suppose. But my goodness, is this uncomfortable. We uh, then move along to WWF New York. The acolytes are uh, are there, and we get a video package to set up Kane versus the Undertaker. This is this is American Badass Undertaker, and this was something that kind of got shoehorned a little bit because it was supposed to be Undertaker Big Show, but they ended up having to go in a different direction. So Kane had to, to have a heel turn to set up for this. Um, it's not even a, really a match. It's not. They they act they do ring the bell, but JR tries to pull it off afterwards by saying, I didn't ever hear the bell ring. So um you know, Undertaker comes out, he attacks Kane outside the ring. He's trying to rip off Kane's mask a little bit. Um you know, it's just it's a brawl. There's nothing even real wrestling matchy about it. Kane sends Undertaker into the steel steps, and then he he punched take he low blow by Kane. Um, then Kane's bleeding where the like in the spot where he tried to pull the mask off. Undertaker with some tackles, some punches. Again, he's trying to pull the mask off. So Kane, uh, you know, chokes Undertaker, kicks him again uh, in the groin. Then the mask is off, but the camera doesn't doesn't go in on it, and you know, Kane just runs to the back. And JR says, I don't think the match ever started. I never heard a bell. This only went at seven, like just around seven minutes or so with everything. It was no contest. And the thing that's really weird about all of this, right? It was like, we don't even see Kane get unmasked for a couple more years. It wasn't even like this was where the story was going. And we end up seeing Kane in a month or two or three or at WrestleMania or whatever. We don't see him, I think, at 2003. Or so until we finally see him without the mask. So this this was just not. I mean, we they have some fun, memorable matches through the years, and and some big moments and some instances where they're teaming up together. You know, the brothers of destruction and stuff. This is like, I this is so not like I completely forgot about this. So skippable. It just seems so. Um, Inconsequential in a history where they have like big moments together. It just, you know, it literally wasn't a match. And it was, oh, these are two guys that we have still high up on our card. So we want them to get on SummerSlam. Yeah, this wasn't a match. It was just a thing. It was what it was. 
The most notable thing that I found is something that only a true nerd would find, I think. So this was 2000. Taker comes out on the bike. They changed the theme music. This was mm-hmm. during the time. Where this the wasn't rolling. Well, it was. I'm not sure if it was rolling or if it was American Badass, but it certainly wasn't You're Gonna Pay. That no. came out in either 2002, 2003. And when I saw Taker coming out and I heard You're Gonna Pay, I'm like, that's not the music he had. Now, granted, whatever music he may have had, WWE almost certainly did not have rights to at some point in time. And that was probably the archived version that they threw up onto Peacock. But it's just another example of how sometimes music works very strangely with WWE and what they're allowed to show and what they can't show. As far as this goes, uh, I understand you want to get The Undertaker on SummerSlam. I understand that. Would it have killed anybody to have an actual match here? No, you can. Why not just do the same? The let the bell ring, have it, and then have him walk away like that. It just was exactly, weird. Yeah. And why even have Jr. at the end saying like, "Did the bell ring?" and this or that? It just everything about this just felt a little bit off from the off, beginning. Yeah. You know, off is a very good word, and it's one of those things where you know these two have a really good match in them somewhere. This just wasn't it, and WWF did have to pivot because of what happened with uh, Big Show. But watching this, I'm just going, wait, what? Yeah, I I forgot. I really forgot about this. It was, yeah, you get a lot. There's a lot better interactions from these two before this and after this as uh, we get ready to build up for our main event. We get a look at Kurt Angle in the locker room. He's on the phone. And then we get to Stephanie and Hunter and her phone rings and it was her mom and Triple H asked to talk, but then when he asked to talk, Linda has hung up. So <laughs> this was uh, a Hunter's getting pissed off, and they're just kind of furthering the storyline. Uh, but again, all throughout the show, we've seen Kurt two or three times, Stephanie two or three times, um, Triple H multiple times. No Rock. I mean, we got the Rock at WWF radio singing with Mick Foley, but no promo from the Rock. No. Nothing about even The Rock really in this story at all Which, in, in even the way the match starts It is, it's funny because I, I like it And it's entertaining But there's such a small window They're very lucky that there are three guys that are really over And really, really good Because this, this had the opportunity to just kind of be like Huh, your most over guy and your champion Isn't really involved in this story He's just like a placeholder in the match um, but the first person out is Kurt Angle. So Kurt comes out and then he grabs the mic and he cuts a promo in the ring. I really do like it when wrestlers cut promos in the ring. It just it reminds me of Rick Rudish or you know, old school heels. I, I, I want a promo before a match almost all the time if we can. Backstage in the ring, something little doesn't have to be huge, but I always like getting a little more talking before a match than we get. Nowadays, it's one thing I loved about the uh, the uh, the older you know days where everybody got a chance to kind of cut a little promo and tell you why they wanted to beat somebody up. And Kurt says he wants to apologize for not kissing Stephanie a heck of a lot sooner. He said he didn't get those Olympic medals from backing down or second guessing himself. He said he's proud of what he did and that he gave Stephanie the kind of passion that Triple H never could. So this is 
He's only been in this for eight months, nine months at this point or so. And he's in the main event, you know, like legitimately being on, on TV and he's cutting this kind of a promo to get heat right before the main event. Like this is just natural. Someone who just has it and Kurt did and triple H sprints to the ring. And now, he's- if, I, if I may interject here, Kurt Angle does something that's very hard to do. He made 2000 Triple H look like a baby face. You're right. You're right. He did. He got people to want to see him come and kick Kurt's ass. And that's what ends up happening. Uh, Triple H comes out with just like a bat out of hell. He clotheslines, punches. Earl's trying to break things up here Referee Earl Hebner because The Rock's not out And so this match has not This match actually has not started Because The Rock needs to be there In order for it to start He's the champ Um, Angle with the clothesline So Triple H goes to the floor They're back and forth a little bit So Triple H sends Kurt over the top rope And then shoulder first into the ring steps He clears off the announce table And they get up top He sets up for a pedigree But right as he's about to to do the jump for the pedigree, the table falls out. And so Kurt's is, head is that the ultimate table you can't fire me, I quit move? Right? The Kurt's head bangs the, the table before they're able to to you know set really, you know, set the spot that they wanted. It was just a freak sort of a thing. Poor Randy Orton's over there trying to break tables over and over, and he can't. And these guys just get this one just to accidentally break. And Kurt, in his they first, don't make them like they used to. No, in his first main event spot, he's concussed before the Rock's even out. Legitimately concussed. And and you could tell afterwards that you know Earl Hebner. I want to give him some credit in here because he did a really good job. You could you could see Earl running. You know, knowing that Kurt's got a concussion, when you watch it back after, Kurt's he's he's telling Triple H stuff, he's telling The Rock stuff, he's he's relaying everything. There's one point where where we'll get to where he actually has to tap Kurt on the shoulder to remind Kurt to kick out of a pin because Kurt's fuzzy at that time. So real big assist to Earl Hebner for uh, for what he did in um, in this match. I thought a lot of really good work here from Earl also. So. The, you know, the officials are putting angle on, uh, you know, they're checking angle out. JR just talks about how he looks like he's out of it. And Triple H grabs a sledgehammer. And then here comes the rock. So the rock, huge ovation. Here he comes. And it just, it, it's fine when the rock's in there and everything that the rock does with Triple H. And then when angle gets back in is good. Like all their work together is good. It just feels like. You you kind of almost forget that the rock's about to come out, you know, because it's like they're they're so in this story of Triple H and and Kurt and Stephanie that it's like, oh yeah, the the champ, the rock's coming out. And he, you know, comes out of the house of fire, big Samoan drop, they're brawling all over the place. This was a a typical WWE main event at this period where you're getting a lot of work outside the ring, in the crowd, like an Austin style WWE main event where um you know, you know, Earl again talking to Trey Hunter, you know, telling him about Triple H or telling Triple H what happened with Angle. Um, as they're wheeling Kurt to the back, Triple H runs down and starts punching him while he's on the stretcher. Um, 
Then uh, the the crowd is chanting slut at Stephanie because she walks out to check on Kurt and he's on the stretcher. Uh, Triple H and uh, and The Rock just continue to go at it back and forth. They're working all outside the ring and they're working at a fast pace and the crowd is just really into this. So she, uh, Triple H is kind of directing traffic out there. He tells Stephanie to get the belt. She comes into the ring. She tries to hit The Rock, but he ends up moving. She hits Hunter. I mean, hits. She taps him. This was like weak sauce here as uh, she's still figuring things out too at the beginning. But a low blow from Triple H, and and then he tells Stephanie to leave. So she does leave. Um, Rock and Triple H are really good work from these guys. These guys were in their prime here, and they were excellent together. Back and forth. Triple H gets the sledgehammer, um, knee to the face, a face buster by Triple H, and then the Rock bounces back with some punches and a running neck breaker. Um, then uh, Rock uh, hits a superplex from the middle rope. Um, Stephanie's talking to Kurt on the stretcher. She starts asking Kurt to come back to the ring and help Triple H, and he's all incoherent and delirious. He's like, oh, absolutely, Steph. I'll do it for you, Steph. Whatever, no problem, Steph. Yes. And so, um, the the match in the ring is is good between these two. You know, you get a, the Rock with a belly to belly and. Uh, crowd just really loving this Here comes Kurt walking down the ring He he can barely like Stumble around and Stephanie's like Leading him she's pulling him down with her Arm and as Triple H um, Gets a pedigree and he covers The rock Kurt Angle Pulls him out of the ring So good Steph- so Stephanie good. goes no Like she brought Kurt back and he Ends up screwing Triple H out of winning The match um, and Then JR says that Stephanie hasn't even gone over to help Triple H on the floor. We get rock and angle stuff, belly to belly, DDT. And this is when Earl actually has to tap Kurt on the arm to let him know, hey, you need to kick out here. So uh, Triple H is out on the apron. Rock sends him into uh, angle. Rock sends angle into Triple H, and that knocks uh, Triple H to the floor. So Rock gets the rock bottom, and uh, then Triple H pulls him out. This last six minutes. From when Kurt came back It was awesome It was as good of a stretch of a triple threat match As you could see And I remember at the time Thinking I mean I really wouldn't be surprised to see any result in here In fact I was likely thinking Kurt Angle was going to win this match With the way that they had been set everything up And the story It felt like that was probably the way they were going to go And The Rock would be kind of in and out I think he had some movies and stuff here and there So he would you know he wasn't quite all the time, everything. So I was, you know, very interested and intrigued in how they were going to end this thing. And so the crowd at the end in, in this last buildup is just going ballistic. Um, Triple H tells Stephanie to get the hammer, so she does. She goes into the ring, and as Triple H goes to punch Kurt, he moves and she, yeah, he accidentally hits Stephanie, and Stephanie's laying out cold in the middle of the ring. The crowd loves that. Um, even though you could see Triple H put his hand right in front of, uh, you know, right in front of the uh, the sledge, and he he ends up getting hit with a sledgehammer by Angle, and I mean Earl again is like telling Kurt to cover Hunter, so he does. The Rock ends up breaking up the pin. He tosses Angle over the top. He hits the people's elbow on Triple H. He gets the win. There's a hell of a lot going on here towards the end. I normally don't like things that are like super, super overbooked. I had a lot of fun with this. I had this at least in the three and a half star range 
And if you want to have it closer to four Because of the end of the match and the action is good If you were a little lower on it because You know, maybe you didn't like the fact that Rock comes out late and it was, you know A triple threat taking spots kind of a match But I enjoyed it I This is a inter- really entertaining match to me This is one that I like going back and watching And overall, I thought this was a pretty Fun SummerSlam A couple things that we go, eh, they could have been done better But at a tight 240 With a cool main event to end And another one or two pretty solid matches On the show, fun spots with Shane The TLC match Um you know, a lot of cool stuff on this show. So I had this match at three and three quarters. I think it's a really fun match. I just wish the title didn't seem like an afterthought. And, and that's I understand. Very and the fair. The thing is, part of that is because the angle Triple H Stephanie stuff was really, really good. And that's a case where that was so good, it ultimately wound up, I think, hurting the fact that, hey, this is the main event of SummerSlam. This is for the title. And oh, by the way, the third guy who isn't involved in this love triangle situation is the freaking Rock. So you get Triple H and Kurt Angle doing their thing to start. The table chooses violence and Kurt Angle gets legitimately knocked woozy. He was supposed to be fake knocked out. Instead, he was real knocked out. Professional wrestling, ladies and gentlemen, what can I tell you? So (laughs) because of that, Triple H and The Rock have to improvise a little bit. And when they do this, it's not like it's bad, but Triple H does slow things down a little bit to where even the untrained eye can see, okay, there's something going on here. What's going on? What's happening? And as it turned out, they're buying time because Kurt Angle is in La La Land backstage. And in fact, he was so out of it that he needed several takes to do the bit with Stephanie where he says, I'll do it for you, Stephanie. And when he says it, it is like he's reading a cue card. It's one of those things where looking back, we realize head injuries are no joke. And uh, concussions and CTE are a real thing, kids. But all things considered, even though this match is overbooked, even though there are several logical fallacies here. For instance, Triple H runs down the EMTs that are stretching Angle out. Why? Why doesn't he just pin the rock? If the title matters, you've just gone from having a 33% chance of winning to a 50% chance Scott Steiner. (laughs) Yes, the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. And just to show you how good JR is, he even tries to say to at this point, you know, you wonder if the title even matters to Triple H or does he want to just beat the hell out of Kurt Angle? You know, like so JR is just he picked that up, what you pick up right away, and he goes, Let me do my best to cover this, you know? Um, yeah. which is just awesome, JR. But but you're right. It's this is the main event title that Triple H we've been led to believe for two years will do anything for. And now all of a sudden he's got an opportunity in the ring where he could have just Tried to pin the rock and he's going to run down You're right this is that's like that doesn't fit Triple H as much as a guy no. Who'd been hell bent to be the champ Yeah and does it kill the match No, no. but it is one of those things That it you picks. look back on and you go Yeah if there's a little bit better Storytelling it does crack the four star Thing for me instead it's three And three quarters which still makes It a really fun match even though It's not perfect and one little note on The rock who is the forgotten guy here 
I loved how at the end of the match, when he does the people's elbow, goes to one side of the ring, in one motion, he jumps both Stephanie and Triple H. <laughs> yes. And that's not small because no. both of them are laying spread eagle across the ring. That is not something that is easy to do. And it's not like he had a lot of momentum either. You forget the rocks a pretty damn good athlete and being able to do that. That's not something everybody could do really fun main event to a really fun show. Yeah. And I, uh, I always enjoy it. And a couple things that Kurt said, um, when he was in a, uh, in article in sports illustrated in an interview, um, when I got my concussion at SummerSlam, Triple H did a lot for me in that match. I went through the table. I was out. Stephanie brought me back out. We went to the ring. I asked her, what do I do? <laughs> she says, when Rock's foot hits the ropes, grab him. So I grabbed him by the foot, and I looked at her again, and she said, throw Triple H into the steps. So I threw him into the steps, and she said, get the hell in the ring. So I did. And he said, then there's a spot where Triple H is going to hit me with a sledgehammer, but I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was out there. My mind was blank. I, I come to two hours after the pay-per-view and I see that when Triple H was going to hit me, he puts his hand on my head. He makes sure that I duck. You can see that I'm just totally clueless. He's looking out for me the whole match. Him and Earl, they literally had to walk me through every step of the match to make sure I was safe. I don't remember any of it. It must have been a nightmare for them, but Triple H is definitely one of the best and he kept me safe that night. So, you know, that was that was Kurt. <laughs> that might have been at a point where he was trying to get back into WWE too. So he was he was given some extra, you know, praise for Triple H. But we give him a lot of crap a lot of times. And this is an, a night where, hey, he definitely did keep this guy safe because it's scary to think about that Kurt has to go back out there when he doesn't know what the hell is going on. We talked about the Undertaker with this not that long ago. And when when you see a wrestler out there and they don't know what's happening. It is really, really scary because the business has always, um, you know, fashioned them to think, okay, we got to work through these injuries. We got to work through whatever it is and we'll, we'll get through it and then we'll, we'll, you know, figure it out afterwards. But it's scary when you know and you can look in someone's eyes and you can see that they don't know what's going on up there. Yeah. And again, it shows just how tough a lot of these guys are sometimes to a fault. I mean, we talked a little bit about Edge. We talked a little bit about Christian. There's any number of guys that put their bodies on the line for the business, and they've got the scars to prove it. And it, Kurt Angle being in La La Land, it's not an easy thing to see. Credit to Triple H, Stephanie, Earl Hebner, The Rock, everybody involved there, because what we wound up seeing was still pretty darn good. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It is just one of my personal favorite matches that I shouldn't like that much. Like you said, it's just there are so many things to nitpick about it, but it's entertaining. The crowd's into it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a good way to end a show. It was right when Kurt you get these three guys who are in their prime. And then Kurt isn't quite there yet, but he's not far. He was so good naturally that you know, you could see all of the things that were about to come for the next few years from him. And the rock is just about to bust it open in, uh, in Hollywood. And this is when triple H is, is actually doing some pretty solid work here. So, um, I enjoy this pay-per-view SummerSlam 2000. It's a fun one. If you're 
Someone who's listening to this show You're probably someone who will do what Andrew and I And and other wrestling fans will do sometimes Wrestling shows are great background Noises when you do work you know if you're Handicapping a racing card or If you're looking at some notes because I always Love throwing an old wrestling show on in the background Because I can look down or not have to really Focus on it and then just kind of pop up Here and there and really enjoy some of the cool Moments this is one of those kind of shows That I you know, throw on when I'm getting ready to go to sleep or when I'm, you know, finalizing something. A cool watch, one that's not going to take you all that much. And um, yeah, two hours and forty minutes, and two hours and about twenty if you uh you watch it like us, where we uh we went over the uh we skipped through the Benoit Jericho. So yeah, not bad, Andrew, for a a SummerSlam that I always feel pretty fondly about because this is uh right m- me in um let's see where am I thir- thirteen years old right here? So this is. Like 7th, 8th grade when I am just So immersed In everything happening in the, in the WWF In fairness I think everybody was You were right? in 7th or 8th grade I was in 5th or 6th And it was one of those things where You know Around this time Austin's off television It was a legitimate topic of conversation Who ran over Steve Austin Who ran mm-hmm. over Steve Austin It was it was a lot of who shot Mr. Burns. It was that, right? It was who the uh... shot JR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, I mean, even WCW ran with that with the Hogan Hummer angle, and we never found out who drove that Hummer. That's the difference between WWE and WCW. But every it was so hot at this time, everything they touched turned to gold. And if you didn't like something on television, check back again in four minutes. So uh, Andrew, you have the next selection for uh, which show we're going to be headed to next, and uh, so give us your show where we're, where we'll go and uh, where we will be for our next old wrestling rewatch. All righty. So I told both Gino and Darren uh, earlier today that I had one that was going to be a very fun rewatch for us, and when I said that, I know that at least one of them went. Oh crap! What's oh no 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 no! Yeah. Oh no! Oh yeah, no! Or actually, <laughs> more like the the Cleveland Brown family guy when he's falling out of his bathroom. The, oh no 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 no! <laughs> but yeah. Um. However, in this particular instance, I'm gonna go with the show that I thought Gino was picking last week. I'm going to stay with the SummerSlam. I'm gonna stay in the 2000s. We're going to go to SummerSlam 2005, mainly because of two angles that we are going to have so much fun talking about. Angle number one, the custody of Dominic. And my (laughs) personal take that Rey Mysterio, for the last 20 plus years of his life, has secretly been the biggest heel in WWE history. (laughs) Angle number two, and Darren is going to feel shivers down his spine the moment he hears this. Hulk Hogan against Shawn Michaels, and it got changed multiple times because, say it with me, Gino, Hogan Hogan must must win. Hogan must pose. Hogan must win. Hogan must go over. We're going to have a lot of fun with that because Shawn Michaels just decided, you know what? I'm going to be the biggest ass I can possibly be during this program. Not just during this match. I really hope we get to talk about the promo he cut in Montreal where he taunted the crowd with Bret Hart's theme music, not once, but twice. 
this is good. I don't this is one that I I don't re, I remember the Mysterio Guerrero. I remember the Hogan with Sean bumping all over, but I don't remember a lot of the rest of the card. So I'll be it's interested. A good card, yeah, it is. So you get, you get the Edge lead. Randy Orton. Yeah, Edge Party. You, yep, and you get Chris Jericho's last big match in WWE for almost three years. He was done the next night on Raw when he lost a you're fired match. In this particular scenario, though, he's facing a young John Cena, and it's still a really good match. Yeah, looking forward to this one. So we're going to SummerSlam 2005 on the next old wrestling rewatch. There's a Benoit match right off the beginning, but it's really quick, so we can almost just skip. Oh, you know, it's not even exactly. A whole, it's yeah. not a whole lot. It doesn't doesn't take away from it. So uh, a SummerSlam where we're gonna have Edge, Matt Hardy, Mysterio, Guerrero, Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Undertaker, Cena, Jericho, Batista, Hogan, Shawn Michaels. I mean, think about the names there. That's a pretty big list of some stars. Through the years in WWE, we're going to SummerSlam 2005 on the next Old Wrestling Rewatch. You can always give him a follow on social media at Andrew Champagne. The podcast Champagne and JD will come out each and every week um, towards the weekend, usually with a focus on some of the big weekend races or interviews with um, some major figures in horse racing and um, all the Day-to-day handicapping Saratoga daily selections from Andrew Champagne You can get at andrewchampagne.com He's doing a hell of a job so far Rolling on through the uh, the Saratoga meeting um, Anything else that I'm missing, uh, Andrew, that you want to plug? You caught most of it I mean, it's been a whirlwind the past couple of weeks Can't believe we're more than halfway through the Saratoga I meet I mean, it, it goes to Labor Day, of course But it, it really does fly by Incredibly fortunate, as those who follow me know, I was able to make it to Saratoga this past weekend. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. I was there on Saturday with my girlfriend, my mom, my dad. Beautiful afternoon. Able to pick a couple of winners. Able to see a lot of really cool people. It's uh, Saratoga is just special, man. And I, uh, it, it meant the world to me to be able to experience that again especially given there were no fans in Saratoga in 2020. And I didn't have plans to go this summer until plane prices came crashing down as they did, unfortunately, because of the Delta variant. But thankfully, vaccinated here, able to travel with masks, able to do that as safely as one can possibly do it. And it just, it's a special feeling, as anybody that's been to Saratoga can tell you. And it's one that I'm going to remember and feel for a really long time. Always fun catching up with Andrew And I believe Darren will be back with us On the next old wrestling rewatch oh, He better be if he's head. missing Hogan I was gonna say, Michaels, We got a problem he, I think he'll want to talk some uh, some about Hogan Bumping all over the place On the next old wrestling rewatch Make sure to go give Andrew a follow there But don't go anywhere folks Still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said And that'll do it for this episode Of That's What G Said podcast A big thank you to Tim Kelly for helping us out with What If. Chad Cooper coming in last minute with another uh, installment of This Week in Wrestling. Andrew Champagne with the old wrestling rewatch. Uh, hopefully we made you some money on uh, on Tuesday over at Parks. Wednesday at Saratoga. We'll be back later in the week with a focus on the weekend racing. Some more NFL talk. We'll get into some baseball stuff. Uh, also, we'll see how the, the Dodgers are doing in their chase to catch the Giants. We'll continue. The work never stops. We're always paying attention to everything going on out there. So we'll talk to you again in just a few days on That's What She Said.